from the crypt. <laughs> oh, hello, creeps. <laughs> Greetings, thrill shriekers. Talk about accelerating. Fans, tales from the crib. <laughs> oh, hello, kitties. Yes, yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 186 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast is coming at you live. I am your host, the Canadian Crypt Keeper, and still the Toxic Offender, a.k.a. Moods. Yeah. And chilling with me in the house tonight, we have the American Troll Keeper, Double Shotless J, a.k.a. JP. What's going on, buddy? Yo, long time coming, dude. About to do some tales from the damn crypt, courtesy... Of the homie Vitali, who I gave credit to doing to picking the I spit on your grave show, but it wasn't him who picked it. I'm really bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've established that we're horrible with with the <laughs> names and Patreon, man. This is crazy. Uh, I, I don't know. We'll we'll try to work on that a little bit better in the future. But uh, right. but again, we yeah. do thank you. We are saying thank you, even if we're not dropping the name. We do appreciate it. So. And uh, yeah, for the most, I mean, even though I spit on your grave was probably one of the most painful shows I've recorded in so <laughs> long, we still thank you for picking it. Right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. So what's up, dude? Nothing, man. Nothing. Um, oh man, it's I just had like a relaxing five six days. I was out doing some camping. Um, yeah, it it was weird too because while I was out there, like things were mostly kind of like shut down. But then June first happened and things kind of opened up a little bit more. <laughs> it was weird. So yeah, um, I just spent the last like five six days out at uh, out at the lake and um, yeah, relaxing, having some drinks, just kicking it, listening to tunes. It just I couldn't ask for more. I mean, it was so nice to get out of the house because you know I've been stuck in the house pretty much for like three fucking months and. Uh, right. Just go and relax and do nothing. Read a lot. I listened to a lot of tunes and that's and drank some locale beers and yep, it was good. I, I really enjoyed it. It was fun as hell. That sounds awesome, dude. I'm I'm kind of in one of those moods myself where I feel really cooped up. It's like whenever I I get a uh, heavy seasonal depression in in winter, but it, it usually doesn't hit until about like January, February, like late January, early February, uh, where I just can't wait for the to the weather to get nicer and stuff like that and it's like this one has lasted extra long because of it's like i got a small little taste of freedom and then you know with the quarantine and everything it just Mm -hmm. feels like i'm it feels like summer or like you know even spring really hasn't began 
so uh, it, it seems like it's starting to get you know a little looser now so i'm pretty excited man i can't wait to go enjoy the weather outside because you even just talking about it made me realize that that's what i'm missing in my life like i need to i need to go outside i need to be out in the you know sun a little bit fucking get some get lose some of my paleness you know just get some vitamin d in me (laughs) yeah man i got yeah i mean it wasn't like the nicest you know so i went out on thursday and i got back today so it's like six days whatever i don't know five six days and i mean we there was moments when i was driving out there it was raining but it actually turned into a pretty nice day and then when it left it was just like pissing buckets man (laughs) so i like went out when it was raining and left when it was raining but the weekend was really nice and i did get some color and stuff but i i know what you're saying man it just felt nice and i feel like if there's any way to even social distance i mean um even though my aunt actually, I didn't even know that she was going out there and she actually came out for a couple nights. And, um, so we got to bullshit with them, sit around the fire, have some drinks and shit like that. So that was kind of cool, but just getting out and, you know, sitting by the river and, you know, just fresh air, fresh air. And just like literally reading and listening to tunes and, you know, having some beers and just, it was just so relaxing. Even though I've been sitting around for like the last three months, it was just nice. You ride your bike a little bit too. Rode my bike everywhere around the county. Yeah. Rode it for every single day. Um, it was great and it's nice actually this place that we went to it's got pretty awesome trails like back in the bush and shit so we were ripping around on there and stuff taking jumps and shit and surprisingly never killed myself because like i'm not used to doing like full-on jumps anymore and shit like that but it was good man it was <laughs> it was just a good time dude we just had a really good time like me and the kid went out the first night and the wife she had to work so she came the next night and shit like that and we stayed an extra night also so that yeah, was cool. Yeah. Spend some time and just, you know, clear the head and just kind of enjoy it too. I feel like, you know, if you've, you still need to kind of do that distancing thing, it's, you might as well be outside. Outside, doing it, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it yeah, was really good. That really sounds good. good, dude. Yeah. I, uh, I, I took a ride on the quad the other day and that was really the first time I, I spent some time out and outside, like all since winter, dude. Like <laughs> it's crazy. Like I actually spent a little bit of time out there and, and uh you know drove around a little bit rode around a little bit and felt the wind and and the fresh air and it felt good felt real good so uh and then of course i i went and picked up my uh four four gays of zombie and maniac that's that's i read the quad up at the post office and yeah i was really excited about that but yeah so i think that you know i'm gonna try to make it a point this next week or two to to go outside a little bit more i know i'm going to the drive-in because our drive-ins have opened back up which is pretty exciting oh, that's cool i uh, gonna go on monday i think because the drive-in i think is open friday saturday sunday and monday and i have a show with you guys on friday i got the ufc fights on saturday so the next day i'm available is monday yeah man it's the way to do it keep yourself busy it's awesome right man. yeah 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 and and that's something that i i try to do a lot is um you know i I know jeremy was going through a hard time there for a little bit and uh the thing that i always do and everybody's different but the the thing that helps me the most is to stay busy 
if I'm ever dealing with anything, you know, just keep your mind off stuff like sitting in the house and, and not doing anything like is torture for me oh, uh, when I'm going through some stuff. So I always try to stay busy, keep my mind occupied, whether it's like watching film or, you know, going out or being with friends or, or whatever you can do to not just be stewing in your own head. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's, it, there's just nothing worse than sitting inside your house. Just like, brain dead like yeah like especially a, when you're in a bad mood or, or right? you got bad luck going on or something yeah i know like the last couple months i mean i've been i've been really busy with doing like a lot of different stuff and and that's that's just how i deal with things too i'm the exact same way like if i'm you know if i'm in a bad mood or if something's happening shit, i just i just keep doing shit i never mope around and sit around yeah. and shit like that like i try to keep moving and doing shit even though like sometimes and everyone goes through times like that too right you know you have shitty personal things or you have these world issues or whatever the hell's going on there's always something but just it's how you deal with it man and staying busy is like number one therapeutic thing for sure man for sure i mean it, yeah. gave, it gave me a chance during the quarantine you know to do some videos and, and I, you know at the end of the day i even talked about this before and i couldn't believe like how busy i made myself get and then i realized there wasn't even enough hours in the day to you know to do everything i wanted to do it's absolutely right. insane yeah. right so i mean yeah if i look at it like that, that soon yeah. i'm gonna do some videos soon I, I i gotta finish up my 31 days of horror from last year <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous man you know the one thing that i hope starts to straighten out like quick man is the fucking mail system you know it's been an ongoing thing it's been an ongoing thing for years and years and years i've always complained about how i get fucked on mail system all the time but like nothing is as bad as (laughs) now like you know i've been an amazon prime member for fuck man 12 years or 13 years now or something and like i've been waiting on prime stuff that i ordered like you know two weeks that shipped it's just getting stuck in in transit you know, like that's how shitty and backed up the mail system is right now. I mean, I can't be mad about it because of everything that's going on and shit, but it's just fucking crazy how backed up everything is. Like Canada Post even put a message out and they said, you know, if you're waiting on, you know, this type of stuff, like expect six to eight week delays. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? So much for two days shipping. <laughs> it's like, right. I, it's like we were talking before <clears throat> the show and I told you I ordered some Scream Factory stuff April 16th. Yeah. April 16th. It is, it is in June at this point. Yeah. Like it's so crazy. Like I actually just checked the, the tracking on this thing. And so I'd ordered this, the CD, uh, was Amazon prime. Anyways, they had to get it from, I think it came from New Jersey, which is fine. So it made it up to Montreal, you know, a couple days later, like I think it was like a few days, but it's been sitting there for two weeks now in Montreal. <laughs> it hasn't fucking moved. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? And it's been re-scanned. It like got there, and then a week later it got rescanned, and I was like, "Okay, this is so." Does that yeah. mean it's moving now? <laughs> I don't know, man. It said departure, but that it, it said it was scanned out too because it was scanned in again and it was scanned out, and that was like five days ago now, and it still hasn't moved. So it's got to be at its destination if it moves. So I don't know what the fuck's going on, but I, I'm just finding it pretty comical right now because it's just always one thing or another, and and that's the other thing too, like. I'm not really ordering international because obviously the shipping prices have gone ridiculous. Like Amazon UK is is charging 33 pounds for one fucking Blu-ray because they're expediating the shipping, which it makes sense because they don't want shit like lost and, you know, general mail and stuff like that. So I I get that. But 33 pounds, dude, what? That's like, that's 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 seriously, that's seriously $55 Canadian. (laughs) 
for uh, shipping. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking well, on Blu-ray. It's so funny. So yeah, I'm just. And the funny thing is, I'm actually waiting for a couple orders from 88 Films too. So I don't know when the hell I'm gonna get those. I'm still waiting on my M- MVD order that shipped April 22nd. So I don't know. Maybe it'll show up someday. <laughs> it's hilarious, yeah, I man. picked up um, Flesh Eating Mothers from Vinegar Syndrome because it was like on sale on Amazon for like under 15 bucks, and I was like, oh, yeah, it was like 13 or something. I was like, that's you don't really see Vinegar Syndromes go for that price. So no, picked it up. Of course, uh, the shipping is like saying like you know one to two weeks, and I'm like, I have Prime as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy right now, man. I, it, the, the shipping is is nuts. Hopefully by freaking October when our Dawn of the Dead box that's ready to ship. Hopefully everything will be back in order. <laughs> yeah, you know, since I ordered the 4K one or the 4K one, I, I think it's probably essential or inevitable that I do kind of look towards getting the 4K TV upgrade. I mean, see, it's <clears throat> happening. I mean, we did briefly talk about this, but you know, I was talking about how I had no need to upgrade to the TV because everything was all good. And then realized shortly after we had that discussion on the podcast that I actually do need to get another TV because I realized the one that my kid plays his games on, I put back into the motorhome. So there's no TV in this room for his like PlayStation four and three and whatever. And I'm like, that's a great opportunity for me to move my TV from downstairs into this room and then just buy myself a brand new, bigger one. <laughs> so Listen, all you got to do is I'm sure your kid plays sports, right? Oh yeah. Yep. So baseball, you got baseballs laying around. Oh yeah. So all you got to do is throw a baseball through the one in the living room <laughs> and just tell the wife that the kid did it. <laughs> <laughs> Which you totally believe too, because I swear, man, I swear to God. And I, oh my God. Like, so oddly enough, I've talked about how much I hated the first movie this. So I hate grownups. The first movie, I, I, I just right. couldn't stand it. But anyways, I don't know what it is recently, but <clears throat> every once in a while when I'm flipping through Netflix and stuff. And I think it's because happy Madison productions has done so many goddamn movies that are all on Netflix. I'm just like kind of going through and watching. I saw you like were that. watching those the other day on letterbox. Yeah. So I, so I watched cause the wife is like, no, she, cause she'd seen grownups too. And I'm like, and she's like, I know you hated the first one, but check out the second one. It's actually pretty funny. And I was like, seriously. And the only thing I can think of is how much I hate Kevin James. I'm like, he's the worst fucking replacement for Chris Farley ever. And I'm like, oh, and she's like, you know, he's not really like the main focus, but he does have like some funny shit that's going on. In it. And I'm like, okay. <clears throat> so anyways, I like checked it out and I thought it was actually pretty good. And I was actually laughing in parts and shit like that. But okay. So where I'm going with this story is, so Kevin James has a son in this movie and he's really, really dumb. <laughs> Right? <laughs> there's a scene in the film where they're like they're like what's uh what's seven times eight and he's like 78 and you know he's just he's just like clueless when it comes to everything right mm-hmm. and the wife looks at me and she goes that's our kid that's troy it's <laughs> 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 like oh my god this is so the same I'm like oh my god it's so bad but not, so now he's like i keep referring like we're our cabin i kept referring to him as the kid from grown-ups too <laughs> he's like oh my god it's just so mean but it's it's funny at the same time because honestly if you knew him he's very similar to that at times where he'll he'll just blurt out things without thinking about it even though he knows the answer kind of thing and it's like oh come on yeah yeah. right it just makes him just not look that smart 
Sounds like me. I used oh. to do that all the time because Dude. I would be like, my pap always made me nervous. I just like he would be like, here, hold this and only, and you know, hold this wrench here while I start this car or something. And like it would be something as simple as holding the wrench, and here I am just fluttering it all over the place, falling in between <laughs> the damn like transmission or something. And then he got to re fish it out for. 20 minutes because it's stuck <laughs> and I, I would just i would fold under pressure but only with him like anything else in life i would be fine but with with my pap i would always like if he would tell me to do the simplest damn task and i would end up screwing it up somehow <laughs> like there's a part in the, in the movie and in, in grown-ups too where he's like the kid's like oh man uh, it's like quarter after, or it's like eight fifteen, and school starts at eight twenty-five. Or no, I think one of the parents says that, and he's like, "Yeah, so that means we only got twenty-five minutes to get to school." And I'm like, "Oh God!" Like as a parent, you just like, "What do you do?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so bad. But I don't know what it is, man. I keep like putting on these like comedies and shit. I don't know, just to kind of break up, you know, just all the genre films I watch all the time and shit. It's whatever. I'm just kind of catching up. So right. I find myself actually not really hating them as much as I used to. Like, I, I don't know if I went back and like, I thought Grown Ups was so, so terrible, but no. I loved Grown Ups. I've never seen the sequel, but the I, I, I didn't like the Grown Ups film as a comedy. I liked it as like a, a, a family friend, like heartfelt, like type of like family oriented film. I feel like the sequel is more of like, it's still got the whole family elements to it, but I feel like it also has um, a lot of comedy to it. And, you know, it's got goofy, silly comedy, like with Kevin James who can burp and fart at the same time and shit. Like that. It's, it's so stupid, but I, I like fart jokes though. So even though it's coming right. from his fat ass, you know, I can fucking, I can still kind of chuckle about it. So, but, uh, but how do we keep talking about fucking Adam Sandler movies all the time. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I don't know. Well, I mean, I did just watch that uh, Kevin Smith movie, Becky. Oh, how was that? Not Kevin Smith. Kevin James. Kevin Smith. Yeah, no, I, I know what you meant. I'm, I know what you meant, <laughs> Becky. How was that? Uh, honestly, man, I, I, it, it, we're reviewing it on the next His and Hers, which will be out by the time you hear this, so it doesn't matter what I say, but... Um, I, I, there was aspects of it I liked, but overall, another miss for the year for me. Yeah. It's it just, it, it was, it was nasty. Like it had some gore and stuff, and and you know was was kind of cool like that. But it just was like kind of sloppy, and um, I, I honestly like I, I see a lot of people saying Kevin James gave a great performance, like you know as a villain, like he's like a Nazi villain in this. Yeah, and I, I just couldn't buy it honestly so i it it didn't really work for me um that much but yeah this year has been kind of rough for me with movies like i have a couple films that i would consider list worthy but um it better pick up in the i mean we're at the second you know in another couple days it'll be halfway point so uh yeah it's getting it needs pretty to scary. pick up it's i mean and it always does usually pick up in the fall but as of right now, this might be one of the weaker starts that I've ever seen. And, and I've actually oh, yeah. watched a lot this year. I've, I've probably watched 30 movies already, which is way ahead of what I'm normally at. Yeah. If you watch 30, man, you're right up there with me. I think I've watched 32. I guess I just watched that Al Adamson documentary, which was really good. Um, but yeah, no, this year, like, I mean, the crazy thing is like, I, I feel like I've watched a lot of what I probably should be watching too. And like, that's not a good sign, dude. 
because like i don't feel good with this list as of right now like i i've bypassed a few of the ones in the earlier part of the year that just i had no interest in stuff but holy shit dude six way i mean it seems like every year the first like kind of quarter is always really slow and it usually picks up right away but we're halfway through now and that's a little bit you know that's a little bit sketchy but then again i mean considering what's happened this year and stuff i i just i don't know i don't know if it's going to get a whole lot better which is that's kind of weird man not a good yeah, start I think, to new I, I decade. I think I'm right at about 31 or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I've I've saw a couple that I've really liked, but um, for the most part, dude, it's kind of been disappointment. Yeah, man. <clears throat> I just you know, and and the crazy thing is, it's more about the unknown too. Like we don't know what's actually going to get released for the potential theatricals and. Like if the theaters, like I, I can't see the theaters even opening again this year. So are they just going to push them all till next year? Or are they just going to eventually say, fuck it, let's VOD this shit or just push them back until they can show them in the theaters or what? Like, I don't know, man. I hope we get something better. <laughs> like even so, like even the, every year, man, there's so many VOD films that kind of stick out too, right? You know, indie films and VOD films, but I feel like we're not even getting that. That's what's kind of frustrating for me this year. Right? Yeah, yeah. I know it's it's been it's been it's been hard. I mean, I do his and hers, and and the we've been weekly pretty much since the year started, and even trying to find a film to watch has been a pain. Yeah, and that's not a good thing. It's usually. There's so many that you could possibly check out. And there's so many films that are like, I feel half baked to me. Like so many films that I liked aspects of, but just didn't do, didn't commit enough. Like, did you see one BR? Uh, no, I didn't see that one yet. Did you see the wretched? I did see the wretched. Yep. Yeah. Well, both of those films, uh, we, I think we did those like back to back. Same problems with both of them. Like they both, were kind of cool had some cool stuff but just didn't fully work for me yeah i i I know what you're saying man i watched the wretched actually with the wife believe it or not and she actually thought it was pretty cool and i was like you know and it had it definitely is one of those movies that has the aspects that's really cool um i just (laughs) it's just the the reveal of not even reveal but how he discovers that she's a witch. I don't even understand that in the fucking movie at all. It didn't yeah, even make- he just starts like researching witches all of a sudden. I'm like, what the fuck led you to that conclusion? <laughs> like to me, if she was acting all strange and fucked up like that and shit, wouldn't you more or less go towards like, maybe she might be possessed or something. Why, why witch? I, maybe crazy at first or crazy. <laughs> like just start with the obvious type shit. I mean, Right? Like, I don't know. That shit didn't really make a lot of sense to me. I actually brought myself to why People kept saying to me, they're like, you got to check out Fantasy Island. And I was like, really? really? I'm like, <laughs> why do I have to? I mean, that's that's how good this year is or shitty this year is. People are like, you got to check out Fantasy Island. And I'm like, fine. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. I mean, I kept hearing from everybody. It was like, worse than some people, it was like the worst film they'd seen all year and shit like that. I'm like, no, nah, it's not the worst film ever. But No, I think we because we did that one on like episode six and i think i gave it like a six like it was like all right it wasn't too bad it was i liked some stuff about it yeah i think i was i don't know i mean it wasn't like horrible horrible but um did you see the platform uh did i see the platform what the fuck one was that 
the Netflix film. Oh no 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 no! I, I was thinking. I mean, like, I, it sounds familiar. No, I haven't seen it yet. I actually have it on that, my short list to watch. One of the better films I've seen of the year. Yeah, I, I kept hearing that actually. I kept forgetting about it, and then every time I look at my to watch list, it keeps it's just not growing. But that one's still on there. Yeah. If you like stuff like Cube, it's right up that territory. Mm-hmm. Cool concept, uh, cool message, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've I've, I've stooped to the the point of watching. I watched The Turning a little while ago, you know? The Turning? Yeah. That was our third episode, and and that was, uh, I think that's, like, it's, it's, I'm, it's 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 down there with the the worst film I saw of the year, the turning and the grudge both sucked horribly. Yeah, the turning was just a not good. It just wasn't a good telling of the story, you know. I just, just well, not. there's so many damn so many of them, and, and it's just like, what are you doing here? What what are you trying to do? Are you trying to do anything? new and exciting or are you just trying to tell the same damn story over and over again and and not really add anything to it yeah man uh I, I mean even the standout films from this year like the lodge where a lot of people have been talking about it i mean it's it is kind of hit and miss with some people some people are really loving it and others are kind of like you know it's good and then you know I'm, i i liked it a lot i i'll say that seeing it in a theater probably helped with it a lot because that was one that we ended up getting. It was a limited release, but we ended up getting it. And yeah, that was, well, well, you also like, keep in mind, like I watched the grudge underwater, the turning after midnight fantasy Island, then the lodge in the theater. Uh, So, well, I didn't watch after midnight in the theater, but you know, so it was like, I was on a streak of these bad movies. So Mm -hmm. did you know, did you not like underworld or underwater underworld? I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was good. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was okay too. Um, but yeah, no, the lodge wasn't as, it wasn't as uh, great as I thought it was, could have been. I think there was a lot more potential there, but it it, kind of blows its cover a little bit for myself. Um, after midnight was really disappointing for me. Yeah, dude, that was just brutal, man. Oh, super disappointing. I still think the big, one of the biggest pieces of shits I've seen all year, which, you know, production value is not even, it's, it's still well made and stuff, but we summon the darkness. I fucking hated (laughs) Yeah, I did like We Some in the Darkness. I'm not like super high on it or anything. See, Carly liked these movies a lot more than me. Like, she really liked We Some in the Darkness like a lot, and she liked The Wretched a, a good bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Vivarium was good. I know you liked that one. Oh, Vivarium was excellent, man. Butt Boy was actually really good. <laughs> I, I got that as a screener. We were going to do it on the His and Hers, but I didn't know if it was like horror at all, so I ended up skipping it. It's um, it's definitely an interesting way to look at serial killing. <laughs> Just put it that way, dude. It's fucked up, man. It's definitely super unique in its in its approach and narrative for sure. Um, I just thought it was really unique and well done. It was interesting. It was an interesting movie. Definitely one of the more interesting movies of the year. Um, which you I know, think the the fan favorite is VFW. Oh yeah, VFW is just a fucking riot, man. I loved it. I love the cast in it, man. And it, so those I. whole scenes, really great. the siege narrative, you know, I mean, we've seen these things done lots of times, but it, it, you know, you can pull it off when you do things right like this, when you film it correctly and you put the right characters and actors in there. And I think that's why this movie works so well because it, those people belong in that movie. And I, I, I think the whole narrative is actually just fun. It's just fun. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. That one, that one stood out to me. Um, what did you think of blood so- quantum? haven't seen it yet oh i thought you guys did it on 
his and hers. We don't do streaming uh, films like ones that are for Shutter and stuff because we do those on Netflix and Chill. But we don't do Netflix and Chill as often anymore. Okay, I see. Uh, I recommend Blood Quantum. It's pretty solid, actually, really solid. Um, yeah, the last one we did was Exorcism at sixty thousand feet. Oh yeah, and you guys probably didn't like that at all, did you? No, <laughs> not at all. It's actually the lowest rated film I have of the year. Oh, I um, thought it was fun. I, I man, I was ah oh, fucking Bill Mosley. <laughs> there was certain things about it that were fun, but it it just was a li- it just went too it was too too much, man. It just it, it lost me. Um, um, I, I like certain aspects. I was it. in a really good mood when I watched it too. Cause like, I remember I was watching upstairs and the wife was doing something and I was just pissing myself and she's like, the fuck are you watching? And I'm like, I'm watching this ridiculous, like exorcist ripoff on a fucking airplane. And she's like, Oh my God, you watch the worst shit. Like literally that's what she said to me. <laughs> it was fucking stupid, but I don't know. I was having fun with it, man. I, I just, I was surprised at like the people that had cameos and it. it was kind of interesting. Like Adrian Barbeau, her death was kind of funny in it. Um, yeah. It's just weird, man. Like Hendri- Lance Hendrickson, I thought he was funny too. <laughs> I love the, yeah. I love the part too. He's like, he's the pilot, and then he's get they're getting ready to take off and shit, and he just kind of breaks open this like really expensive bottle of scotch and starts drinking. I love the co-pilot's reaction. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, uh-huh. it's awesome. But I mean, I could see it's definitely an acquired taste. I wouldn't agree. I mean, it definitely is kind of on that whole trauma-esque spoof type thing but i mean the production value is a little bit higher than some of the films you're going to find on trauma for sure Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah but overall kind of a mixed bag um for me so far like probably have about three films i would be happy in a top 10 but uh besides that man i'm just kind of waiting for something some better stuff oh i know dude it's been so like what's up with the netflix and you know fucking shutter and stuff like they're just not getting films like they used to i thought it would be starting to overload with these vod's and shit and i'm just like i'm not seeing anything right yeah it's really strange man really really strange yeah i i think i'm in the same thing like i would feel confident in putting like two or three of the films into a top 10 this year but you know i mean that that's pretty bad halfway through a year so um yeah so well that's a 2020 rundown once again um yeah nice little re- mid-year recap right yeah gotta do it i guess fuck it's just so disappointing I, I i mean i just i feel like this one's shaping up to be the worst the worst year in so long i 100 percent agree with you i mean we say that a lot that you know at the beginning of the year that it's not really doing well but i actually mean it this time like this year is not doing well and i uh, i mean there were a lot of films scheduled for release that got pushed back so that definitely factors in but oh, yeah. I mean, you're starting a new decade here, and if this isn't the worst year for the decade, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> <You're> right <laughs> for the next ten years. I mean, we have considered what's been going on in the world and all that type of stuff, but still, come on. You know, there was a lot of movies that were finished and done and stuff. Where the fuck are they? I know. So I know. it's just it's I wonder very. If we'll still odd. get Halloween Kills. Oh. You know, man, I, I honestly don't even care. I really, really don't. I actually saw someone I just posted can't it. Not be excited for Halloween, even though I'm with you, and I think that Halloween. It's called Hall. That that's so annoying. It's literally called Halloween. Um, that film wasn't Halloween 18. I guess wasn't uh, wasn't what I wanted. So, no. but I'm I'm just still hopeful that maybe this one will be. Well, I mean it. If anything, it's made me appreciate um, Rob Zombie's two 
version so much more. It's going to be no Especially Turkish. Part two. It's going to be no Turkish Loomis, that's for sure. But <laughs> oh, I, I Matt, I know, right? I mean, Halloween eighteen just fuck dude it makes you want to go back and watch and it, it, for me it's not even forcing me to go back and watch halloween 2 because i became a fan of it i mean right. we told the story many many times and we've seen it so many fucking times that we have this appreciation for it you know and yeah. like i saw it in the theater and walked out scratching my head going what the fuck just happened right and you know and i can see why people just don't want to revisit after one watcher kind of thing but once you watch it yeah. a couple times, it's it's there, man. It's there. But yeah, Halloween 18. Oh, my God. See, that, that, and that's the thing. Like, I, I really just can't get on board with that. And then having these two other sequels that are coming, I'm like, how much more wretched is this shit going to turn into? Like, what what's it going to do? Mm-hmm. I'm still going to watch them. I mean, they're franchise movies. I mean, you got to check them out. They're, they're Halloween films and shit. But I don't know, dude. I don't know. After that little abomination, but fucking Halloween fans are just screaming. <laughs> screaming right. at the fucking jury now. I mean, there there are a good bit of people that do agree with us too, but yeah, there there's definitely like a lot of lovers of that film. Oh yeah, there's I, people that say that it's the best since the original. <sighs> what the fuck? <laughs> no, I can't. I can't, man. I can't. But those are also those are also the same people that say Halloween three fucking blows. So fuck Probably. off. <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway. Yeah, man, we should uh, we should probably get into the show. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, very excited to talk some tales from the crypt here. Thank you, Vitaly. This is going to be fun. Yeah, let's do this. And now. Feature presentation. Yo, who this? Yo, Moods, it's your boy, the ill-mented funky child, calling you to remind you that the featured reviews on this episode contain spoilers. Aw, yeah, man, that's right, brother. Thanks for the heads up, player. Now go back to being an unproductive asshole. Fuck you. I tell your listeners to stop being so dumb, silly, sensitive. Yeah. I look into the future, my darlings. And for you, I see something grotesque. It will sicken and disgust you. It's me. <laughs> Tonight's tale is a sickening Stab at suspense about a gold digger who wanted big bucks to buy baubles and bangles. Look out, Kathy. I see you just might buy the big one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tales from the Crypt Season 2. It is finally here. Yeah, five years after the original season uh review which is just insane i believe that was that was in the episode like 56 or something like that yeah i was trying to think uh about when we uploaded that one before we got on here and i i was like it has to be like five six years ago but yeah i was pretty much october bang on with that. 27th 2015 
yeah, a lot of people have asked us to come back and, you know, do actually a lot of people said do Tales from the Crypt. And I'm like, actually, we did season one. It was a long <laughs> time ago. So they're like, uh-huh. well, fuck it, then do season two. And, you know, we just been kind of, you know, busy with other shows, Patreon and stuff like that. But uh, we're putting this one together. And um, yeah, it's Tales from the Crypt, man. I'm excited. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember as a child. And I'm not sure how much we've talked about this on the previous episode because it was like five years ago but i remember as a child loving this show i mean it the season two came out in 1990 uh the the first episode here we're going to talk about came out on april 21st 1990 isn't that crazy it's almost it's almost 30 years to the day like it is depending on what time zone you're in right now it's april 20th or 19th Yes, that's yeah, really true. Like right like, now, it's April twentieth. This isn't even planned so, that we're wow, doing this. Pretty much on the thir- dude, that is crazy. <laughs> pretty much on the thirtieth anniversary of season two, we're starting this, and uh, that wasn't even planned. I just happened to note that when I was wow. when I was looking at the dates, I was like, "Holy shit!" I'm like, "That's trippy." That's like today. Really, that strange. is weird, man. And you know, it came out in 1990, a, a year before I was, bo- or you know, season two came out in 1990, a year before I was born, mm-hmm. um, and I. But I remember, like, dude, I have memories of being, like, four years old, like, three three or four years old watching this because my my aunt and uncle lived in the house that I bought, and I remember they only lived there till like, 93 or something like that or 94, but I remember being in that house in the upstairs bedroom, like, with them watching Tales from the Crypt, and uh, it always, like, the, the intro, dude all and i'm sure you'll play it at some point in, in this episode always got me dude it just the the it, it creeping down through the the man the mansion castle thing and mm-hmm. into the damn crypt and and just him popping up and he's like <laughs> it's whatever whole, it's that whole evil dead camera work and you know it, i don't know how long it's been for you but i actually haven't revisited tales from the crypt in probably about three or four years i me and carly watched the first season when i first met her uh and i haven't watched it since then other than when we did it in 2015 but you know just that intro again and and the the beginning and the end book ends with the crypt keeper it's even in 2020 you know 30 years later that puppeteering the way his eyes move and the eyebrows and the cheekbones and the jawline some of the best puppeteering work I've ever seen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, man. And I mean, John Kaiser as the voice of uh, the, the Crypt Keeper is like amazing. So perfect. 100%. I, I love this show so much. And I remember in, I think, probably around 2012 or so when I met you, I actually bought all, I think there's seven seasons, all seven seasons and, and worked my way through them and, yeah. you know, watched them them all except for the the last season i didn't watch any episodes of the last season the last season is still sealed on my shelf i've never touched it you know what's you know what's actually kind of funny about that because i can't remember if tales from the crypt moved to the uk in season six or if it was it was just season seven okay so season seven actually has a completely different feel to it it's really strange because they use like british actors at times and and Mm -hmm. there's just something off about it and it's you know you can just tell the difference between the american production to the to the uk production and honestly the the season the seventh season 
um, I'm pretty thankful that they actually wrapped it up if they were going to continue production in the UK at that point because those episodes are definitely the weakest points of the entire franchise is yes. season and seven. Yeah, that's one of the things that I one of the reasons why I never opened season seven. Uh, just because I always wanted to end on like you know good tales from the crypt, um, even though the series does end on a high note, the last episode ever, the three little pigs, is a good episode. No, I mean there is good episodes, you know, <clears throat> but uh, you can just you just notice a difference in it. You know, it's just there's something about the way the production is, and it's probably the actors too. Because I mean, throughout the early episodes, like there's just so many character actors in every single episode, and you know, oh. and and the directors that were used and stuff. And we'll get into that specifically as we go mm-hmm. through this. But uh, you know, sometimes there was like some first time directors, and then there was seasoned veterans who had directed, you know, you know, bona fide classic films. It, it was just a it was just a brilliant series for that because it, it was like one of those series where people were like. Hey man, you know, Agent McConaughey. Hey, do you want to do an episode of Tales? Hell yeah, I want to do an episode of Tales of the Crypt, man, because <laughs> yeah, everybody dude. was doing it, man. It was like you had every big name at the time and just tons and tons of character actors. Like people, when you watch, you know, an episode and you're like, dude, I know like everybody in this episode. They're from like a million different things. I love that yep. about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's always awesome seeing the the faces and and things like that. And you know, as as time goes on i've always wanted there to be like something like this that just kind of brought everybody together again and honestly the the key to tales from the crypt though is honestly like the stories are good for the most part the stories are good and that really helps with making all the other um you know confetti the sprinkles on top with all the directors and actors and writers and stuff having them all cool too wouldn't matter if there weren't good stories so that's that's the thing too Mm -hmm. you know good effects it's it's just good all around i mean there's really nothing bad about tales from the crypt and even even some of the bad some of the not so good episodes of the first you know couple seasons are still you know passable oh yeah they're they're, Um, they're, they're still definitely better than a lot of stuff that they do today i mean i'm always entertained i mean like i said it's only when you get to the seventh season where you're just you kind of feel let down even by some of the episodes you're like ah i don't know yeah, but, you know that's a long ways away. But uh, yeah, we're starting off uh, Tales from the Crypt season two. Yeah, um, eighteen episodes, I believe. Which actually is coming out. The first season was more of like a teaser season, as you can tell. I think there was only six episodes in the first season. Yeah, it it was like back when they used to do pilot seasons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you so, know what I mean. Yeah, so they Instead do. of just a pilot episode, they would do a pilot season to see how it went. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I remember watching Tales from the Crypt like the first season. I was really young, but you know, and back in those days, HBO was a big fucking deal, man. Dude, right? like HBO if- was a big deal for years in the 90s i remember oh, yeah. like when you you knew somebody that had hbo or you had it yourself mm-hmm. like it was awesome because that was like you would not be able to see a lot of movies you know it, it wasn't as simple as the internet is today like if you missed in the theater you know you were waiting two years before it came on tv or you know to the video store but sometimes hbo would get it way earlier oh absolutely man absolutely and um yeah, man. I mean, I was one of the lucky people that had HBO. It wasn't exactly legal, but I had HBO. <laughs> I was one of those people as well, but we, not super early, a little bit later. Yeah, like we had we had friends that had friends that, you know, had black boxes and that could hook them up. And you knew Jim Carrey and the cable guy, essentially. Yeah, pretty much, man. So we <laughs> had HBO for years for free. It was amazing. And uh, I'm thankful for that because 
you know, I got to watch these Tales from the Crypt episodes when they were airing and stuff, and it's amazing. But HBO was always like a special thing. I'm like, I'm watching HBO tonight. It's like you have friends or sleepovers and stuff. You're watching Dream on. You're just waiting for the titties to pop out and stuff, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like HBO was the best channel ever. It was awesome. Because in those days, like cable was pretty tame. Like you didn't get anything like that. HBO was the shit. And Tales from the Crypt was one of its star shows. And um, it really really starts to show with this second season too. Well, the thing about Tales from the Crypt is it it even does this, you know, it has violence and 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 nudity, uh, and you didn't get that with any yeah. horror anthologies that were on at the time, right? Yeah. Like because yeah. it was they were all on like ABC or you know NBC or whatever. So this was this is horror for adults, and you know we we talk about the '90s and we're going to talk about the '90s a lot more, mm-hmm. uh, but. Tales from the Crypt is one of the amazing bright spots of 90s. Even though it started in 89, it primarily ran its course through the 90s and it's one of the one of the Mount Rushmore-esque things of the of 1990s horror in, in my opinion. Yeah, it's definitely one of the standout ones for sure. I mean, most of the other, I think this is probably the only one that was on cable. I mean, really, all the other ones were general TV, right? Like Monsters and and uh, Tales from the Dark Side and stuff. Those were anthology horror based series but a little bit more tamer tales from the crypt always stuck out because of its you know just it was essentially rated r to the pg versions that you were seeing on just general network television so Mm -hmm. it's amazing absolutely amazing um but uh yeah we might as well kick this off here uh with episode one which is directed by howard dutch um He's actually known for directing Pretty in Pink. That's how I. That's what I knew him from. He also directed like The Great Outdoors, Grumpy Old Men, um, The Odd Couple Two, The Replacement, so on and so on. Um, if you do notice a trend there, not horror. <laughs> he didn't direct. Yeah, yeah. Horror. Which they've done that. They've done that a lot. And and it's, yeah. it's kind of funny when you go through these episodes and you look at some of the directors and stuff. Like even like Zemeckis and you know some of those guys weren't generally like exploitation or horror directors that did some of these episodes that did such a really good job. But this is like an exception, you know. Like it's just crazy. Like so many. Like I don't even. I'd like to know how they got their jobs, right? Because if you have this history of directing like John Hughes movies and you're like, hey man, you want to do an episode of Tales from the Crypt? It's like, where does that come from? Yeah, I just think it's like respected friends and talent in the industry just intertwined and working together it reminds me of like the tarantino crew and stuff like that that you just get these people that are like all associates and oh i got my my boy andy walk walk will rate this one or whatever mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and uh which andy walk walk whatever however you say his name he's primarily stuck with tv his entire career writing yeah. and directing tv uh the the this particular episode was based on shock suspense stories number six which you often see in the tales from the crypt they're very rarely actually based on a tales from the crypt story yeah that's true more so so it's a vault of horror or shock suspense stories but tales from the crypt just seem to have the coolest name so that's where uh and of course these are all based on comic book uh stories from the ec comics in the 50s i believe yeah um yeah. and updated for you know modern at the time audiences but uh this one aired april 21st 1990 so 1990 yeah i was 10 years old man um so synopsis on this one 
Kathy wants a rich and successful life and fast. She visits a medium who tells her that she will meet a man who will inherit a lot of money and die in a violent way soon after. When she meets grossly overweight Charlie, who informs her of his rich relative, she promptly marries him. So this one right here is starring, again, a lot of faces, man. It's got pretty young Demi Moore in it. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor, who plays the fat Charlie character, which I have to admit that the makeup in this is just phenomenal. Like, he Dude, literally I, looks like he's fucking ginormous. Like, it's amazing. I, I, I was going to ask you because I don't really know who the actor is. Is So he's not a fat dude? No, 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 no. He's not even cl- Jeffrey Tambor, man, that's, that dude's been in everything, man. He probably has a couple hundred probably don't recognize him because of so i was just gonna say he probably has a couple hundred acting credits it says 209 on here so i was pretty much right he's one of those dudes you see in everything man he's just he's just one of those great actors that just does everything kind of thing um troy evans is in this as the uh, as the club owner or the club worker whatever he's in fucking everything also um mm-hmm. he was in like fear and loathing las vegas and shit like that uh, but that again, you know, starting out with season one with all these type of guys that you see in everything, uh, great cast and stuff. So, um, yeah. Thoughts on this one? Uh, so uh, this was actually one of my favorite episodes um, growing up. I, I remember this episode quite well. I always forget that it's the opening to season two because if you remember back in season one, uh, the open the opening episode was. Um, well, it depends. So it was the man who was death is technically the opening episode, but there's debate on whether all, and all through the house aired first. So, um, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I, I don't know. This episode was one that I always really liked, and one of the reasons I, I always liked it was because of Jeffrey Tambor's performance. Like he he grosses me out for one. But he like the end of this episode has always scared me. By the way, I'm assume spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, in, these are 25 to 27, 28 minute kind of shorts, right? Yeah. So. But it's just a very memorable episode for me. I always remember, you know, Demi Moore's character, who I really like. Um, her as an actress in this role too. You know, this gold digger, which you get a lot of gold digger stories. But I have it's it's because they work really well. That's the and common the fortune- theme in this in this uh, yeah. the first two episodes. <laughs> yeah, and the fortune teller uh, with her little Jack Russell named Trotsky. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, she was I, actually in um, uh, Christmas Vacation. I know she's in Christmas Vacation. Yeah, but, she is. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know Charlie Mon Marno or whatever. You know Demi Moore got her accent going and stuff, and yeah. and Charlie is comes on super strong. But like, you almost kind of feel bad for him at times too. You know what I mean? Because he like he's like trying he's super hard, man. Like for somebody of his appearance, he's trying way too hard because it's almost laughable, right? Like, are you kidding me? Like, look at Demi Moore, right? And look at oh, yourself. Yeah. It's like, dude, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, but you have this sort of, um, you know, the, she she has these run-ins with him at first, where she doesn't want to accept that this is the guy, and you know, the fortune teller tells her basically, hey, you know, you're gonna meet this, you're gonna get fired from your job, and then you're gonna get rehired in the same day. Well, at, at first she goes to this medium, and then the medium starts talking to her, and she's like, ah, oh, fuck, whatever. She's not really believing this, the medium, to a, a certain extent. Anyway, she goes back to work and she was told by the medium that she was going to get fired and then she gets fired. So then she rushes back and she's like, Oh shit, this stuff really happened, man. You know, blah, blah, blah. And then she gets all kind of more into it 
And uh, yeah, and the medium collects twenty dollars each time. Exactly. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and you know, of course, uh, Demi Moore is only in this for the the money, one hundred percent. So she wants to know right away, like, is the, is this guy actually going to get money? So she he asks like. All, she asked casually, like, "Hey, is uh, you know, there anybody like rich in your family or anything?" Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, well, my uncle, but yeah, I haven't talked to him in forever." So, you know, you think that it's going to be like something to do with the uncle, but the way that it it wraps up and reveals, you know, it's a good twist. It's a it's a nice little twist. Obviously, obviously, you've seen it before. You're gonna know where it's going, or maybe you kind of expect you know when these things usually end in a twist you'll probably see something along those lines but i thought it was a nice little twist because everything she said was true it just happened in a way that yeah that that demi moore did not expect obviously it's funny because she tells demi moore the way it's supposed to go down but she knows the honest truth though she really yes exactly so that's even that's even more that it's like kind of like a double twist in a sense right (laughs) yeah he will inherit a great fortune yeah and then he will die (laughs) and it's so true because he inherited a great fortune because demi moore (laughs) won all this money (laughs) yeah I, did, I love I love the progression of this because it comes out of the blue too. Like she just goes shopping one day and then she's like the million shopper at this the supermarket or whatever, and she wins a million yeah, and dollars. It was You're like, like some kind of coin operated, yeah, um, like sandwich thing where in the glass you don't see those anymore. But I remember when no, I was a kid, I'd no. see them every once in a while. But they have the like hot meals like behind a glass, and they would spin around, and you would pick your number or whatever, and open the little door. Mm-hmm. She goes to one of those things and wins a million dollars, which is such a high amount considering. Well, yeah, man, for the time, like 19, like 1990 million. That's crazy, man. $1990 million. And the fact that it's like this coin operated, like hot pocket type mail. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I, I gotta say, man, I love the fucking part where, you know, when they first kind of meet at the club and stuff and, you know, he's like coming on real, real strong and shit. And he's like, she starts walking away from him when he's talking to her and stuff. And she's like, Oh, I, I get it. I get it. It's like, you know, you, you're playing hard to get. And she like, kind of pauses playing for hard to get. And she's like, she pauses and she's like, nah, I'm playing impossible to get. <laughs> Dude. And Demi Moore has got that. Set. Like I can listen. If I was Charlie Marno, I would have, <laughs> I would have an insatiable quest and thirst for Demi Moore as well, because she's yeah. sassy. And I like that. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a dude who likes to like it would almost makes me like want them more that they're like playing hard to get, you know what I mean? But she's obviously playing impossible to get. <laughs> well they, they they give her some great lines in this man. They really did give her some great lines. So later on they're they're uh you know, they're starting oh, this she, the one, she's my coming, favorite. She's my coming favorite. she's he coming says, she's coming to like conclusion. Like she starts to kind of see him a little bit and he's like, Yeah, yeah, I know I'm a little overweight and she's like, Yeah, and Hitler's a little anti Semitic. <laughs> That was my favorite one. That was my favorite one. Just the way she does, man. Like, man, the writers must yeah, have been howling. Yeah, a little right. anti-Semitic. They must have been howling writing those lines. I was like, those are fucking brilliant lines. Man. Oh, dude, it's written so well. And, you know, like, like even in the very end where, you know, he's, she's like, you know, I'm like, here, take this. Dude, she goes hard on him. 
she's like, wash that stinking body you call a sewer of yours. You well, know? How, about, like, how about before that when she's out with her friend eating lunch and stuff and, and she's dr- like the dream sequence of how he's going to die? She's fantasizing, fantasizing about, him about dying, how he's going to die. And he's fucking, it's so funny too, man. He's like crossing the street and he gets nailed by this huge fucking rig. And then like this huge <laughs> body just like goes flying everywhere. And then all of a sudden, and then she's like, well, maybe he gets run over. And then this other truck comes and runs him over. <laughs> yeah. And she's like. <laughs> She's like, he's disgusting, and he, he's just stuffing the meat in his mouth, and he starts choking on a piece. Dude, that of scene is like, disgusting, oh, too, man. Dude. It's fucking gross. <laughs> it's almost as bad as, like, the fucking, the, when they're eating their Chinese food. And he's like, you know what I hate about Chinese food? And she's like, what? She's like, get what? hungry yeah, 20 hungry. minutes later? <laughs> and, he's, and he starts laughing, like, hysterically, and he's like, yes! He's <laughs> like, you know me so well. You know me so Dude, well. Dude, and how creepy is it when he's like, you know... He 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 gives it. He's like, "Do you feel that? You feel that?" And he starts waving his hands back and forth. Yeah. Like he's he's oblivious to the the real world, man. And yeah. it, clearly, she's just way out of his league. And and she uh, and he doesn't even have money, which is normally how those type of guys would get, you know, a demi more. Exactly. But just I think this is a great episode. It's it's a it's one that I've always liked one that i always think about when i think it tells from the crypt so well me too man and like i said the, the thing that's memorable obviously demi moore's and that's kind of cool because she's super hot even though i wish she had longer hair in this i'm a more of a long hair type guy but jeffrey tambor man just kills this episode he's so memorable because he's so fucking disgusting man but like i said you know the effects on him you know making him that huge like it legitimately looks like he's just super obese in his face oh they fattened it up and they made crevices and it's like his nose is all fucked up and big and bent and shit. It's weird, man. It's excellent. Yes. Yeah. And he has like the little craters on the side of his cheeks and stuff like that. Just, Just that wetting off. They did such stuff. a good job, you know, like, I mean, you know, these episodes didn't have like billion dollar budgets and shit, but they did very good with what they had though. For sure. And even like the scene where she, after they get married and she's like, now I like, she's like, I was able to play this off for so long, but now I actually have to have sex with this guy to actually make it like work yeah and she's like out there like just mortified like just does not want to go into the room and stuff and you're like you feel bad for her that she has to do that but then you're like wait she's a piece of shit you know what i mean so like yeah you don't feel bad it, it, there's really i really don't feel too like you, you're supposed to feel bad a little bit for charlie but at the same time you're like dude you should know better so it's it's kind of just like you wait to see what happens i guess the like it's been going on for months like and every time they go to have sex like she has a fucking headache and just got to pop those aspirins and shit like come on man like you you gotta you gotta understand what she's trying to do here man but But, yeah great episode it is it is really really good man absolutely love that episode so um, yeah, it, definitely a high standard because we'll, we'll probably rank these all when we're done with them. But yeah, we're not going to individually rate these because shorts are actually hard to rate. They are. That's where I think the five point rating works best. It's funny. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I have like tentative ratings on these, but I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm like, it's half an episode or like a third of an episode. Why not like a five star rating kind of thing, right? But yeah, either way, man. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll just uh, when we finish the sixteen episodes, we'll or no, there's eighteen in the season. Yep, 18. we'll uh, we'll just do a quick ranking, which is 
kind of like 18 episodes ranked is pretty crazy actually i know but i'm curious to see where they line up though because uh i i, I didn't really look ahead and see what episodes are in this season you know i see the next couple or whatever but i'm trying to like you know i'm the same really way man i always forget like I, I remember specific episodes but I, I couldn't tell you what season they're in or what uh you know what episode or whatever but mm-hmm. i mean it doesn't even matter shit yeah it doesn't matter so <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's episode one, Dead Right. Uh, great episode. Great episode. I agree. Kathy, she did buy the big one. And that Charlie was a cut-up. Still, he wasn't sad in the end. You see, when Charlie got his just desserts, he requested seconds. <laughs> and now, I predict the future. Next week... You'll be in the same time, same place, same station, for another hideous, hateful hall of horror. Welcome, horror hooligans. This is your shiver chef. It's disgusting what people will do to stay young. What's the matter with you? You want to keep that 90-pound corpse for the rest of your death? Keep pumping. I tell the story. Tonight's story is about an old man who finds a new wrinkle in the fountain of youth. A twisted tale that we call the switch. Okay, so moving into episode two, which is titled The Switch, directed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> what is he from? I never heard of him. <laughs> like, so random. This was actually the very first thing that Arnold Schwarzenegger ever directed. It's it's pretty random, to be honest. Like, I mean, he only ever directed one other thing in his career, which is a movie called Christmas in Connecticut uh, that came out in 1992. It was a TV film, so, you know, he wasn't really doing much behind the camera and stuff, but Again, I'd like to know the story on why he was either picked or maybe just volunteered to direct an episode. I don't know. I'd like to know the story on that, actually. It's pretty interesting. Because yeah, I, I just can't see Arnold Schwarzenegger directing. Like, doesn't it just seem odd to you for him to be... I don't know, man. He just seems like that dude. Yeah, be, yeah. It, 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 it seems odd, but at the same time, it surprises me that he hasn't done more in his long career well that's that's the thing i mean a lot of people in hollywood you know do their whole careers either you know just acting or doing produce whatever they don't branch out and do other things i mean he started to like in 1990 and then 1992 and then he didn't do anything else that was it yeah and then the writers um are michael tav and richard tugel um michael hasn't really done much ever um and then richard uh has done pretty much nothing either except for he wrote the screenplay for escape from alcatraz and then this and tightrope and that's it <laughs> random it's, it's it's so random the, some of the people that are involved in this like there's some stars but there's also just like random people that you're like how the hell um so this one was uh tales from the crypt number 45 was the comic book and this was actually uh april 21st 1990 as well so um 
you know, a little spoiler here. Uh, the the first three episodes all aired on April twenty first. Yeah, so that's cool. it seems like they did a, a three episode block, which is kind of an interesting way to start your series uh your season premiere which it, it, i would appreciate if that happened yeah you know, no, more often uh, no I'm shit down with that <laughs> no shit and this one this episode right here is starring william hickey who um of course has been in like millions and millions of things you know uh, the thing he always sticks out for for me and it's so weird because he's only in it for like five minutes puppet master three the puppet master one Oh, in Puppet master one yeah not three well i don't know why it's yeah. three but yeah, yeah exactly i know right yeah, yeah. it's random <laughs> at the beginning it, it is random. The beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I always just remember him shooting himself where, cause the, he shoots himself and then the blood spatter on the back is delayed yeah. and it comes a little bit later. Just, it's not much yeah. later, but if you've seen it a couple times, it's a little bit later. Yeah. yeah. Traditional full moon style. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, the opening to this one, uh, has, you know, which is just funny. Like the crypt keepers, like, lifting weights of like a barbell with two skulls on the end of it and Arnold Schwarzenegger looking jacked in 1990 is like you know chill out while I you know tell the story oh you know what I was actually even th- yeah I, I like the fact that Arnold Schwarzenegger actually did like a, a cameo appearance in that too but um uh Rick Rossovich who plays the younger version of um William Hickey in this uh actually was in the Terminator so he actually worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger before Oh, I bet you I wouldn't be surprised if Schwarzenegger himself, you know, oh, he, picked that guy or something. Exactly. I mean, there's usually a lot of connections when you've done a lot of work and stuff, but I always remember him from Top Gun Slider, which I'm not really a big fan of Top Gun, but I do remember him from that movie. It's just that dude. He just looks like a douche. He just has that douchey look to him, man. Yeah. I don't know. And of course, this one's also starring Kelly Preston, who is uh, known for being married to, yeah, uh, married to John Travolta. Um, of course. Mom, John won't come out of the closet. (laughs) (laughs) I love that shit, man. Uh, So pretty interesting cast in this one, too. Um, Quick little synopsis. Uh, A wealthy and elderly man subjects himself to a revolutionary new treatment in order to please his his gold digger girlfriend. Unfortunately, becoming young again turns out to be very expensive. Um... (laughs) This episode always makes me laugh, too, because it's got, like, an incredibly hilarious twist to it. I just think it's so fucking funny, and it's almost mean, man. I don't know what it is. It's just crazy. But This episode's goofy. Like, this, I, I th- for some reason, this episode always stands out to me. Maybe it's because of the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing, but it's not one of my favorites. And it, it's it, just very stupid it's and not, silly. It's not and- one of mine, either. And, like, this is why i am always been so confused about this episode, because Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, up to this point, really hadn't done a lot of comedy in his career and mm-hmm. or horror, right? So yeah. <laughs> he kind of combines the two and does, like, a horror comedy. I mean, I know he'd done Twins just previously with uh, Danny DeVito and stuff, but, you know, I mean, you can argue the Terminator's horror. But, uh, you know, I mean, th- this episode just comes across so strange to me. The way it's it, it is super goofy. Like William Hickey's character is not really the goofiest, but it's the fucking doctor in this man. <laughs> the doctor is <laughs> Roy super <Bronson>. goofy, <laughs> and the effect. Like we talk about how great effects are and stuff, but it's just like the concept behind it, right? Like, okay, I'm gonna re- replace your entire face. Okay, now I'm gonna replace your entire torso. 
Like, yeah. it's like, wait, you're going to replace the entire torso, like, but you're going to leave the legs. It's just, it, it, it is ludicrous, this episode. So basically, yeah, so he goes to this, like, this doctor from Eastern Europe who's perfected, you know, doing, like, actual human face transplants on people and shit, right? So so he's explaining to him, he's like, yeah, this is what it's, you know, this is what it's going to cost. It's going to cost you $1 million for me to make your face look really young again. And he's like, then he starts to explain to him, to William Hickey, he's like, well, the, actually, the operation only costs about a hundred thousand dollars, and uh, he's like, "Well, where's the other nine hundred going?" And he's like, uh, "To the person." <laughs> yeah, somebody <laughs> got to donate their damn face, right? So I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, "What the fuck? This guy's donating his face, but he's fucking getting nine hundred thousand dollars." I'm like, "What the fuck?" So of course, you know, he gets this done, and he does. He has like this young face, and his face now is Rick Rossovich, right? dude. <laughs> <laughs> and so he goes to Kelly Preston's character, which is her name's Linda, and she's like, "Oh yeah, but you know, you're still all old and decrepit and shit." Right? So he and he's like, his, So he repeats this process, right? He goes back, gets his whole torso done, and then he fucking blows another fucking million dollars or something like that. And then this is where it gets really funny to me because. There's a scene where, you know, he's at the beach and then, of course, he comes out and he's like all beautiful head and buff body and he's got these really small, <laughs> shitty old man legs. And so he's like, like these skinny chicken legs <laughs> with these wrinkles and they're all white and shit. So he goes, and I'm just like, of course. So he goes back to the, doctor. I, the first thing, of course, I'm thinking is like, okay, so he got old man dick and balls too. Right? So then he's like, yo, man, he's like, that's this is going to cost you about a million dollars a leg. And he's like, one, two, three million. He's like, what? No, he's like, you know, you got to replace the most important part that she's really going to be looking out for, obviously talking about his penis. Yeah. So he's like, three million? It didn't even make any sense. So his head cost a million, but then his legs and dick cost three million. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, these prices are ridiculous. But both of his arms, you know, and the whole torso was fine. <laughs> this is like absolutely fucking Dude, ridiculous. But it's, fu- it's funny because you're like, He's like, that's all my money. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, I'll have nothing. And then, like, dude, I'm not joking. Like, (laughs) this one always is weird to me because, like, typically you have, like, a, a, you know, a person that you can identify who's going to get their comeuppance, right? Like, Hmm. like, this person's bad and they're going to get what's coming to him in the end. There's really nobody in this one. Like, William Hickey's not a bad guy. I mean, I guess the lesson is, like, you know, don't value your money and don't try to buy love essentially you know yeah, what I don't mean? buy like, love don't don't be stupid man like yeah dude, but just... it's it's you feel bad for him because he's like really not he's just like, like following his heart you know he's he's not even really doing anything wrong i just I, I every time i watch this episode i always get tricked out about the voices like william hickey's voice dude, over fucking oh Ro- rick rossovich's <laughs> face and it's just and it's perfectly dubbed too, and it's so fucking stupid because it's, it's like this old it man. It looks voice. like he has the same mannerisms where he moves his <laughs> mouth. It's fucking, it's fucking creepy, dude. I swear, it's so creepy. <laughs> uh, I still think the one part in this where I'm just like, ah, oh, man, I don't know, it cracks me up, man, but. So when William Hickey, which is his name is Carlton Webster, and he's talking to the doctor, and this is about his legs and his penis transplant and stuff, and the fucking doctor is eating, like, this cured meat, and he's just, like, hacking it up, and he's eating it, and it's, like, everywhere all over the desk and shit. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I don't know why that shit just cracks me up, man, because it's, like, he keeps cutting off pieces. He keeps cutting off pieces, but there's, like, 20 on the table already everywhere. I'm like, oh, my God, this shit's so goofy. I also think about, like, wonder what, you know what uh 
good old um, Rick Rock Rossovich looks like with William Hickey's head in the first transplant <laughs> with his like chiseled body. And William Dude, I was head. thinking the same thing. They don't thing. show it, but I was thinking the exact same thing, man. <laughs> Oh, uh, dude, this episode is just a weird one. It's it's not one of my favorites, but even what we were saying earlier, like it's still like kind of fun and funny. Like it's it, there's nothing wrong. Like it's even if you don't love it, it's tw- it's like 24 minutes and it's, it's gone. <laughs> I just love the part where he's doing chin-ups and it almost looks like a jail fucking workout <laughs> gym. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's doing these fucking these fucking uh, chin-ups and shit, and he's like, looking. oh, man, it's just so fucking goofy, man. Because all you're thinking is, like, this is William Hickey. This is his old man, and he's doing uh, these ridiculous chin-ups, man. It's so stupid. Oh, God. And, and but, of course, by the end, uh, the woman leaves <laughs> leaves him for a rich old dude who is, yeah, who so is he, Rick Brock. <laughs> so he shows up. He shows up to, like, present his full transformed body to Linda, and, of course... <laughs> Rick Rosovich, who's now the old, or the fucking old Carlton Webster, she's with him. She got married because she wants to be with a rich old man <laughs> or rich guy. Yeah, she don't care. He's old because he's rich. So you're like, if William Hickey would have just been like, "Yo, I'm rich, but I'm old," you yeah. know, <laughs> it's like it's almost like a ridiculous twist, but at the same time, it's so funny. It is absolutely oh, yeah. funny as hell. Oh man. And he's still probably going to die in like two years. Probably. <laughs> he's still technically old. He's he all looking old. Here he's all looking young, but he's like fucking super <laughs> ancient. Uh, how, 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 when did William Hickey die anyway? Uh, a few years after this, I think in 97. 97. Actually. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't, he was only 69. He definitely looked a lot older than he was. Cause I, yeah, this he would have been 62. Like, yeah. Like, no, he, yeah. Yeah. 62. Dang, looks, he, he definitely that, looks a lot older than, yeah. um, you know, that is crazy, uh, man. Yeah. Cause he does. He yeah. looks like he's in his late seventies in this and he's like in his early sixties. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But he was in, he was in a ton of stuff. I, I've seen him so many times and just different oh, things. He's in so much stuff, man. Um, I don't know if we can find the movie, the rune stone. I know he's in that from 91. Oh yeah. <laughs> which I've never actually seen before, but, uh, yeah, I know he's in Jerky Boys. He's in a he's in a bunch of things I've seen, man. Yeah, but, he's in freaking Christmas Vacation, dude. Yeah, he is in yeah he's in Christmas Vacation. Yep, which is well, there's another odd connection between these two: Gold Diggers and uh, Christmas Vacation. Strange. Rune <laughs> on YouTube, by the way. Man, the fucking that scene where they're at the beach there, Kelly Preston in her Baywatch swim in her swimsuit. Yeah, sexy, sexy man. She looked really good in that. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, you know, it not not my favorite episode, but again, it's fun. It's funner to talk about, honestly. <laughs> it is because it's just so goofy. I don't know why I find the him eating that cured salami so funny, but just I don't know. It's because he's like getting more excited as, as he says million dollars. <laughs> I think yeah. it was just bugging me because he wasn't eating the pieces that were on the fucking table. <laughs> so stupid, <laughs> man. Ah, uh, yeah. All right. So yeah, that is um episode two the switch the switch poor carlton looks like he blew it but no pain no gain i like a body that's nice and strong it's your lucky day fella 
We want to pump you up. <laughs> you know, kiddies, after a night of slithering through the sickening slime of my crawly crypt, I take a tip from the Marquis de Sade. He likes to unwind with a little red-hot poker. <laughs> from my collection of terror tomes is about a couple of real sharpies who'll do anything for a stab at the jackpot. So, ante up, fellas. The game's about to begin. All right, so moving along into episode three, which is called Cutting Cards, and it is directed by Walter Hill. Um... Walter Hill is actually a pretty interesting director, man. He has directed a lot of great kind of action films and stuff. He uh, directed Hard Times with uh, Charles Bronson, uh, The Driver, The Warriors, um, The Long Riders, which is a really cool Western. Uh, Southern Comfort, which we've actually talked about on the show before. Uh, 48 Hours, Streets of Fire, Brewster's Millions, uh, Red Heat, Johnny Handsome, Another 48 Hours, Trespass. Like, this guy's list is... Um, Trespass is my favorite movie that he's done. I love that movie. Yeah, like, he, he really did, you know, a lot of notable kind of action films and stuff. But but oddly enough, he has... Did you say served, The Warriors? Yeah, I said The Warriors. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, oddly enough, he has served as a producer and an executive producer on all the Alien films, including the um, Alien vs. Predator movies, too, so... It's kind of interesting, you know, he dabbled in, you know, doing or not dabbled, but his career was action, but then produced um, a lot of horror when he also produced actually the Tales from the Crypt uh, movies, Demon Knight and Bordello Blood. Wow. And he also directed three episodes of Tales from the Crypt, the first one being the man who was death from season one, the opener. And then he does another one um, in another season. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. Well, of course, because he actually serves as one of the major one of the six main uh, executive producers on the Tales from the Crypt TV show. So, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, that he didn't really do any exact horror movies himself but then got involved with tales from the crypt the the tv show directed a couple episodes and produced alien movies <laughs> yeah and the writer may woods um she didn't really do a whole lot in terms of filmmaking she's worked as like crew members and did a little producing but she wrote three episodes of tales from the crypt that's probably the main thing she's did and this is her first episode so she does two more uh, later in the series you know what he actually even produced ritual the third and unofficial third uh <clears throat> tales from the crypt movie which is interesting wow yeah um, there was i wonder if he produced any of the other um original concepts like i wonder if he produced like peter jackson's frighteners or uh, from Dust Till Dawn, which both at one point were Tales from the Crypt movies in development. Yeah, it doesn't say anything along those lines, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Very interesting uh, career, though. Hmm. This this particular episode uh, was based on an actual Tales from the Crypt story as well. Uh, Tales yeah. from the Crypt number 32. And again, it aired April 21st. So this is the third in the trilogy of episodes that came out on april 21st 1990 and again if depending on what time zone you're in it's uh, the 20th here it's the 21st where jp is so it's actually technically the 30th anniversary of cutting cards <laughs> <laughs> dude that is just bizarre <laughs> it is really bizarre um 
But yeah, getting into the episode here, quick little synopsis. Reno and Sam are a pair of hardcore gamblers who don't play for fun. They challenge each other in simple game of cards, and the end result could be deadlier than when they could have even bargained for. Uh, this episode is starring, you know, the one and only Lance Hendrickson as Reno and his, uh, his, um, the guy that plays Sam is played by Kevin. I don't I think it's Tingy, Tin, Tingy. I, I don't know how to say his name. Properly. I, I've seen him in like a million movies, man. He was, he actually was another 40 hours, but I remember from Roadhouse and stuff too. Um, but yeah, he's got like tons of acting credits also like everybody in Tales from the Crypt kind of thing. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, <laughs> This episode, actually, this episode is kind of interesting, too, because the first two episodes are very standardized, you know, this uh, for time wise, you know, 25, 27 minutes kind of thing. This one's actually shorter than a general, you know, like a sitcom television show on, you know, network television. This one only runs 20 minutes. It feels like a filler episode. It's very strange. It's very- yeah, it's 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 very weird that it's so short. It's, it's so short and to the point and it, it like literally gets right into the point, man, like um like Reno comes back into town into Vegas and uh, he's apparently really broke. He's lost all his money and shit like that. And, you know, he hooks up with Sam again. And of course they go head to head in this battle and, and, yeah. uh, and, and he knows right away when he goes there and everybody's like, Oh, you got to watch out for, uh, you know, whatever the, the character's name is, um, Sam Forney. Fournay. Yeah. And he's like, you don't tell me I got to watch out for Sam Fournay. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, I beat him plenty of times. <laughs> yeah. So he instantly challenges them to game. And I think they're playing like, uh, I want to say they're playing hold them or something like, or five card stud or something like that. And uh, yeah, this is the first. Oh yeah. It goes from dice to cards. And then of course, yeah, uh, it, no, it goes dice, Russian roulette, then back to cards. Don't they play card? No, don't they play cards after the dice and then they go to Russian roulette and then back to cards? Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't maybe, really matter. Maybe they do. Maybe I, they I, do. I think they do, actually. I think they play some. Yeah, they play some no limit, I think, or they play some five card or something like that. But but ultimately, you know, they're they're going back and forth and uh, um, Reno actually wins like the first round and he ends up cutting off uh, Sam's finger. Like, this is what they're playing for, kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so that thing leads to another thing you know they kind of end up tying each other cutting off each other's kind of fingers and shit like that and they can't really settle this they can't settle this so they say fuck this man we're gonna settle this once and for all with a game of russian roulette because you no, know that's after that's before before they they, they do russian roulette then chop poker chop poker is the last thing they do oh yeah that's right yeah i'm totally getting that shit twisted <laughs> that's right that's right because the russian roulette game that's right because they you know they start playing dice they can't settle that shit they go to russian roulette and it turns out that, that uh you know they're willing to die for this they're willing to die and uh it turns out that basically there's like a bum bullet in the gun and they don't resolve anything. They don't resolve anything. So now they're like super pissed. Yeah. You know, like but the way it. that it plays out that particular scene, so first of all, you know, very, very well done scene because if it's your first time seeing it, it's intense, you know, like it's these close ups on their face while they're, while they're about to pull the trigger. And of course, Reno Lance Henriksen, who just kills this role, by the way, uh, he, keeps saying like i gotta think and 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 uh sam is like there's nothing to think about you just have to pull the trigger he's like of course you gotta think you know what i mean he Mm -hmm. takes this gambling and this thing so seriously that he thinks thinking is somehow going to influence 
what's going to happen? And it's it's just a, an interesting little tidbit with that character. And of course, they go back and forth, and each time the odds get lower, right? You know, yeah. first you're you're five to one, and then four to one, and there's got to be know, nothing worse than knowing that there's only two shots left, and the guy fucking clicks. Oh yeah, and then right. you're like, ah oh, shit, man, it's coming back to me. And then and and that's actually the point where he's like, yo, man, I gotta think, I got you know, I gotta fucking, you know, it was like, what the hell are you talking about, dude? Like you're <laughs> fucking, you're done. Like you're pulling the trigger. You're basically literally just committing suicide at this point. So and of course they blame each other. Like like Reno is like, <laughs> yeah, you, you set it up. That's why you wanted to go first. And he's like. Uh, you spun the chamber. How would I know where, you know, where that, how would I know that, you know? (laughs) And, uh, they, they just have this distaste for each other so much, you know, at first they, they're going to play for, you know, money or something, but then he's like, you know what? I want to play for, you know, loser leaves town never to, to be seen again because they both get on each other's nerves so Mm. much. And I've always loved this episode. It just cruises by, though. It's almost like too fast yeah. because these characters, you just want to see them spend time at each other's throats because they hate each other that much. And you get it right off the bat. The performances are fantastic. I remember this always being a favorite of mine. I think this is also a fan favorite episode uh, where it seems like a lot of people consider this one one of the best episodes. You know, it's funny. I never really did. You know, I really? like I like this episode. It's not one of my like personal like. I mean, I like the episode. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's like one of my personal favorites. And so I just find it just runs too quick. Like I actually want more from it. You know, even though because you know it's funny because it, how it runs and you know it only runs twenty minutes, which is usually you know five six seven minutes shorter. But it it's very noticeable. It's very very noticeable. It's super fast pace. It's just over. And uh, but I, I love the end of this episode. It actually kind of cracks me up, <laughs> you know. Yeah, because these two people who hated each other so much are literally like hobbled and stuck together at this point because they lost all their limbs and appendages, and <laughs> they're still at each other's throats, like in this hospital playing checkers with their noses. They can't, they, with their noses, they have to use their noses. And at the end, the fu- the final little little zinger on top of the episode is where he's like, "Pass the gum," and they put their heads together because they, they to pick the the checkers up they got to use the gum and they're holding it on their yeah. foreheads so they literally quite literally these guys who couldn't stand to be near each other are literally glued together with gum at yeah. the end of this episode but and it's, it's just fantastic the irony right <laughs> Man, i think Lan- the performances are so on point with both of these guys lance hendrickson kills it he's in this like cowboy garb and stuff and i can't take him serious in that like he just looks so funny to me man in this cowboy outfit. but he has this like he has this like ridiculous kind of raper mustache too it's just funny man yeah. he just looks so yeah. different in it man yeah and he's like he's like well, you, you drop that redneck cowboy stuff and he's like you ain't got no style or something like that uh you know play to the vein of pretty much what tales from the crypt is all about i mean none of these episodes are super serious they're all tongue-in-cheek but some are more goofy than others but this one is just it's got this level of irony to it that's just it's very funny it's just funny in in more of a subtle way because you know i mean these guys are willing to die over fucking gambling like really yeah and this one particularly uh after the the first two episodes is not a gold digger episode which is, is such a common theme but like this one is literally like these two guys who just hate each other and i guess the moral of the story is you know uh don't hold grudges that hard because uh, well, you both end up an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind if you will 
Yeah, man. Just being that competitive, man. I just, you know, the scene where they're arguing about, you know, that each, you know, they're blaming the other person for the setup in the Russian roulette game. It's, it's so brilliant because these guys are so competitive. Of course, they're going to just result or resort to that, right? You know, yeah. like he fucking purposely, you know, put in a fucking bunk bullet and fucking, you know, he spun. He wanted to go for it. Like shit like that is just so ridiculous. These guys are just now, so ridiculous. There is a, there is a moment in that particular scene that I've really never paid attention to before. But so whenever it's the, uh, Sam's turn, uh, I think like the second or third time, whenever that mm-hmm. car pulls up and is like, Hey, you want me to leave the keys in or whatever? Oh, and the camera he- cuts away from Sam. So you actually, there, there would be opportunity to mess with the bullet at that point had that been what they were thinking. But I always thought that that scene was so weird that that happens. Like, what's the point of having that interrupt? Is it just to interrupt the tension or is it actually to, to put Sam off screen with the gun for opportunity? I don't think so. I, I honestly don't think that there's intent to, you know, have them underlying cheating and stuff. I think it's I think it's just a more a comedic approach to it because here's two guys that are <laughs> being so silly. They're acting like little kids over gambling and shit like that. And this guy rolls up in this nice Cadillac and thinks he's the fucking valet driver. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's a moment of just comedic timing, really. It's just kind of funny because they're standing out in the, where they would be parking cars. <laughs> Right, they playing Russian roulette in the fucking hotel parking lot. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. And you know the 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 two characters in the final you know game that they play the chop poker where they play five card draw and you know the loser loses a finger or something. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that scene is done so well because you know uh, first Reno wins and he's like you know all giddy and happy and stuff and he's like I'm gonna you know which one do you want me to take and and the dude takes off his ring and puts his pinky down and of course he chops it and then the the way that this episode is edited is really good because it cuts away from you know sit, sit the finger and then it cuts back to him to his bloody stump all wrapped up you know it like fades the black it like cuts the black mm. and then it comes back and and he has his finger wrapped up and and it's all bleeding and stuff and then he, like the look on his face is like just, he's just all sweating and perspirating and like shaking and then he loses it again and it does the same thing and he's like it looks like he's like sweating a, a gallon of of sweat at that point mm-hmm. and then of course he finally wins one after losing two fingers and reno the first thing he does he's like all right let me make you a deal sam <laughs> i'll give you <laughs> back like, your finger man he's like i'll give you back your finger we'll have the doctor sew it back on and he's like oh no oh no <laughs> you know what i mean he's like, he, the thrill like he would rather lose his finger permanently then give this guy a chance to not lose one of his fingers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, uh, I mean, the end scene is just too funny, man, with them in the hospital stuck together. It's just, it's actually yeah, kind of a perfect, perfect. ending. It's, it's perfect, perfect because now they yeah. literally can't get away from each other. You know, this uh-huh. is, you guys caused this. So yeah. And, and they have like nothing, like they have no hands, no arms, no feet, no legs, no fingers, They're literally <laughs> just stumps. They're mats. Yeah. Oh, dude! What a horrible! <laughs> it's so funny. It it this is one of the like absurd episodes where it's yeah. just like 
you know, would never happen in a million years, any, anything like that. But it's just, it's it's zany and wacky and awesome. It is fun. It is fun. I, I mean, I had a lot of fun watching it. I actually didn't, like, when it first started, I was like, which one is this? I'm like, oh, it's fucking this one, man. So, Oh, see, this one, as soon as we talked about it, uh, I knew what this episode was. This is this is actually, you know, to... to give a little spoiler of of my list you know this is one of my favorite episodes in the entire series see i mean i say it's not so far i mean i mean fuck we've only watched like you know three the, the, the first like four episodes or the first three episodes kind of thing but like you know i got i you know once we get to the other ones and stuff then we compile you know a ranking and shit I, you know it, it might be there i don't know i don't i, I don't remember. know what's coming up either like you know i haven't previewed it but i do know that this is an episode i hold in such high regard and that's what's interesting about this series in general is you don't but there are so many like every there's so many good episodes that people have there's plenty to be your favorite it's not like some anthologies where it's like everybody has like the same favorite ones yeah yeah for sure absolutely okay so yeah man you got anything else cutting cards nope all right so that is episode three cutting cards i've heard of giving someone the finger but this is ridiculous but at the risk of going out on a limb, I've got to hand it to Krebus and Thorny. They'd do anything to elbow their way to the top. Dinner time! <laughs> Sorry for you. A tacky tropical tale of love and lust, greed and ghouls, and my personal favorite, death. <laughs> but I'm warning you, it's not a pretty picture. So, pack up your passport and prepare for this torrid tale of putrefaction in paradise. I'm sure you'll find it appealing <laughs> moving along into episode four which is titled till death uh directed by chris wales chris wallace i guess that's how you pronounce his name um this guy's kind of interesting too because he only has three directorial credits uh he actually directed the uh the sequel uh to the fly the fly 2 in 1989 uh the remake sequel of course, uh, and he also directed the Vagrants, which is pretty fun. The Bill Paxton movie. <laughs> the Bill Paxton movie. That's all he has for, I, which is a is a favorite of mine of the '90s too. But that's know, that's a weird filmography. It, it is because I think you know I, I'm not really too sure why he got into directing because he actually started most of his career has uh, been done in special effects. He obviously started out working for Roger Corman because he he started on Piranha and he did like you know Star Strike uh, Up from the Dead's human humanoids from the deep and stuff which is all roger corman productions right airplane and shit and then he worked on gremlins he was like one of the creators of the gremlins i uh, worked on the original fly did um he did house Two, fly to arachnophobia curse three which wound up watching for 1991 um worked on naked lunch and stuff but he worked on some pretty cool movies you know which doing is also 91 exactly yeah uh with the david cronenberg oddity <laughs> very very yeah. strange movie but you know the the writer is uh jerry bar Ch- Ch- Chalon, Barchelin, and yeah. Barchelin, and they've done 
pretty much nothing. Um, they've just pretty much wrote a few TV series be- uh, episodes before this, mm-hmm. and that's kind of it. You know, a-, a few a few producer credits. One being Street Fighter, which is weird. <laughs> going down the rabbit hole of of people associated with tales from the crypt will lead you to many strange places yeah really well it really will okay so getting into the synopsis (laughs) oh real quick this one was from vault of horror 28 and it aired just three days after yeah i wanted to mention that i wanted to mention that what's with that why three days after like you think these that these shows would be weekly. Cause I remember even shows like dream honest. I, I just remember them being weekly, but mm-hmm. I don't know three days after that just seems odd. I, I guess HBO didn't have as much programming back in those days. I'm like, well, we've got this show. Let's play it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very weird because it, it does go weekly after that. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Don't know what's yeah, going maybe, on. Maybe, maybe what they did was they wanted the premiere to be on a specific like night of the week. And then, they needed they you know did another one i don't know they wanted to change the day or something i don't know <laughs> it is weird right yeah. okay synopsis uh getting back to um you know kind of what the first two episodes were about the gold digging land owner of a caribbean villa attempts to woo a hauntly hauntly that's weird rich young woman with the aid of a potion made by his ex-lover a voodoo priestess of course man they're in the caribbean uh, but troubles ensue when he ignores the warning about the potion. <laughs> so, oh, I see what it was. Just to to get clarify this, so the premiere was on a Friday, and then they did it three days later to be a Tuesday, and then they're on Tuesdays ever uh, from then on. Oh, okay, yeah. So that's why. Okay, so our main character Logan here, he is. Uh, supposed to be wealthy he's like on this kind of villa kind of island type deal and he wants to develop this place where, where is this at does it say where it's at like haiti or something yeah they're in the caribbean somewhere it just says caribbean oh, okay. uh, i'm assuming like probably on some little small island type deal but it doesn't really give you a lot of story with that but um we do know that he is wealthy he's uh he owns land there and he plans on developing more stuff um, it, it almost kind of seems like he's, it's like a plantation. Like <laughs> there's this dude that comes know, right? up to him and it's like, it totally seems like he's a slave owner at first, man. It's crazy. This like dude comes up and he's like, he's like massa massa. And I'm like, what the fuck? This is so yeah, bizarre. And, and he's wealthy, but not too wealthy. Like, it seems like he sunk all of his money into this land. What are they, are they digging for oil or something? What are they doing? Well, he, he just wants to develop it, but this oh, is, so the, they the, want to make it. Into yeah. Some- so like he is wealthy, but he, did, he realizes very quick that well quick is actually kind of you know bad pun at this point but he realizes uh one of his you know guys that work for him and stuff that informs him that the rest of the island is pretty much quicksand and that they're it's going to cost them millions and millions of extra dollars um to develop this land so he's like well what the fuck like i mean obviously Yo, figure what a dumbass i mean obviously <laughs> you think the, you'd st- check that before you bought I know, all right the land. and that's the main problem with this episode it's like <laughs> if you if you went so far to move to the caribbean and purchase this island stuff and decide that you're going to develop on there you might want to check the land first instead of already being moved in and, and discovering this, like after you've already sunk millions of dollars into it. But anyways, he, he discovers that he's not going to be able to afford to develop on this place. Cause they're going to have to drain the, you know, the swamp and stuff like that. The quick, get the quicksand out of there. But of course he meets this, uh, this girl at this party that he's having. And she apparently is super rich and she has the funds to, you know, potentially, you know, further his development career. 
but there's only one problem. She's a super fucking bitch. And he probably, he, he realizes right <laughs> off the bat that he's going to have like absolutely no chance with this woman. So he's like, well, what the fuck do I do? So of course he has this voodoo priestess ex-girlfriend where he goes to see her and he's like, yo man, I need. Yeah. A- what, what is up with that though? Right. Because I was like confused. I'm like, oh, so this was, he, he used to date this woman. Yeah, I guess like this is his old girlfriend, I guess. And they broken up. I guess they're on kind of civil terms. <laughs> Right. I don't know why she would help him out. But anyways, he goes to her. She's a voodoo priestess. So she has this magic potion and she tells him specifically, if you give her one drop, she will marry you. If you give her two drops, she will be with you for the rest of your life. He kind of takes that with a grain of salt. He's like, okay. So he fucks up, gives her a couple drops and uh, like six. (laughs) He gives her like way too fucking much. He goes insane. (laughs) She goes absolutely in fucking insane. One thing leads to another and she ends up dying. Um, and then of course, uh, she ends up coming back. <laughs> yeah. They, they have a funeral and stuff and then, and then she's like alive. Yeah. So he, bl- like, oh, he, damn. yeah, he blames his girlfriend for it. And she's like, well, I told you to be careful with that type of shit. Right. You know, one drop, she would have married him. You know, he probably could have got the money. So he's so pissed off because she dies before he gets a chance to marry her and, you know, basically exhaust her fucking bank account. Right. So they have this funeral for her. And uh, she, he's like fucking down at the grave and he's like, he's basically <laughs> confiding that he's like, shit, man, I didn't get your money and stuff like that. And she fucking <laughs> pulls this evil dead move and fucking reaches out of the ground and grabs him. He's like, what the fuck? You're alive and shit. And um, so, yeah, so she comes back to life and that's what happens. You know, the voodoo priestess had warned him, you know, if you give her too many drops, she's going to be with you for life. And this is what this is what she was referring to. She's going to come back from the dead if she dies and stuff. And then she basically just torments Yeah, She him. like can't like no matter what happens to her she's gonna keep coming yeah for him because that's the curse i actually like the scene though like when she first comes but he's like uh okay and then they're kind of all like lovey lovey dovey and stuff she's talking and he's about like having... it freaking stinks in here yeah she's like talking about fucking having sex with him and stuff i'm like man these overtones of necrophilia right now are disgusting yeah yeah <laughs> so he's kind of like you know doing this thing with his wife and stuff and then he uh he basically takes the uh the doctor out for a lunch uh to tell him he's like dude you kind of fucked up with your uh your you know your autopsy it turns out that she was alive and he's like he's all laughing about it he's like no way he's like i know a, a corpse when i see one and shit and she walks up behind him and decapitates him <laughs> <That's> <laughs> fucking crazy. so then you know right then that you know her coming back from the dead is not going to be good for uh for logan at all and uh basically you know i mean it's a short episode so like every like 30 seconds in the episode she just looks more decrepit and dead and shit yeah she like dies again and then oh he shoots her he she dies he like they try to kill her like a million different ways she just won't die and stuff sets her on fire and that that's the fun part of the episode is her body gets so jacked up and she's she's actually scarier and more hideous each time like when she comes back like the the like second to last time and she's like nearly the last time she's like a skeleton practically with yeah. all her face peeled away i'm like jesus this is frightening <laughs> i love how it changes so drastically too like they're going outside and she she looked pretty fucking you know zombie-ish at this point and then by the time the camera pans outside she's like way worse <laughs> like, yeah. this, this is rapid man this is crazy but yeah he like tries to kill her a bunch of times and it just keeps getting worse and worse hence the curse basically that's been put on him because she ain't leaving man she ain't leaving so no. it's fun, man. It's a fun little, this is another episode that I, I was like, uh, I always used to kind of like it and stuff, but this one's really fun because it's got really good atmosphere. It just, it has like ridiculously stupid characters. 
Like, and it's yeah. got this odd kind of like under overtones. I don't even know how to explain it with the whole, the kind of like the plantation type slave thing going on. It's weird, man. Yeah. It's, it's very odd to kind of read exactly what they were going for. Maybe that was just kind of done by accident, but the dialogue uh-huh. is very, it's, it's very kind of like head scratching, you know, you're like massive, massive, like what the fuck is that about? But it's fun, yeah, man. It's and, very atmospheric. And the, uh, even like the sci- the the doctor is like comes off like mad scientisty, like like oh. way overacting and stuff. Totally, yeah. But, but yeah, it, it, I think the for the this is a one that like I didn't remember. I looked at the title and I'm like till death. I was like hey, that one sounds like all of them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, for it, sure. it doesn't stand out. And then even when we started watching them, I got I, I got it confused with another one that's set in like of uh, uh uh in the caribbean i think i think there's another one that's set on like an island no or i think you're right i think you're right too man because i wasn't sure which one it was either until it started i knew i've I remembered right away as soon as i saw her i was like oh i remember this episode it, yeah. it actually took a little bit for me to even remember fully it, it took me until she died to remember i was like oh yeah she's the one that comes back all decrepit over and over again but yeah i think toby hooper directed one that was on a plantation or or something mm. like that it's something similar this is like the first episode in season two that doesn't really have like you know any big names or like you know just you know general character actors and stuff like i don't really know a lot of these people like D. yeah F. i don't Moffitt. know any of these people. like i know he's been in stuff but i'm, I'm kind of like going through the filmography and i'm like oh, okay he's been in a lot of things but nothing i've like really you know heard of that much and stuff so kind of interesting kind of an interesting yeah. episode so and, and this one is you know it's it's a fun one i i enjoy i enjoy it but it's it's one of those that i i forget about like it's not one that stands out that i met, remember all the time mm-hmm. but watching it this time <clears throat> i'm like oh yeah this is a really fun one i, I totally forgot that this one's fun i mean really in retrospect when you <clears throat> when you kind of go into this one you're like okay and like you know how we discussed you know chris wells his uh you know what he did before he was a special effects artist now the episode makes complete sense because the whole episode is pretty much the progression of effects and yeah stuff. it's a special effect it's a special episode, it's a much. special effects episode but it he does manage to capture some really good atmosphere it's actually got some pretty good cinematography in it too it's it's actually really really well done i mean for the sake of filmmaking wise this is probably the best made episode out of the mm-hmm. one it's it's kind of interesting man so you know yeah it, it has it, i like that voodoo plantation um you know swampland atmosphere caribbean type thing it's it's nice it's it's a nice little spot to set it tells from the crypt episode and it Mm. it changes it up too you know you get these different locations like none of these look like they're filmed in the you know the same place type thing like what do you think the what do you think the idea was or is this purely coincidental that three of the first four episodes have to do with like gold digging people two being a woman and one being a guy like, do you think that was just uh, random? Like the, how this came, like, how does that happen? Well, in three out of four episodes. <laughs> it's uh, really random, man. By the time we're done with this season, I imagine we'll have a few more gold digging episodes. Cause that was quite the common theme with the tells from the crypt. It really is. The, series. Like, it's funny. It's like, do you, I, I just always wondered, man, you have these scripts and stuff. Like, I don't know. It's just weird. I, I guess it's an easy thing to kind of develop from that type of, uh, that type of narrative. So I don't know. But it is yeah. interesting. Three of the first four episodes having to do with a very similar theme. It's kind of cool and funny. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a classic theme. They go back to it a bunch. I think even the first season had had a couple of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that is that is till death episode four. Well, Psyche can work that old black magic on me anytime she wants. 
And how about Maggie? Girls like that are pretty hard to dig up. <laughs> anyway, looks like poor old Logan's got himself a zombie. I think I'll have one too. Are you ready to bop till you drop? Dead, that is. <laughs> Tonight, I've chosen a fiendish little tale from my hold of moldy oldies. We've been invited to an anniversary celebration of holy deadlock. You know, to love and to perish. For richer, for horror. In sickness and in stealth. Till death. Do us part. <laughs> this is one anniversary the husband will never forget. All right, so moving along here into episode five. Uh, this one actually aired May 1st, 1990. Um, and it is called Three's a Crowd, directed by David Burton Morris, who actually pretty much worked in like TV. For the majority of his career, he didn't really direct anything horror. So this is kind of one of those oddball episodes where someone is directing an episode that really never dabbled in horror at all, never produced anything horror, never wrote anything or directed except for this random episode in Tales from the Crypt season two. <laughs> yeah, and the, the the writer Kim Kettleson literally did like this and one under other thing, like their entire filmography including like you know some of them will have like miscellaneous crew and like they'll have a bunch of other credits mm -hmm. this person has two credits ever this episode right? of tales from the crypt is the first thing ever and then they wrote the philadelphia experiment two, whatever that is the philadelphia experiment two. there was a, oh yeah that's right there was a sequel the philadelphia experiment was actually produced by john carpenter the original one it's actually based on this kind of like real story it's it's actually really fucking trippy um, really? That's crazy that they did a sequel. Yeah, John Carpenter actually produced that, that movie. It's kind of interesting. Um, huh. Yeah, actually, it's, the story itself is really interesting, man. It's like this huge kind of conspiracy theory and shit. You got to look into it. It's actually pretty interesting. But that uh, that had to be someone's wife or something, right? <laughs> like, like how do you just walk on to episode uh, five of of season two of Tales from the Crypt with no experience? <laughs> you know, I, I even think that like some of these episodes were, you know, they maybe they were just kind of short on budget for that episode. And they're like, well, we got to get some people that we can just pay very minimally or something, right? Like, it's weird. But you know, this episode's kind of strange because it doesn't have any really big big names in it. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, Gavin O'Hearly, the the um, main star in this film who plays Richard he actually is uh, the, I recognize you probably just watched him in Death Wish 3 also he's the main gang leader in Death Wish 3 um, from this episode I, didn't, so, I did not notice that until you just said it yeah. and now the, the <laughs> so yeah I started watching I was like holy fuck it's like I just rewatched Death Wish 3 a couple weeks ago and so it was like fresh in my mind and I'm like holy fuck it's that yeah. guy because I don't really remember him from a whole lot of other stuff and I personally love Death Wish 3 it's like my favorite in that franchise so it's kind of cool to see him in this role but uh, yeah that's cool uh, he you know he has a very distinctive look to him because he's like kind of almost gingery a little bit yeah 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 he almost looks like he's a little bit tubby but he's not he's actually like quite built in this it's kind of interesting yeah um, but this build. one is based on shock suspense stories number 11 mm-hmm 
Okay, quick little synopsis. A married couple is trying to enjoy their anniversary. However, the husband is sure his wife is cheating on him. Actually, there is a there is a common denominator in these episodes tonight. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like Tales from the Crypt. It's like they 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 group these uh, <laughs> these themes together in the in the seasons. It's really kind of strange. Like, I mean, through the first six episodes, there's like a common bond in almost every single one of them. It's interesting. Relationship. It should be like Tales from the Relationships. <laughs> yep. It's kind of fucking bizarre. Um, but yeah, no, this episode is, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, it's about Richard and, um, his wife, Delia. Uh, he's pretty damn convinced that, you know, his wife is cheating on him. Right. And we find out like pretty much in the beginning of the episode that she actually may be cheating on him and probably is cheating on him just from a phone call that she receives. Uh, they have this rich friend named Alan who actually brings them, um, out to his, uh, I guess he's kind of got like a huge kind of cabin mansion on this island. They actually take like a like a boat to this island uh, to celebrate their anniversary and stuff. And of course, um, Richard is very convinced that you know they're cheating on it because they keep you know talking about things and the, and the way they're you know the way they're moving around. They just seem suspicious about the relationship. Even at one point in the in the um, episode, Alan even touches Delia's leg and stuff. So this is kind of like setting off. Richard. Yeah, they're, they're very crazy. handsy and stuff. Yeah. And 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 man i'll tell you what dude this this is a a pretty well crafted little episode here the uh the way that it's just like kind of unfortunate once that you know once you realize what happens and stuff because this is like, one of my kind of favorite <laughs> episodes man because this is it's such an interesting one because you know when you're when you're watching you're just like okay like you're kind of waiting for it because it's a little bit slower you know the narrative is a little bit slower it's just it's a little bit repetitive you know it's richard just being convinced that they're cheating and he's just kind of like you know you know he just watching him and hawking at him and and it's like as it's it, this one runs about 28 minutes so you know it takes about 24 minutes to kind of get to you know this awesome twist in this in this uh yeah. in this one but it's a little bit slower it's it's constructed a lot differently than all the other episodes like most of the other episodes are very fast paced and stuff this one is just it's a slow burn a, a slow burn in a short isn't that kind of strange but a slow burn in a short that has a great payoff though <laughs> and see that that's what makes this episode so brilliant man i think honestly i think the acting's great too and uh it's just, oh yeah uh Richard is is fantastic because you yeah. ca- you feel for him because yeah, you, you can tell that he feels like somewhat inadequate a little bit because he's not balling like his friend is and and he's having a little self doubts with the pregnancy thing and mm-hmm. you know he's he's very observant you know he's waking up and and seeing them and you know look like every movement that the guy makes in the back of the car and stuff like grabbing a leg and stuff he's very aware of it um but you know he's holding on to that hope that their relationship is strong and stuff like that but as it keeps going he's just he's it you you feel bad that how it all played out for him because every anybody would have like felt a lot of people would have been on the same page as him, right? Like, if well, you've never yeah, seen this right. episode before, yeah. like, and you're not thinking of any kind of twist or anything, you're just taking it for what it is, like, you're you're like, oh, like, I thought, you know, you think it's going to be another, like, cheater episode, you know, like, where, you know, somebody is at, like, he, you know, he's a cheat, she's a cheater, you know? Mm-hmm, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's, he's, he gives a really good performance. The, the thing I like about this episode too, you know, for the f- most part, Tales from the Crypt is, you know, like I mentioned before that it's very ch- tongue in cheek. This one actually kind of plays it straight. You know, this one seems like it's kind of straight yeah, up. Yeah, there's no goofiness in this one at all. No, like it's dead serious. Like you can tell right from the start that Richard's pissed off. He's very paranoid and he keeps that kind of composure, like that element of, you know, just 
potential disaster throw the whole thing there's just no tongue-in-cheek in this one at all you know even when he's ringing out alan for you know buying his wife like this jacket and stuff he's like how much did that jacket cost like five six eight of my paychecks and he's fucking freaking out and shit and it's it's actually well crafted man it's really really well crafted so yeah and you know what man i think one of the reasons that this episode hits so hard is like and and this isn't one of my favorite episodes but it is now like i i've always known about it but i've never really watched it critically and it didn't ever stand out for me because it's like different like it's not goofy it's not uh you know over the top it's it's very reserved and and you know very slow burn so it's not one that i always thought about like re-watching but watching it from a critical eye it's it's very good and the fact that it's it's not like you know a bad person you know this is just somebody who like unfortunately just like was like looking at the wrong cues for something you know what i mean but the construction of the narrative does it perfectly though because it gives them every it gives them every opportunity to think that way like it's totally it's pushing him to the limits it's pushing him over the edge at every moment like as a viewer we're like man you know if you were married and you were going through these times like you have this rich friend who's obviously kind of annoyed you because you know he takes your wife out and does these things and stuff and you feel inadequate and stuff stuff. right like i mean you're gonna react like this you're gonna be a little bit you know apprehensive of towards him in general right mm-hmm. and, you know and, and when you witness some of this stuff of course you're going to react like that but i think the build-up i think the way the narrative does itself like i said before it is a slow burn but everything is calculated and that's what makes this episode so great there is one little kind of i guess tongue tongue-in-cheek moment where you know involving a crossbow and somebody hanging from a wall and he's like no he's just he's just hanging out <laughs> but and the way he fucking says <laughs> they it, gotta though, sneak one in they just gotta sneak one in no matter what and he does but it's the way he says it too because he says it fucking dead serious like he's not even cracking right it's just brilliant man so yeah. it's just it, it's a really well crafted i think this is actually one of the best twists like in tales from the crypt man oh it's like, yeah 100 percent. It, it it definitely is because it's it's kind of shocking like you're like oh (laughs) damn like like okay because not only and and obviously this is spoilers like not only was she not cheating on you (laughs) you know but she it was actually you just killed your baby too because she was pregnant which is what the secret was (laughs) and it's like oh i feel kind of (laughs) dumb yeah exactly dude it's so messed up because and the best part is is the like there's like a, a lot it's not too long because it is it is a short episode but you know there's this process of him dragging the body from one cabin to like the other one you know no, it's the I boathouse I, that, I think it's like yeah, the, the boathouse boat yeah i almost wish that would have been uh extended a little bit and we actually saw him like dragging like actually seen a lot of it because it kind of cuts to each little spot yeah, yeah. but it would have added to like the the opening of the door <laughs> he's dragging her body and he opens the door <laughs> and everybody's like surprise oh <laughs> and he's just in there in shock they were there fucking it was a oh. surprise party man <laughs> definitely one of the best endings in the entire series. it's just crazy too because he's like standing there and he's still kind of holding the body and he kind of like lets lets it limp down and everyone's still like congratulations bye. <laughs> and then they're it's like they slowly realize that like she's he fucking dead <laughs> it's kind of a mean-spirited ending it is super mean-spirited considering she's fucking pregnant yeah right like it's brutal it's actually fucking brutal. one of the more surprising 
you know, good, the good, good, well constructed. One of the better episodes, one of the be- best made episodes in terms of like screenplay and just the performances and just the the payoff. It, it's very good. Oh, I, I forgot about this one. Absolutely, man. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely one that like at first I was having a hard time remembering while I was watching it and I was about half I think there was the moment where he where he's starting to really kind of lose his mind when he he fucking looks up at the deer on the wall, like the head up on the wall. And yeah. It just starts downing booze and I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember this episode." <laughs> like for some reason I was having a hard time remembering it. But cuz maybe it wasn't one of my favorites, I don't know. But again, you know, that's why we revisit these episodes because they do things like this to us. Pretty oh awesome. yeah pretty awesome stuff so um but yeah i mean that's pretty much episode five (laughs) that's what i call dragging your wife to a party (laughs) i guess richard was the guest of horror after all just goes to show you what can happen when you let your imagination run away with you here's to your bad health See you next time, boys and ghouls. <laughs> Oops. Looks like you caught the old cryptiper checking out one of his ghoulie magazines. <laughs> Gives you a little hint about tonight's bedtime story. It's all about the way some guys just die over a pretty girl. But don't worry, kiddies. If it starts to reek a little of rotted romance, I think the title of our nasty narrative makes no bones about where its heart is really at. I call it The Thing from the Grave. All right, so moving along into episode six, uh, directed by Fred Decker, and it is called The Thing from the Grave. This one originally aired a week later on May 8th, 1990. So now they're starting to get into weekly. Um, yeah, I don't know what the hell is going on with this show, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. it's it's got a pretty interesting cast. It's got Terry Hatcher in it, who's insanely beautiful. I absolutely love her. Um, Miguel Ferrer. Um, He's been in tons of stuff. He's like, he's that fucking dude that is like oh, always, he's always a douche in like everything he plays in. He's just, he's that guy, man. He's got that douchey face. But I always remember him from Robocop, man, because he's Morton in Robocop. But again, you know, if you go, if you were to go through his filmography, he's been in like 130 things. It's crazy. He's just, yeah, dude. very, very familiar face. I, the thing I always remember him from is probably because it's one of the first things I've seen him in. And that is the, um, night flyer the stephen king uh, night flyer that's he's also in more episodes of tales from the crypt he's in like three episodes yeah he's also in the guardian also the um the freaking film ah the william freaking from 1990 yeah so um he's he's no he's 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 in the stand as well yeah he's dabbled in a lot of like different genres comedies he's been in comedies he's been in you know fucking tv movies tv shows action films horror films like you know he's just kind of one of those character actors you know he just kind of does all that type of different stuff which is cool yeah you know but (laughs) but most serious stuff that he's in he's always the asshole douche which is amazing uh terry hatcher man oh dude this is when she was just like so fucking beautiful man oh 
damn because she was lois in the lois and clark adventures or whatever the fuck that tv show was back in the day Ooh, yeah and then of course right. written and directed by fred decker which you mentioned but fred decker we know him mostly i would probably say from night of the creeps and the monster squad which are two of my favorite all-time films two of my personal favorite films i've mentioned that many many times on this show uh fred decker is actually kind of an interesting dude because like you know in my opinion it's kind of a shame he didn't do more films because you know i mean he did a couple short stuff but night of the creeps monster squad and then you know a couple years later he did uh, robocop 3 which is definitely the bastard child of that uh, that series because <laughs> robocop is classic part two is amazing and part three is like it's a really really bad film but it's super fun it's just you know it, it's just pure entertainment value it's a shitty film but it's fun yeah, but he also, you know, he he He's wrote the American version of Godzilla 84, 85 yeah. or whatever. House. And then he wrote House. Um, and then he also recently uh, wrote a, uh, four episodes of Tales from the Crypt or more. And um, he, most think. recently, and I thought this was very, very strange because he hasn't really done a lot since he did the RoboCop film. Um, you know, he worked on Star Trek and stuff. He did like a TV. He wrote like a TV moving ship. But uh, more recently, something that we've actually covered on the show, he penned uh, the Predator, uh, which the, the, I remember when we were reviewing that, and I, you know, either before we did the episode or during the episode, I saw that it was written by Fred Decker, and I'm like, well, I know the name Fred Decker, but it's it's probably not the same guy. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it was the same guy. I know. And I right? was like, what? <laughs> like, how did that happen? I know it's so like like I said though, he hadn't really done a whole lot in the last almost 20 years right like yeah yeah 20. well he had that huge gap between 93 and 2015 yeah like i mean that's a long time that's like 22 years so yeah very interesting very interesting then they're like because did we joke about it before it's like hey let's maybe give fred a call see if he wants to like pen this new uh you know this new predator film he hasn't been working <laughs> a whole lot maybe maybe he wants to do it <laughs> you know yeah. it's, it's it's fucking strange um okay so yeah the thing from the grave Tales from the Crypt, number 22. Synopsis. When an abusive agent learns that a sexy model of a girlfriend is cheating on him, hence the theme, with a photographer, he kills him and later kidnaps his girlfriend and soon learns the love is more powerful in death. So this is this episode's actually constructed a little bit different. We, we, we get one of those... We get a scene in the beginning of the episode that's actually one of the scenes it's it's not really the end but it's more of like in the middle kind of thing um in the actual narrative you were to straighten out the uh make it a linear narrative uh it's something i'm not really a big fan of you know in i've mentioned this many many times about movies and stuff when they show a scene from the end of the film and then they go into the film you know they go into present time and shit like that and this one it actually does work because it's not technically the end scene it's a scene that plays into the narrative actually quite well I really like it actually. So I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, that guy, man, he's just an asshole. <laughs> Miguel, uh, his, um, what's his cat? I don't know his character's name. Oh, Mitch. Miguel. Yeah. 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 Dude. yeah. So he's, so, the, so this, so the opening scene is basically Terry Hatcher's boyfriend played by Miguel Fair. His name is Mitch, and, you know, he's a fucking douchebag. Like, he thinks he's hot <laughs> shit. He ba- Well, okay, so the opening scene is basically Mitch shooting Devlin Crates, played by Kyra Sector, or Sarah. Sarah. Um, he's the photographer that he's obviously, 
you know, sleeping with Terry Hatcher. So the opening scene is him shooting him and fucking burying him in this grave. And then it cuts into like, you know, kind of the backstory where, you know, Mitch is at this uh, photo shoot with Stacy played by Terry Hatcher. And he can obviously tell that there's something going on with, you know, Stacy and Devlin and shit like that. And he's very, he's being kind of cocky about it and things like that. And, you know, he says he's douchey, but then we learn that he actually is a douche. You know, he's fuck. He's like her manager slash boyfriend and stuff, but he's really just kind of sponging off her, taking advantage of her, taking all the money and shit because he doesn't really make any money and stuff. So obviously, Stacy wants to leave Mitch, but she hasn't really had the opportunity to, you know, to tell him and things like that. And and uh, yeah, so then it it kind of cuts into the the scene where you know he ends up shooting him and stuff buries him he ends up like kidnapping her and then shit goes down from there which you know it's it's kind of one of those episodes where you're like it's kind of a head scratcher a little bit i mean i guess you would chalk it up to the power of love made him return from the grave i guess kind of thing right because <laughs> like yeah kind of just one of those like unexplained these things happen in tells from the crypt things right like it's, <laughs> yeah there's no like voodoo potion for this one or anything yeah, this is a short episode, too. This is, you know, from the last one, you know, like I said, 28 minutes is kind of a slow burn. This one is actually really fast. It's one of the shorter ones. It only runs about 21 minutes. So it's very fast paced. Like, it has to kind of get to that point. So we get about halfway through. And then, you know, as he kidnaps his girlfriend, this dude's all buried and stuff. And somehow he, like, resurrects himself right out of the out of the, the grave and stuff. And then goes and, you know, gets some revenge on uh, on Mitch. Um, I do like the... I do like the way... Um, he looks in this like the actual effects and stuff i think the the zombie looks pretty cool i like the fact that it's just like a zombie film essentially you know it's this like love triangle kind of cheating relationship thing but it just turns into the zombie film like out of left field it's not very well written <laughs> to be honest but it's super entertaining it's, it's atmospheric as shit man and uh i don't know terry hatch there's a scene where she's actually tied to a bed and she's wearing like this pink, or this uh, blue kind of one piece sexy lingerie thing but it's so fucking strange, man, because the scene where Mitch actually ends up running outside and shit, she breaks free from being tied up. And uh, before she goes outside, she manages to put her pants on. <laughs> I was like, well, that's kind of a damn shame. What the fuck's up with that? Who does that? Who does that? <laughs> yeah. Right? In movies, like that never happens. People always either run out naked or run out what they're wearing or whatever. In this case, she put on her big fucking 1990 pants and made her look super fat you know it's, it's just kind of a weird thing but that's when it gets really good the last like four or five minutes when you get the, this little bit of zombie action and shit and it's cool oh you know what totally i totally forgot about this but i just remembered she gives um he gives her the necklace and the necklace is like um like a mayan thing about like holding on to uh your promises or something like that. So when he says like, um, I'll oh. protect you no matter what, that's what it is. Oh, that's, that's right. how he comes back. That's right. I forgot about the necklace. I, yeah, I forgot because, about it too. Because it's, super, I, because it's super quick in the episode. It's literally yeah. just that like he gives it and it's never even brought. Yeah. It, it never even kind of goes back to it at all. Yeah, normally there would be like a shot of it close up while he's getting buried or something. You know, we'll but, even have her like yeah. kind of holding it or something like that. Like, oh yeah. yeah, it was the power of the it was the Mayan necklace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it held the power, but you actually forget about. I totally forgot about that because it's very quick. Like I said, it's a short episode. It's twenty minutes. It's kind of like um, the one with Lads Hendrickson too. Man, it's just very quickly paced and stuff. But it's kind of fun though. I kind of like it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a super simple episode. It's. Um, you know, uh, I think that 
you know, it's the, the, the I think the highlight is probably Mitch, you know, because <laughs> he, he's such a bastard and, you know, he's even gets a little rapey at one point. Um, and, Which, you I, know, it, I know that's kind of implied, right? Because like, <laughs> what does he do? He's getting revenge on his girlfriend by kidnapping her and raping her. But yeah. it doesn't really go that far. I mean, but I guess it's implied that's what he was going to do. Or was he going to kill her? Like, I don't really, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a strange scene. actually. Yeah. This, this one's only 21 minutes. It cruises by it almost really a little bit too fast. Cause it, it just, it's so simple. It's such a simple one. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think the difference between like this one and like the other lover returns from the grave one from just two episodes ago or yeah. whatever with the, uh, Till you death. know, the plantation Till death, is, yeah. yeah, this is, you know, that one was, one the effects were better and and two it was like they kept coming back this one's the same thing but in a different with just a different setup you know what i mean pretty much so yeah instead of the the woman coming back to kill you know to be with the 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 husband this is the guy coming back to protect the girlfriend you know but it's the same thing i don't know i it, it's 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 fun it's not bad at all it's a, it's a good episode but you know nothing super memorable or standout-ish. So when um, the zombie first uh, comes into contact with Mitch, there did you notice anything? I had to bring this up because he does have worms in his face. Did he have bad worm placement? Because he had worms in his eyes. There was worms coming out of his mouth and shit, and there was some maggots and stuff. Um, but he no, does. He looks better in that all, shot. They weren't all in the same spot. Well, they're not all in the same. Well. Not really, kind of, but not really. But it, it's kind of interesting too because when the zombie first comes out of the grave, it actually looks like it's a mechanical zombie at first. Like the effects are kind of strange, but when you see it up close, you can tell it's like, you know, it's practical on there. Like I'm not trying to lean towards CG. This is all like 1990, but it it does it definitely looks different when he comes out of the grave at first. I don't know if you noticed that, but he yeah. looks better up close, which I thought was kind of interesting because usually that doesn't work like that. Maybe it's just the way they shot it or something. I don't know, but I, I, I thought he looked actually kind of cool close, but yeah, just a really yeah, quick no, episode, cool. yeah. just, just a really quick episode. I would have preferred to see Terry Hatcher a little bit more naked throughout the episode. Cause yes, you know, that's what she's there for. And we only get a quick little glimpse, but yep. so yeah, I mean, I, I, I they must've done this purposely or something, man, because you know, they have like a long episode and then like a short one. I mean, I guess we'll figure out the rest of the, you know, the way the episodes play out in this in the season. But it is kind of funny how that happens. We'll have like a long one, short one. I don't know. It's weird. I feel like yeah. it's, it's yeah, designed it and planned like that. But 20, 20 minute episodes seem really short, man, compared to like a 28. Like, like I watch these obviously back to back and it's like 28 minutes. I mean, it's also the construction of them, too, because last episode. It, it's it's insane then- how much eight minutes can feel in it like because we always say when we talk about movies about it's too long it'll be like an hour and 48 minutes or something Mm -hmm. and then when you when you look at what eight minutes can change and 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 you know in terms of speed dude when you're looking at these little things 28 minutes versus 20 minutes or 22 minutes it's just insane it is you know i always wondered too why the episode i mean i understand in hbo there was no commercials and stuff but you know like the producers and whoever was in charge of the episodes and so they must have given like a like a time you know like a time kind of bookend like okay so you need to be between like 20 21 minutes and like 28 minutes or something just do what you can in that and make something that time like they didn't say hey we need like a 25 minute episode because you know a 20 minute episode to a 28 is like it almost seems it's like a world of difference man 
it's just kind of strange, right? You know, because yes. the way they did their blocks, I mean, you know, when you have network television, you have 22 minute sitcom episodes for a reason because they have usually eight minutes of commercial time to make up that, you know, that half an hour, right? But with HBO not having commercials, 20 minute episodes seems very odd. If you're having, you know, shows that are 30 minute shows on there, we have all yeah. this empty space kind of thing. I just I always wondered how the producers worked it. Like, you know, I, you know, to me, if the, if they, submitted that episode i've been like man can you put like an extra four minutes into there kind of make it like 24 <laughs> 25 minutes like make up some time yeah. here because our last week episode yeah. was 28 man you, it, you seem but, like we're short who that. knows maybe maybe it was maybe it was 30 minutes and they're just like you know what i think we can cut this down and it, it just uh, this stuff's unneeded next coming the uncut uh, box sets of tales from the crypt and every episode is like a full-length episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh imagine? the crypt keeper cracked me up in this one too you had the playgirl oh, or no, the play dead the magazine play, the play dead magazine yeah it's awesome <laughs> so good <laughs> he's like oh, caught me <laughs> but yeah all right all right so yeah that's everything for uh episode six the thing from the grave uh, wasn't that romantic <laughs> I would have called tonight's fear fable a boy meets ghoul story. Except the boy was the ghoul this time. Right, kiddies? Which leaves poor little Stacy fresh out of boyfriends. Oh well. I'm sure she'll dig one up somewhere. <laughs> Whisker of a rat. Oh, hi, kiddies. I was just rustling up a sickening snack for a ghastly guest. <laughs> Let's see. I need the blood of a sacrificed goat. <laughs> Whoops. It's got to be a virgin goat. Guess you're off the hook, Nelly. <laughs> Tonight's story is about a different kind of sacrifice. A sacrifice made for love. <laughs> All right, so moving along into episode seven, titled The Sacrifice, directed by Richard Greenberg. Uh, not really a whole lot of... Um, directing he's done in this career he's actually responsible for doing the movie little monsters with uh fred savage do you remember that oh, one? really yeah i do remember that one i used that was a staple of my childhood i haven't seen it since my childhood but i used to watch it all the time yeah he needs uh or i mean uh, little monsters needs a uh like a high def release or something man because yeah, that I, seems like a shout select it, it really does it really does actually i mean considering they just did um what they just did the wizard right so they need to put out uh, little monsters. That would be pretty awesome. But yeah, Richard Greenberg uh, did that. He did this episode in like a documentary. So not a whole lot of directing. Um, this episode aired May 15th of uh, 1990. And it's actually one of the longer ones running about 28 minutes also. So um, cast includes Kim Delaney, which I always thought was super hot. I always remember Kim Delaney from uh, NYPD Blue. She was awesome in that show. Um 
Kevin Kilner's in this episode and the great Michael Ironside. So it's got a pretty interesting cast. Yeah, and it was Shock Suspense Stories number 10. The writer was Ross Thomas. Do you know anything that, that Ross Thomas did? Uh, Ross Thomas wrote Blood In, Blood Out, actually, which is just an amazing um, kind of gangster. Starts out as a... You've seen Blood In, Blood Out before, haven't you? No, it's I like, don't think so. It's like a street... It's like a Mexican kind of street gang film, and then it it's a long film. It's like over three hours, but then it's kind of half and half. It's like street stuff, and then it goes to jail, and it's like organized crime in jail, and it's really awesome, man. It's amazing. Uh, from hmm. 1993 that's actually one movie that i've been waiting for a blu-ray release forever and actually if, if you talk to a lot of people that are into those type of movies that's the one that always gets brought up that is very surprising it doesn't have a release but uh yeah so the um guy was responsible for writing uh, blood and blood out which is a fantastic movie just amazing stuff so yeah he's also a, an actual writer um so he wrote like a bunch of novels too nice nice All right, so quick little synopsis on this one. An insurance salesman murders an obnoxious tycoon to get his seductive wife and his fortune, but later is blackmailed by a rival. Yeah. Um, I could not remember this episode for the life of me when we were, you know, looking at it, and I couldn't remember even when it started. It wasn't until the seduction um on the boat that i started remembering it dude i was kind of in the same boat as you (laughs) Uh, not literally because that wasn't the part that i started remembering it was when they toss him over the ledge of the apartment Ah. that was the part right away because i remember instantly like when he when they go to toss him over and he's looking up at him he's like banging off his hands and shit i'm like oh that's brutal man (laughs) right it's like poor dude just like looking out into the hollywood hills and stuff and he's like and he's like fucking getting tossed over the railing. Like how brutal is that, mm-hmm. man? I know we normally don't talk about the openings, but the crypt keeper was really funny in this one because I, I was, he said, mentioned about, he's like, you know, I need to sacrifice this goat or whatever. And he's like, ah, oh. he's like, I need a virgin goat. And I was like, did, he just insinuate that he has like banged that goat or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't right? understand that. Was, <laughs> I thought it was so funny. Um, uh, but, yeah so this one uh man this is a good episode too because i like the um the the it's kind of funny because there's not a protagonist in this one really um technically not no no yeah, like uh, even the guy that you're supposed to feel bad for the you know the guy that has all the money yeah he is kind of a douchebag because he's like just a rich asshole <laughs> you know what i mean exactly like he doesn't give a fuck right he really doesn't give a shit um yeah so um there's really not somebody to root for but i really like this one because of the reveal of like the neighbor you know what i mean like how that whole thing plays out Mm -hmm. oh dude it's so it's so like chilling you know what i mean he's like he does it you could tell he's enjoying it because he reveals it slowly bit by bit he's like he's like yeah you know i was i was really into her and then I shouldn't yeah. have never brought her around this guy. And he's like, he, he's like, in fact, I was so into her that I even got an apartment across the way just so I could catch a glimpse of her every once in a while. You know, and then like, he like, you know, like take pictures from, it. yeah, you know, like yeah. take pictures from my patio. And then, and then all of a sudden James's face kind of like his whole yeah. look changes. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, and I've always loved those stories of like 
the neighbor like you see you either either way like either way with the rear window thing like either you seeing the murder or like somebody watching you like i think someone's watching me i think the john carpenter film i think there was like somebody across the way that was watching you know and there's I, i love that dynamic of like you know seeing your neighbor do something or like you know witnessing a murder from a, like there's another episode in tales from the crypt uh about um a woman who sees sees somebody get murdered across like it's from her point of view this time though yeah yeah it's it's like she but she goes like mute or something like that afterwards mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm sure it's in, I, it might even be in this season i don't know but um yeah i love that little concept of the the murder across the way thing mm-hmm yeah, and you know, of course, this one has you know a little bit more twists and twists and turns in it. Also, um, I like the way this one develops, though. I really do. You know, you would basically get introduced to our main character, James. He's obviously this very sly kind of salesman. He's the best of his company and stuff, which we learn very fast into the episode. Um, it basically starts out with him in an elevator, and he meets Kim Delaney's character, um, Gloria. And he sees her and he's obviously like smitten by her because she's super fucking beautiful, right? So anyways, he gets into this uh, where he's supposed to be with this rich tycoon dude and he starts talking business with him. And and the dude basically says to him because the tycoon is, you know, he's a sly asshole too. And he cuts a deal with him, you know, he's like, you know, if you want to sign me, if you want my business, my insurance, you know, you're going to have to pay me like 30% of your commission. It's like this guy's going to sign a deal with him, you know, to, to, you know, do something with his... um, insurance and things like that but then he's taken his commission from him (laughs) dude it's like are you kidding me like this guy doesn't have to be there he doesn't have to sign this guy but this tycoon's worth so much money that it's actually worth him to pay him all this commission just to sign him up right so of course you know he does it because he's like it's so much money for the company and whatever and uh, so he ends up going back to his houseboat and then r- right away we Gloria meets him there and he's like you know what you're not the first one ever to meet me at my houseboat after uh you know working out a new insurance deal <laughs> because they want to know who the you know who the new beneficiary is of what the uh, contents of the new insurance policy is right so yeah. of course they hit it off and they start having sex and stuff and then they devise this plan to to knock off the tycoon and and which essentially they do they kind of kill him right and then, uh, which we talked about yeah, before, it happens a little fast. You're like, okay, like these, like it's almost the sex. It, it's literally the next scene because yeah. th- they have the sex, and then, like, I guess in that conversation, like, or that part of it, they, they devise this plan, and it's fucked because it, it is. It seems like it's the next day, yeah. right? And so they go to this apartment, and it's super fast. Like the the dude's like, you know, he's fucking looking over the hills and he's like yeah man you know money and pussy and bullshit capital of the world and shit and then she's standing in the corner and all of a sudden he just fucking james comes up behind him and just like tilts him off (laughs) off the balcony right it's just so brutal um the the thing that's kind of cheesy about the whole scene though is um you know after you know she has to play the part of the uh you know the disgruntled uh you know widow now right so the police officer's there and stuff and of course you know james is outside on the deck kind of like looking and waiting for the police officer to finish questioning her and stuff and then he leaves and i'm like it really wouldn't go down like <laughs> you know, it, yeah. just, it just seems very fast and like i don't know but uh yeah of course you know they start their plan and stuff <clears> and then like we mentioned before michael ironside is the neighbor who his character is jerry and you know he kind of shows up at the apartment and he's like you know 
and he's very sly about it and stuff. And one thing leads to another and he ends up basically telling him that he has pictures of what happened. And he uses that against him to blackmail them into basically using Gloria for sex and doing a whole pile of crazy, weird, absurd mm. shit that they do it that they have in dialogue. Yeah, but stuff. it's weird. He says that he wants to He's not like I'm taking Gloria. He's like I want to share her. Yeah, and he like he he does like weird things like they'll pay people to watch them have sex and shit. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? It's like so bizarre. It's really strange. But um, and then you find out that this guy, like, you know, he actually did like really love this girl, and he wasn't just doing it for the money either. Like he was doing it more for the girl because of like mm-hmm. what eventually happens to him. You know what I mean? Normally, like they're both doing it for the money or something like that. But he's like super depressed and like bummed out that his his wife's like banging this other dude the whole time. And he has to like deal with it. And like, but meanwhile, like the twist is that, you know, she wanted that the whole time. They're just probably not doing anything. She's coming home with these exaggerated stories of like, it's so awful. Like they're making me, you know, and it's just like, wow, this guy got screwed over bad yeah like they make the they make james feel so bad and it's so paranoid and so depressed about the whole situation and stuff like that he ends up like knocking himself off and then they they basically just win (laughs) they walk away with uh they walk away with the fortune and and you know the girl and stuff um there was a little tiny part with the birds though where you're like they're like they said they're like repeating the shit that they were saying (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, actually, I did. Li- I like the fact that they got a little bit smart with the writing, too, because there is a point where the police officer is talking to Gloria and um, he's like the police officer says to her, he goes, did you know that he had just taken out a 10 million dollar uh, life insurance policy on you? And she's like, oh, and he- and the cops like, well, yeah, but you're not collecting it because he never got a chance to sign the papers before he fell off the balcony. And she's like, oh. And I'm like, I'm thankful that they put that in there because it's true, right? Because the policy is what would have linked them, would have given her a motive for the murder, right? So I'm like, ah, that was kind of cool that they yeah, put that so in there. They got smart. The mo- so what was the motive for well, the murder? Then? Well, basically, you know, I mean, the number one thing in, you know, uh, marriage murder and stuff is usually life insurance Mon- policies and stuff, yeah. right? So if there is a policy out on you and your husband or wife ends up getting killed mysteriously or something, they always look at that, right? So, but in this case, they hadn't signed. She just inherited the shit that she had. She was already probably the heir to the fortune anyways, but this was just an extra policy because if he dies or whatever, it was like $10 million for her kind of extra, right? So it was an extra bunch of money, but then this kind of depletes the motive, which I actually Mm -hmm. thought was pretty interesting in the writing that they threw that in there. Cause I'm like, oh, nice. Cause like I'm a Dateline whore. Like I watch Dateline every fucking day. Like I know shit like the back. I watch forensic files like so often and that's often the reason. (laughs) Oh, it is man. And like, like it's always like, you know, if a spouse gets murdered or killed in some kind of mysterious way or something, they always look at insurance policies right away. Do they have one? Do they have this, you know? And, but it was cool. It was written well in that aspect because you're like, oh, they weren't collecting the insurance policy was about the the actual money so it, it kind of throws them off a little bit so that was well done i thought that was pretty interesting but this one you know this episode um kind of sticks out too in the first seven because it's not exactly tongue-in-cheek at all really i mean this one's kind of played straightforward a little bit you know it doesn't have a lot of comedy in it which is um which is good i like how they kind of switch these uh, these episodes up because the next one is like <laughs> literally laughing i laugh so many times in the next episode it's crazy um but this one you know it plays itself pretty serious which you know i like it's it's a change of pace right so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i've been ranking these as we go because uh 
you know, we're going to rank them at the end. And it's starting to get hard, so I started assigning them ratings. <laughs> yeah, dude, like, I already noticed that, too. I was, like, I was kind of doing the same thing, and I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't rate any of these things, man. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, well. So, um, but, yeah, this one, I, I really enjoyed this one, man. I thought it was, you know, a good, a good um like thrilling you know mystery like like reveals you know it's it's one of the reveal heavy ones where like it has punches to it so i dug that about it pretty good yeah it's pretty good i you know i think i think the main twist in it may it, it, it doesn't pack the punch like some of the other twists do like especially well, the first twist packed the punch more than the last twist yeah i think so too actually i really do yeah, I really like do. The I, one with him across when he reveals the the he was watched him like that to me was more impressive than the end twist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's not as impactful as like three's a crowd like that twist in that episode. It's just <laughs> like it's like a gut punch beyond gut punch. <laughs> it takes you right yeah. out, man. But uh, you know, I mean, it is interesting. You know, they managed to pull off two pretty good twists, and you know, I mean. It's still effective. I like it though, man. You know, for one of the longer episodes, it doesn't actually drag, which is nice. So, but that's cool, man. So, um, that's it. Yep. All right. That is uh, episode seven, the sacrifice. promoter of pop with an ear for a hit I don't want to kill it for you let's just say we come into the story just when his career is getting real hot (laughs) alrighty moving along into episode 8 directed by Jerry Price now this is the only thing that Jerry Price has actually ever directed before which is kind of interesting uh this episode was released on may 22nd 1990 um yeah uh he has done like some other random stuff like he's he's done some writing and and things like um he wrote uh 
some cartoons. He wrote Wild Wild West, actually. He wrote Who Framed um, Roger Rabbit, actually. He wrote Who Framed Roger Rabbit, yep. He wrote uh, Doc then, Hollywood, which I like that movie, too. That's cool. Yeah. And then the writer on this one also, um, uh, what did he do? The writer. Peter S. Seaman. <laughs> Seaman. Maybe wrote porno. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, he did. Oh, wait a minute. Is it the same guy? That would be weird. It is the same guy. Stephen Dodd. Stephen Dodd also wrote uh, these Tales from the Crypt, too. But you know what's actually kind of interesting? Jeffrey Price is... Uh, Dude, Penny, it's Penny. the same person. Peter Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman. Oh, it's a duo. Okay. <laughs> they do the... They, they just do everything together. Oh, I see. Um, Jeffrey Price <clears throat> is actually writing the uh, the sequel to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is coming out in 2022. It's kind of cool. I didn't actually even know that was even greenlit. Me neither. Um, that's so, interesting. That is interesting. But yeah, Shock Suspense Stories number 15 here. Nice. Uh, May 22nd, 1990. We got... Did you give a synopsis yet? No, synopsis. A greedy rock promoter tries to steal the money raised at a benefit concert when his conscience intervenes. <laughs> Um, his conscience is voiced by Sam Kinison. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. It's pretty awesome. Um, and he's so good. The voice is so good, man. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this one, uh, our main character's name is Marty Slash. Of course, it's Marty Slash, right? But it's played Heck by yeah. Lee Ehrenberg. And if you know who he is, uh, if you're not sure who he is, just look him up right now. You probably recognize him right away. He's been in like a million things. He's like a little short kind of not fat kind of stocky dude, but he's just super intense. And like, he's perfectly casted as the dirty slimy rock promoter Rock promoter. Yeah. He's perfectly <laughs> casted. Like, I think he does such a great job in this. Uh, we got, um, uh, Kathy Seagal from, um, you know, Katie Mary, or Katie Seagal, um, from married to children and stuff. She makes an appearance in this and Iggy pop actually is the, um, the rock band that's performing throughout the whole episode, which is kind of cool too. Um, but this episode starts out really, really funny, man. It's so weird because, like I said, the, like the last episode was kind of played straightforward, and this one starts out like completely ridiculous with <laughs> with Lee Ehrenberg's character Marty. He's literally running into the electric chair, and he's trying to strap himself in like super fast. He's like, "Come on, guys, let's get this shit over. Let's do this." <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is going on, right? So you know right away that's got to be the end of the episode. So then it cuts to him at the uh, at the ear doctor. And he's getting his ears checked out and he's complaining that he's hearing like this weird noise coming out of his right ear. And the doctor's like, I don't hear, I don't see anything wrong. He's like, what kind of noise is it like a ringing? Is it a buzzing? He's like, no, it's like a, it's like a, yeah. And he's like, and he's like, he goes, um, I think you have ear damage because you are a rock promoter and you need to put earplugs in because the loud music is making you go deaf. You've done ear damage to him. And he's like, ah, I don't fucking know. So he gives him a bunch of shit. And he's like, dude, if you want to save your hair and you need to get out of that business, he's <laughs> fucking Marty turns around. He's like, is tonight too early? <laughs> Whatever he fucking says. So goofy. And you're I like, know. Oh. he's, he, he's just such a good. Oh, he's perfect. In cast. His- it's, casting it's it's just so great it's almost like makeup didn't even have to make him sweat you just kind of figured that he was actually perf- like profusely sweating through this whole episode but it's so awesome man so we get to the rock concert and yeah it's a benefit concert to they had raised a million dollars to give to the amazon to save the amazon and stuff which i find highly unlikely that they would have raised a million dollars with iggy pot playing but, <laughs> but anyways but he has this whole yeah. plan where he plans on ripping off the money 
and uh, so the concert kind of ends, and he's backstage, or the concert doesn't end actually. It's still kind of going on, but he goes backstage and and he's getting ready to like you know steal the money and shit like that. And all of a sudden, his conscience kicks in, like the voice starts screaming at him, like, "No, you can't do this. What are you doing? This is ridiculous." Marty, what are you doing? Marty, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you can't you can't do this, man. You're stealing money from the Amazon. That's bad. Blah blah blah. And uh, it kind of plays out from there. Like, his conscience is just killing him, man. He's just, you know, he doesn't really know what to do, right? Because he's not sure if it's, like, really happening to him or if he's just, like... So, he's he's in this battle. You know, he wants this money, but, like, his conscience is screaming at him so bad and shit. I really like the way this play this one plays out because it's actually really well written. There's a, there's a really interesting twist because it, there's a point in the episode where you know the narrative starts to make you think that you know the voice is actually super real and that other people can hear it there's this really really great scene where you know he's in the bathroom and he's going to take a piss and at this point he's super agitated he's sweating he's just like losing his mind he doesn't know what the fuck to do he can't get away from this voice and he's going to take a piss and he kind of looks over and the voice is screaming at him like man they can hear you they can hear you and shit and this person looks at him and bolts out of the bathroom next person looks over and bolts out of the bathroom and then there's this like tranny taking a piss <laughs> <laughs> looks at him and bolts out of the bathroom like i told you they can hear me and shit like that and it, it's great man and there's there's a pretty cool twist with that too but man uh-huh. such a fun episode man i absolutely love like lee Ehrenberg makes this episode because every scene he's so intense he's just so agitated he's just oh man it's just such a fun one man such a fun one yeah <clears throat> yeah and uh even Katie Seagal uh, is pretty awesome in it because she plays like this bank lady and she's like dresses up in secrecy and then she just wants the damn money too and then he kills her. He's like, actually, which is is a really great scene though, too, man, because yeah, Kathy Seagal plays a banker where she finds out about, you know, what he's doing. And she says to him, she's like, you know, I can kind of cook the books. Like we can, we can get this and, you know, says something about the money and the bank and shit. And she's like, I can cook this up, but I want half the money. And he's like, half the fucking money. That's ridiculous. Right. And, uh, (laughs) he's like, and it just starts fucking, the the voice is just screaming at him the entire time. It's just so great. And he's kind of making his way over to like the, this guitar, you know, like this ax and stuff. And he grabs this ax and he fucking beats her to death with this shit. It's such a great scene. I love this fucking scene. And then like, even the stuff with the cop, like how the cop comes in he's like, or like they open the door or something. And he's like, he's like, he's like pretending he's playing guitar and stuff. (laughs) I love the, I love the, uh, I don't know, man, the, the hand, um, one of the helpers back there, and he's like, dude, he's like, he's just singing, man. It sounded like you were killing somebody in here, man. <laughs> and, so, and he's so agitated. The voice is still screaming at him. It's like, it's so fucking entertaining, yeah, it's, man. It's, it's super agitated because it like never shuts up. He's trying to yeah. talk to people, and it's like, and it's like Marty, 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 and he's like he's talking louder, so people and people are like, "What the hell is wrong with this guy?" Yeah, <laughs> there's oh, actually stuff, there's man. actually one point in the, in the episode where he's in the he's in his office, and the thing is just screaming at him, right? He's like, and he's trying to shut it up any way he can. He's like shoving Q-tips in there. He's like putting an earplug. Nothing's kind of working, and he grabs this like this ear ointment. Uh, um, drops or whatever and he's fucking starts spraying it in his ears like just ridiculous amounts right and then the voice screams up he's like man that shit's like 80% alcohol it's time to party and he starts screaming louder (laughs) (laughs) it's it's so fucking funny man and then like the, the best part is at the end whenever you know he got caught for the murder and stuff and he's like 
the things like, all right, a Jewish man, a rabbi, and a Jesus walks into a bar or something. He's like, stop me if I've told you this one before. And he's like, he's like, hard to believe it's been like two years or something. And you just picture like, wow, this this fucking thing has talked to him for two years while he's in prison and can't do anything else but listen to it. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you could tell he's just like so over the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's like running to the electric chair and shit he's like let's get it started <laughs> uh, i love that shit though man because he basically tells everybody what he was doing and he really didn't have to because the voice totally tripped him the fuck out like with the q-tip yeah, yeah like so and he's like wait a minute marty he's like you don't think that maybe that's why they were all looking at you and you're like oh my god this thing is demented but it's funny because it's supposed to be his own conscious but it, it's a very creative episode no it's it, super creative it is man i love that shit with the q-tip though man because people are kind of looking at him like what the fuck like this guy what the hell's wrong with him kind of thing it turns out it's just because he had shoved this q-tip so far in his ear he had like blood coming out and it just didn't look right right and yeah. he basically tells everybody, right? Oh man, it's so good. It's so and good. And it, it's cool too because like I know that twist. Like I I've seen this episode probably more than any other, but I would say this is like top five most watched for me. And um I always watch the camera because like they do hide it. They like they they shoot it to where you can't see that side of his head, so it it could have been in there you know what i mean so they do a good job with that too yeah there's actually points in this where like i think when he's talking talking to uh katie seagal there's actually points where like when the voice was screaming too like the camera would actually shoot from like his right side of his ear and shit like it was the conscience screaming at her you know, because yeah. like, we're getting that conversation too, but it's not right. really happening. But the camera work, like the cinematography was actually smart <clears throat> too, right? And there's yes. a lot of really great close-up shots of like when it needs to be. And, you know, it's kind of focusing on him. He's freaking out and it would pan back like it's the conscious, you know, coming back here and stuff. I was like, wow, this is actually a really good episode, man. It's awesome. Really, really good stuff, yep, man. I, I thought it was an awesome episode. It's definitely one of my favorites, so... Yeah, I, I knew as soon as we saw as soon as this one came up, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is a good one." But uh, yeah, so that's for crying out loud. And yes, you know the whole actually the, the when when you first get to see uh, uh, Katie Seagal, I'm like, because I'm thinking like this is like 1990. This is like about three years into Married to Children. I'm like, where the fuck? If they had just had Al somewhere in there, that would have been the funniest <laughs> shit ever. Like just have him in the crowd or something. That would have been so funny. Actually, uh, one thing that we didn't bring up actually, this episode actually has tits in it. It actually has titties. A girl shows her tits in the crowd. Um, that's right. So, yeah. So it's the first episode I've noticed with uh, with tits. Um, so I thought that was kind of. Was cool. there not tits in the Demi Moore episode? Uh, no, there actually isn't. I think the the girls are cut. They got those little suction Assholes. cup things on there. Yeah, <laughs> little suction cup. Yeah, because the very first episode of season one has mad tits in it. Yeah, man, <clears throat> they started with a bang for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. So, um, yeah, that's for crying out loud. Episode eight. <laughs> well, headbangers. Wasn't that one a real smash? I know it was for Miss Kilbasa. <laughs> As for Marty, he was right about that noise in his head. He probably wished he was deaf, but he got death instead. Well, until next time, Fright fans. Ears looking at you. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. Blah! What do flowers know about love anyway? Well, hello there, boils and duels. Just getting in the mood for tonight's tawdry tale. A story of love and lurid lust in the dust. <laughs> sure to arouse the sickies amongst you to some heavy breathing. A tale I call Four-Sided Triangle. All right, so moving on to episode nine, titled Four-Sided Triangle, directed by the one and only Tom Holland. Yes, um, yeah, Tom Holland is responsible for JP's favorite vampire film of all time with uh, Fright Night. <laughs> Fright Night? Nah. <laughs> Actually, probably not. No, I mean, he. you know you know what's funny, man? Tom Holland's kind of one of those household names, but, you know, in retrospect, he hasn't actually directed, like, that much you know, mm-hmm. like classic films. Like he did Child's Play. He obviously did Fright Night. You know, he went on to do a couple of, you know, I wouldn't say more favorite Stephen King adaptations in The Langoliers. He did the miniseries. He also did Thinner, uh, which is a film I do like. I'm not like overly stoked on that one. Um, but yeah, you know, he did some Tales from the Crypt and stuff like that. And he came back later. He wrote and, a lot too. Like did, The right? Beast Within, The Initiation of Sarah, yeah. Psycho 2. Um. Obviously, uh, the Langoliers, and he did the another. Did you know there was a remake of Initiation of Sarah? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and sometime in the two thousands, I think it was remade. Yeah, um, and then uh, he did like the Twisted Tales thing and stuff, and he mm-hmm. acted in Hatchet Two, which is probably one of his bigger roles. Yeah, and actually, recently he was even in uh, Digging Up the Marrow. Yeah, actually. Had a camera. Was he thinking? Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah. So, yeah, but you know, I always think of Tom Holland as somebody that directed a lot of, you know, horror films, but, you know, he didn't really. It's kind of strange, but, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple of, you know, very memorable ones and stuff. But uh, this this is, this is his second episode of Tales from the Crypt. His first one was in season two or season one, sorry. Yeah. yeah, Um, Lover Come Hack to Me. And then he has another one in the future as well, but did three total. Um, And then the writer. I don't know. He hasn't really done anything. No, Stephen Dodd, I think he just did like these episodes on Tales from the Crypt. I think that was yeah. about it. So um, this specific episode came out May 29th, 1990. Um, and yeah, from uh, Shock Suspense Stories 17. So they used Shock Suspense Stories 10, 15, and 17 all in a row. I, actually, we're on a run of Shock Suspense Stories. It's kind of interesting. Nice. Um, but yeah, the the cast, though. Yeah, man, it's got Patricia Arquette in this episode. Um, I can't remember exactly how to say the dude's name properly, but it's like, uh, what is it, Chelsea? Chelsea Ross? Is that actually how you pronounce his name? I think uh, so. He's he's a guy you see in a lot of shit, man. He plays the uh, the kind of the hillbilly farmer in this one, but um, you definitely recognize that guy from a lot of stuff. But yeah, Patricia Arquette, of course, from Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff. Um, but yeah. You know who I, I, the, the Suzanne blow blom merit i recognize her right away from one specific movie do you know what it is uh yes uh pet cemetery i believe yeah, yeah. she played missy dandridge um and always creeped me out as a kid because of like 
just how sickly she looks because she's all in pain and stuff and she hangs herself. Yep. That's how I know her. That's right. That's right. Um, okay. Yeah. Very. That's one thing I like about the Tales from the Crypt episodes, man, because, you know, they were never like super high budget and stuff. So they always had small casts. So when you introduce mm-hmm. these episodes, you're like, yep, two, three people. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. I always like yeah. that. So uh, synopsis. Uh, Farmer George is attracted to Mary Joe, the newly young woman who helps out with the chores. The problem is she's in love with a scarecrow. <laughs> <laughs> this episode, man, I, you know. When it first started, I was like, which one is this? Oh, yeah, it's the one with the scarecrow. It actually took me a minute to figure out which one it was. But um, I knew this one right away. I'm very familiar with this episode. Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting and odd, very, very odd with a cool twist in it. But uh, yeah, Patricia Arquette basically plays this. Um, she's like a farmhand. She works for uh, Charles Yates and his wife, um, played by Chelsea Ross and Susan Blomard Bartlett, whatever her name is. Um, they're, they're like, they're definitely like, I want to say maybe Southern hillbilly farmers and stuff. They're just, you know, they're an odd couple. They're very abusive. It's It almost seems like they have something on Patricia Arquette's character or something like that because she's, she hangs around and still deals and, you know, kind of puts up with all the abuse. Like they like literally physically abuse her and mentally abuse her and stuff like that but she seems to do her job and shit uh the thing is you know george actually has it you know he has uh, he's kind of smitten for her. he wants to really kind of get with her and stuff and of course patricia arquette's character mary joe is like nope you know i have somebody else kind of thing in this one specific day she's in the uh she's in the barn and you know he you know i think she's oh yeah she's milking the cows and uh, he kind of takes advantage of that and one thing leads to another and she's not having it and he ends up kind of like knocking her out and you know and uh you know, kind of, kind of confides his wife that he's technically killed her, but we know that Mary Jo is not dead. Uh, they mm-hmm. find, they find her, you know, she kind of got away from George and stuff and she wakes up and then she's all like kind of talking this love stuff with the scarecrow and shit like that. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a really, really strange episode and shit. Um, so yeah. What are your thoughts on this one? Oh, I really like this episode. Um, the, you know, what would you say his name is George or something? Yeah. George. Yeah, he's super creepy, super handsy, um, you know, super rapey. But and Very rapey. dude, they sexualized Patricia Arquette so much. And honestly, I never was a huge Patricia Arquette like fan, but she is smoking in this episode. Mm-hmm. Well, it's she's the, really hot. It's her attire in this man. Like she's wearing the tank top. <laughs> yeah, the tank top with like, and she and she has really really big boobs, and her nipples are hard the entire episode. And mm-hmm. it doesn't even seem like she's wearing a bra because they're like just she's not she's stuff. not wearing a bra. But yeah, they do sexualize her a lot. I mean, George is very like you said, rapey. He's got eyes for her. He's checking her out in every angle and stuff. And there's a scene where she's in uh, the kitchen in the fridge and stuff. And oh no, she's cooking on the stove and she's wearing these uh, ripped up jeans like but no underwear and stuff. And her ass cheeks like hanging out and he's just like ah, he's like drooling over and shit. It's kind of yeah. And fun. then when she's in the hay and she's bent over and like like her boobs literally look like they're gonna fall out of her tank top and i'm just like exactly. i'm like dude like patricia hart's <laughs> patricia hart gets like making me lose my words here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like look I, I you know i i know her from elm street three mostly but like you know she's even in like uh she's in lost highway right yep and yep. she's naked all naked in that movie but yep. i never found myself attracted to her as much as in this episode <laughs> yeah yeah 
for sure yeah she's I mean, like super smoking they, i mean honestly man if you were george and you had his wife in this like wouldn't you be attracted to that i mean you could not help but you know be trying to go in after you know yeah. mary joe every chance you possibly could and stuff you get um, a sense that she's like a runaway or something where she just has nowhere else to go I, I, and like they're taking her in for like it, it's old school it, it, it almost feels like it could be t- taking place you know in an earlier time period too, mm-hmm. like not, not super early, but you know, just like where it's, you know, a more simple time. Um, maybe like, you know, I, I guess, I guess it looked like the clothes they wear and stuff is normal, I guess, but you know, and she's kind of just like has nowhere else to go and they give her room and board and yeah. she just is, has to work. And even the, you know, wife is like, you know, we can't, we can't, uh, you know, it's hard to find good help type thing. You know what I mean? Like they, we can only abuse her so much. Yeah. We can't, we can't, we can punish her, but we can't make her not able to work essentially. Like we can't, you know, hurt her too much. <laughs> she basically says in so many words, killing her won't get us any help, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Right. So, you know, if you kill her, she's not going to be helping out around there. But uh, yeah. So after she gets kind of knocked out and stuff, she comes to get she comes to and she's like talking all this crazy love shit and stuff. And like George is like trying to get she with seems her. To she, have maybe gotten some brain damage yeah, a little bit. Right. And, you know, George is like trying to get with her and stuff. She's like, no, no, we can't do this. You know, like I have a boyfriend and she's telling people that she like she has somebody and, you know, like he wears a hat and he's very tall and stuff and wears a suit and and she's it seems like she's kind of fucking lost. Yeah. She's like, he's going to come one night and make love to me or something. (laughs) The wife gets super mad. She's talking about that stuff. And yeah, you know, she smacks her with the broom or whatever. But then you have the wife, you know, like George is like, you know, I I would never cheat on you, you know? And he's like, she's like, I know you haven't yet. And like, you know that she knows like hardcore, you know, it's like, yeah, like she's not dumb. She knows that like this hot young thing walking around is going to, entice anybody but um boy dude like this one the end of this one's kind of uh like super like that guy is super sleazy but also just like oh shit you know how the you know he so what what happens is he dresses up as the scare because she he knows that she's like obsessed with the scarecrow so he's like well if i just pretend to be the scarecrow i could essentially have sex with which is without. actually kind of an odd part of the story too because it actually proves that she actually legitimately was either crazy or or brain damaged or something because she was like trying to get with the scarecrow that was actually not him at first but then he takes advantage of the situation he's like well if i dress up like the scarecrow i can totally just yeah her kind of there thing, right? there's a moment in the very end where she says like now we're free Mm -hmm. and i almost took it as like this whole thing was a setup but i i don't like it if that's the case because it just seems like a ridiculous like just leave you know type thing (laughs) i just kind of took it as like she was just saying that shit because she was like legitimately crazy and at this point it's like yeah like it's a little bit confusing that she actually has brain damage like that's what i think about it for sure for sure but it's you know he dresses up as the scarecrow to basically seduce her yeah, or, take advantage know, of the situation yeah and then um the, the wife is all pissed off because she hears that you know her down there and the jealous and wife <laughs> and uh he, she comes down there and stabs this she's like it's not real <laughs> and she stabs the shit out of him with the pitchfork yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm just like priceless that's what you get you old fuck right I mean, oh man, you try to take advantage of the situation and get stabbed up with a pitchfork. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fun episode, man. It's um I mean, good performance. On- I I think that Patricia Arquette plays like the 
brain damaged teen pretty good and and she's like singing that song chicken pot pie and like whatever accent yeah. <laughs> she has like because she doesn't have that accent in real life right that she did no that and, the- we'll either do the you know the the um the farm um couple you know so mm-hmm. like their accents and shit like playing that hillbilly shit i i just like everything about this episode like the whole wardrobes the accents everything everyone kind of plays the role so good in this and even even just the farmhouse and stuff it just ha- it you know it just looks good and Oh, it does. It does, man. It clips along too, man, because I, I like the fact that they actually introduced the fact that, you know, you know, she is crazy and, you know, this and that. Like, I mean, all these short episodes kind of do that to you and stuff, but I, I think this one works well. I think it does actually work quite well that, you know, he takes advantage of the situation. And I, I just like the way this one develops and shit. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. So I do too. Um, But yeah, so I guess that's probably it for Four Sided Triangle episode yes. nine. Yep. That young lady certainly knew how to make her point. But what a shame for poor George and Louisa. They thought they had their labor problems all sewed up. But Mary Jo formed her own union with the Scarecrow. (laughs) And just when George was going to reward Mary Jo for all her hard work with a big bonus... is definitely not what you call safe sex. Tune in next week, kiddies, for another terribly traumatic tale. (laughs) Good evening, fear fans. You're just in time. Contents. One ventriloquist dummy, Hackme Novelty Company, Battle Shriek, Michigan. Oh, goody. Watch these kiddies. You won't see my lips move. You know why? I don't have any. Well, hello, Dickie. Would you like me to tell a tale from the crypt? No thanks, Death Then how about sitting a little closer to the fire? Now I can dole out a diseased little ditty about the schizophrenic nature of showbiz and how to hack your way to the top. So grab hold of your guts, kiddies, because tonight you get to rub elbows with the ventriloquist's dummy. All right, so moving along into episode 10, titled The Ventriloquist Dummy, directed by Richard Donner. Seems like we've been talking about Richard Donner uh, quite a bit recently. Um, of course, we did the Omen franchise a while back, and he, of course, directed the first one. Um, and he actually acts as, I'm probably sure that we've mentioned this, but he acts as one of the main executive producers on Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this is one of the, is this the first episode that he did, or did he do one in the first season, too? Um, Richard Donner with Tales from the Crypt, he did... Uh... I want to say that he did do one in the first. He did actually. He did find it. Uh, dig that cat. He's real well, gone. Yeah. Yeah. So he did do one in the. Okay. And then he actually does another one. So overall, he does like three episodes. But if you're not familiar with Richard Donner, of course, he did The Omen. He did Superman, you know, The Goonies and shit, which we've mentioned, Lethal Weapon movies. Very mm-hmm. prolific type director. So, you know, when you see Richard Donner's name attached to an episode of uh, Tales from the Crypt, you get pretty damn excited because, let's face it, man, you know, 
he was definitely heavily involved in this being the executive one of the main executives. he did producers. the omen yeah that's what i said and he did the omen of course and stuff so um but yeah and i mean the writer oh go ahead good what are you saying uh yeah no this one premiered on june 5th 1990 actually uh but the writer is also somebody big uh who did the oh frank darabon frank darabon yeah yeah nice <laughs> so um, um you know he frank darabon dude frank darabon wrote the screenplay to dream warriors uh i think i don't know if he or was he just one of the guys that did hmm says he wrote dream warriors the blob and the fly too he did the screenplay is there multiple screenplay Oh yeah, see there, there's multiple there's multiple people on it because I know Wes Craven wrote the story. Bruce Wagner was on it. There's a bunch of writing credits oh, okay. on here, so I'm thinking it was probably a collabo maybe on the story and screenplay. So yeah, mm. he's one of the names that's definitely attached to it for sure. Yeah, but yeah, he also did Godzilla. Uh, or sorry, he did do Godzilla, but <laughs> um, Shawshank Redemption and uh, the Green Mile and the Mist. Yeah, and yep. uh, big Walking Dead guy, um, and then he also directed. The Green Mile, Shawshank, Buried Alive, the TV movie, The Mist. Mm-hmm. Very, very talented duo here. <laughs> you do notice that with a lot of uh, with a lot of directors slash writers and stuff. If they adapt one Stephen King novel, they they do more. Yeah, they come in bunches. Yeah. Like Mick Garris is like the king of it. Yeah, and Mick Garris did all the crappy ones though. I always associate Mick Garris with being like he did the not so great adaptations. <laughs> He's done some good ones. Uh, I don't know. I guess it all depends on how you look at it. <laughs> stand. What about the stand? I mean, the stand is okay. I mean, it's it's so dated now. I I mean, I'd like to see a an updated version of the stand for sure. You would like to see? Did you know that it's like done? Yeah, I mean, hopefully it comes out. I mean, it, well, it's it's coming to. I think it's almost done, but they it's uh coming to cbs all access i mean we've talked about this stand redoing the stand for i think a few years now even in the news bits and stuff so do you know who the old lady old black lady in the stand is the new one no whoopi goldberg oh really nice yeah (laughs) but um yeah uh you know anyway um okay so the ventriloquist dummy this one's actually starring uh don rickles which is like one of my favorite comedians man that dude is he really just kind of plays himself in this man he's just that you know that smooth talking mm-hmm. one-lining guy always screaming and yelling and shit um and also bob uh bobcat goldweight is in this one also his name's hard to say isn't it Golth? gold gold Goldweight. yeah bobcat goldweight it, it's like because you're constantly moving your mouth back and forth <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. so hard to add that th in there it is uh man. tells from the crypt number 28 this one is so back actually an adaptation of one that tells from crypts all right synopsis amateur ventriloquist billy goldman it's funny that his name is billy goldman in this too learns that being a ventriloquist might not be the best career for him um <laughs> so this episode starts out with don wrinkles is like this don rickles is like this famous uh, ventriloquist and uh he's you know he's getting older in his career and the the episode starts out where billy is actually like a young kid and he's seeing him uh which turns out to be uh rickles um or mr ingles last performance because something actually happens to him after that uh, that show so billy sees him as a young kid he's like what 12 or 13 years old or some shit Mm-hmm. He gets to meet him backstage and he's like just totally in love with, with Mr. Ingalls, man. And the whole idea of being a ventriloquist. So, um, he gets his autograph and he decides at that moment, like he wants to be a ventriloquist. Uh, so basically cuts to like 
15 years later and you know when he had met um billy uh mr ingles had told him he's like you know later on in life you know you can kind of look me up and shit and of course uh billy takes advantage of that he shows up at his place one day and stuff and he's like yo he's like i've decided i want to be a ventriloquist and for my very first show i want you to come and check this out and uh so, you know, of course, Mr. Ingalls is like, the, he's grumpy, he's old as fucking stuff like that. Because what had happened on his very last show, um, after the show, there was like a fire and shit like that. And something happened to him and it kind of ended his career. He, you know, he fucked up his hand. He got all burnt up and shit like that. So now, you know, it's all these years later and he's all grumpy and shit like that. And because he, you know, his career was all ended and stuff. And uh, so he's asking him to come and see him and shit. And he's really reluctant to do that and stuff. And then, and then of course, Billy gets on stage and totally completely bombs. <laughs> which is fucking amazing <laughs> it sucks it's like the worst fucking ventriloquist fucking show of all time i swear to god it's just brutal um you know and then of course you know mr ingles actually does show up and he sees him bomb on stage and shit like that and uh but yeah let's kind of leave it at that point we'll get into the the rest of it but this episode is fucking fun man i absolutely love this episode like it's just don rickles playing himself essentially you know you know just anybody that says anything out of the crowd, he just comes with his quick remarks with the heckling and shit. And like, but where this one goes is fucking awesome, man. I love this episode. It's so beyond goofy and shit. Cause it, it kind of sets it up like, um, that, you know, the ventriloquist doll is actually like a killer kind of doll. Um, cause like I said, in the beginning of the film, there's something that happens after Rickles show. And, uh, there's like this fire and these people die and shit like that. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's kind of leaning towards it. Like it's a fucking killer doll. You know, I love this. Mm-hmm. I love this episode, man. It's so much fun. Yeah. And you know what? It's the, the damn performances and it goes like full blown ridiculousness once the reveal <laughs> happens and like they're fighting and shit and the, the little, uh, half brother, like the stuff that he's saying is just ridiculous ridiculous oh i know it's it's so funny so basically what happens here after um you know billy has this total bomb on stage and mr ingles sees that and shit uh ingles actually leaves the um leaves the club and stuff and then you know something happens outside there's like a woman that's found dead and shit like that and and billy kind of sees this and kind of puts two and two together and shit and he's like i think ingles did this like you know i think he's a killer you know he he did kind of did you know did something to this woman so he confronts him at his house and where Mr. Ingalls, he basically tells Billy that, you know, it's the doll. It's the doll. It's the ventriloquist that did this. It's not me and shit like that. And, of course, Billy, you know, he goes and grabs the actual doll. And she's like, no, it's just a fucking doll. It doesn't do this shit. And then we get this reveal that Mr. Ingalls' hand actually is. It's basically like basket case in a sense. <laughs> but his, like, twin brother is actually, like, attached to his hand. And, of course, if you're going to have that type of deformity, you might as well use it as, you know, a ventriloquist doll. <laughs> right? It only fucking makes yeah. sense. But it turns out this thing is, like, actually, like, evil and shit. And it's, it does bad things and stuff. Oh, it's fucking ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, of course, once the reveal happens to Billy, they're all like, holy shit, this is fucking crazy and stuff. And then uh, Mr. Ingalls has had enough. And he takes, like, a meat cleaver and he cuts his fucking hand off, you know, to get rid of his evil <laughs> ass, this, his evil ass twin brother that's attached to his hand kind of thing. And uh, essentially, Ingalls dies. He fucking dies. So Billy takes advantage of the situation. 
And he's like, well, since I suck so bad at being a real ventriloquist, I'm going to steal this fucking, you know, his half brother, attach it to his hand and shit. And he goes and does a set and shit. It's just, it's fucking, it's absolutely ridiculous episode, man. But (laughs) I love, I love after Rick or uh, Mr. Ingalls cuts it off. (laughs) Like it's this fucking like hand head, arm thing you want to call it, whatever is like when he's just standing there talking and shit, I'm like, oh my God, this is so stupid. It's ridiculous. But oh, dude, it's hilarious. And then when he has it in the like meat grinder he's like talking shit to it you know mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like i'm gonna fucking kill you and then he's like wait <laughs> like i got an idea type thing and it's just like ridiculous because you know you know it's probably gonna end bad for him but it, and then like but you know what's weird is like when he's talking shit bobcat yeah i feel like some of his lines were dubbed in afterwards did you get that or did you not notice that Oh, like act- like when Bobcat was actually talking on stage? No, no, no. Like when he's like fighting with the thing. Like ah. I like hmm. the audio seems to not match the room for some of them. Oh, weird. You know, I didn't even actually even really notice. And it's something usually I would notice, but I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, that- I've noticed it before. Um, it could be, yeah, they might've changed the dialogue after maybe just kind of dubbed in something. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Like they came up with some better lines or yeah. something or yeah. extra or more lines and they just like kind of yeah. dubbed hmm. them in afterwards. But man, that <clears> whole <throat> scene when Billy confronts Mr. Ingalls about the murders and stuff and then it just goes haywire. It's just absolutely fucking hilarious, man. It, it just goes like from, you know, point A to like point fucking D in like two minutes. It's, it's awesome. It just... <laughs> He just gets there so quick. I love it, man. Uh, it's just so unexpected, too. This is one of my... This is actually one of my favorite episodes. I just like the... I love the way this one goes because it totally does lead you to believe that it's, like, literally this, like, killer Chucky doll kind of thing, right? And it, it takes you in this totally different area of, of this, like, kind of Frank Henenlotter-type-esque, you know, Siamese evil twin type thing. I love that shit, man. It's great. Great casting. Bob Bobcat's great in the episode. Um, like when he's on stage and he's just fucking sweating it so bad he can't deal with the crowd the lights are in his eyes and shit he's he's just mumbling everywhere he's sucking so hard i think his performance is excellent there man it's awesome rickles is always great in everything man he delivers all his lines with so much fucking hate charm uh it's just it's brilliant everything he says in this episode is funny like even when he he's just that typical old grumpy ass man slash comedian that just seems to work it's great casting it's dude my favorite part is like bobcat's like and Bobcat's voice is like I just it sounds like an animation voice like I know he's done like tons of animation voice work mm. but it's just like I pick his voice is so unique but he's like couldn't you lo- use your left and he's like left left you ask me <laughs> if I could use the left of course like he's like <laughs> he gets so upset over, he's like <laughs> he's like left left <laughs> of course I can't use the left <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, fuck. but i mean Rick, he has a point mr ingles has a point there and he's like yo man he's like you just couldn't use your other hand he's like no he's like he, he says something he's like this is what you do with this hand and this is where all the magic is in this one i'm like kind of yeah. makes sense actually like yeah. i don't know if well, you especially could just... once you realize what's going on <laughs> well exactly right but even in reality right like you know it's like you know you tell someone to drive a stick with their other hand and i'm like wait a minute i don't know if i could actually do that i don't think my arm functions like that so yeah. but uh such a great episode. Actually, one of my favorites. I mean, it just, it goes full-blown, like, 
craziness absolutely crazy um Mm -hmm. but it's the performances man it's just it's directed so well it just clips along it's a shorter episode too it only runs about 24 minutes so it gets right into it even though we have like a bit of a backstory with billy as a kid and stuff this one clips along it's fucking great man awesome episode so yeah all right so that is going to conclude episode 10 the ventriloquist dummy what do you say folks billy deserves a big hand don't you think sheesh the thing some folks will do to get ahead in show business oh well next time somebody tells billy he's no dummy he can say wanna bet waiting for my blood pack to harden. My cosmetologist said I was starting to look a little lifeless. <laughs> Much better, eh? Which reminds me, tonight's poison parable is about a couple who take their appearance very seriously. Needless to say, they're going to end up trying to save face. I call this one Judy. You're not yourself today. All right, so moving along into episode 11, titled Judy, You're Not Yourself Today, uh, directed by Randa Haynes. Um, I don't know if Randa Hayes actually, Haynes actually did anything horror. Um, I'm looking at the filmography here. A lot of TV work and stuff. Nothing really horror-related. Actually did an episode of El- uh, the Hitchcock Presents series, uh, the 80s series. Um, did the pilot, actually. So that's really about it for horror directing. Yeah, and then the writer is Scott Nimmerfro, who's done Nimmerfro. mostly some producing. What'd you say? N- yeah, I think it's Nimmerfro. And he's done uh, the Hannibal TV show, mm-hmm. but he wrote he wrote eleven episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Nice. Uh, this specific episode came out uh, June twelfth, nineteen ninety. It's actually it's it, actually one of the longer episodes. This one runs about twenty twenty nine minutes. And it's uh, Tales from the Crypt number twenty five, adapted from. Yeah. So, uh, good. S- synopsis. A housewife stressed out by her husband's reckless behavior welcomes an elderly cosmetic salesman into her home, only to, s- to discover that the old hag has, an- has a- another more devious motive. The old hag. It's so funny. Um, yeah, this episode right here, man, has got Frances Bay in it, man. That's totally awesome. She plays like the, the cosmetic sale- salesman slash witch in this. Uh, if you're not familiar with Frances Bay, man, I mean she's been in so much stuff um probably the one movie that i always picture her from happy gilmore happy gilmore I know yeah she, i can't unsee it <laughs> yeah she plays the uh you know happy's grandma so most people can probably put a face to the name now um also starring carol kane and she's another um you know kind of character actress that uh, yeah has been her in face t- is so familiar and her voice that's what she's known for her voice i mean if you don't know the name just you know look 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 her up you'll see the face you're like oh okay yeah she's been in a ton of things too as a character actor um so kind of kind of interesting um i know her most from uh when a stranger calls and when a stranger calls back in terms of horror yeah yeah exactly 
Yeah. But she plays the mom and licensed to drive as well. I also know her from that. She's in Transylvania 65,000. You've seen her before. Oh, you've, you've seen her and you've heard her. You just, you can't miss the voice. So, um, but uh, yeah, the episode, man, um, she basically plays kind of like a housewife and uh, she's kind of, you know, tripping balls on her husband who's like this kind of all American gun toting type of husband and shit. <laughs> but he's fake. <laughs> but he, but he's technically like fake as fucking shit like that. And she's kind of, she's that type of person that is just kind of a free spirit. You know, she, you know, when someone comes to the house, she's willing to like let them in all the time and shit. And he's kind of giving her shit about this. Like you got to stop doing that. Cause you know, some shit he's basically saying to her, like some shit's some bad shit's probably going to happen to you someday. Um, of course, you know, she makes that uh, fatal mistake of um, letting someone into the house when, uh, you know, the salesman kind of shows up at her door played by Francis Bay. She lets her into the house and you know what Francis Bay's character is up to is that she basically kind of wants to switch her body cuz she's old and decrepit. She's like this really old witch and she has this amulet and uh she ends up kind of taking um Judy's younger body, kind of switching bodies and shit like that. So, I kind of like the premise of this one. I I mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of cool. Um and so, yeah. So, your thoughts on the episode? So yeah, uh, this is one that I I know, but I, I've never been a huge fan of. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because this one's like quirkiness is like starts right. It just like the music and the way that it's like done, it, it's like quirky and it Dude, right away you could kind of get I that lit- vibe. It's one of the notes I have. I'm like the music is hella goofy in this episode. It really is because you know it 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 just it has that kind of goofy tone to it. Like you can tell right away that the husband's, you know, he's a little bit fake and shit and she's just kind of eccentric a little bit and stuff. And then the music kind of plays into their, that little narrative perfectly, but it is really damn goofy, man. <laughs> it sounds like it almost sounds kiddish goofy. It's, it's really, it's a strange kind of uh, tone to the episode. It really is. So, yeah, uh, I dig the, I dig the witch and the switch and stuff. My favorite part comes when, well, first of all, like there is some good scenes, and you know, it's not my favorite episode, and but because the competition is so high, you know what I mean? They're like when you're talking oh, for about sure. Dummy for crying out loud, like those episodes and stuff, it makes like an episode that in a regular anthology show, you know, this would probably be a stand, like one of the standout episodes. But you know, Tells from the Crypt doesn't mess around. But like when he comes in, like it was actually smart, right? So he knows that he find he. You know, what I like about this episode, I'm going in multiple places right now, but what I like about this episode is you expect it to be this long, drawn-out process where the guy doesn't believe the wife Yeah, that, that she's been switched, but he, he kind of rolls with it right away, and he's actually pretty smart because he locks her in the closet so that when he switches, she'll be stuck in there. You know what I mean? So he goes and finds her, and you know she's like leaving town and stuff, and he's like, "Judy, you got to accept that the cancer is spreading, and they can't do anything to stop it." And the witch, of course, is like, "What?" <laughs> you know? Well, that's the thing because, like, when he comes home, he's he he comes home and he's thinking he's coming home to his young wife, and he sees this old hag in there, and he's like, "What the fuck?" He's like, you know, so he basically tackles or puts her to the ground and asks her all these you know personal questions that only his wife would kind of know. So. I do like the way it's written. It's written fast. It doesn't waste any time with beating around the bush. Like, Oh no, you're not my wife and kicks her out. And then, you know, this is long drawn out process. I totally agree with that. But yeah, like he, he kind of essentially almost beats it out of her and then locks in the closet. It actually is decently written. And then he, he gets a call from his buddy, right? Who sees his wife at the train station, I believe. And she's sitting there drinking out of, out of character. And like, she's taken off kind of thing. Right. So, 
I like that premise, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, the, the another one of my favorite aspects is when they're they're like up and they because I'm I, I didn't remember what they do with her because this whole thing happens with like still like half the episode to go when they get the switch back. And I'm like, yeah. where the hell? I, don't, I can't remember where it goes from here. You mm-hmm. know, so they bury her in the damn basement, you know, which is creepy as hell. I, would you think about that? Right. You have a witch in your house, right? Yeah. You have a, a basement. Like, would you be able to sleep at night knowing you have a witch buried in your basement? Well, that's that's the part of the episode <laughs> I, I don't understand. So, yeah, so they essentially get them together. They get the switch back. They they end up killing the old hag. And, um, but, like, yeah, why would you think it was a good idea to bury, like, really anybody in your house? I, I just think that's a bad idea. And, you know, the idea that she is a witch and she could possibly come back, you know, doesn't that just seem logical that something's probably going to come of that? Yeah. <laughs> right. Which it does, which it actually does. So, yeah. And it's cre- She comes back. I do. They do a good job of making decrepit uh, people returning from the grave. Look awesome in this. series. Yeah. No, I thought the effects are really good on this one. Yeah. Actually, I liked the, the whole basin scene is actually really great, man. It's, it's lit really well. It's acted well. It's still a little mm-hmm. bit goofy, but yeah, the, the effects on her look really damn cool. And, and it kind of takes you through some more twists and turns at that point too. I mean, of course it's going to come to that, that aspect of like, she switched the bot. She switched it out again. You know, I'm Judy, I'm Judy, but there, there is like a really great moment in this too, which is kind of predictable because, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just given what like their living situation and stuff. And, you know, she comes back from the dead. And, uh, you know, she's claiming and, you know, the young woman is claiming it, you know, it's her. No, it's her. They're basically having this battle and like of who's who. No, she's Judy. I'm your wife. I'm your wife. I'm your wife and stuff. And this, the, you know, the husband as, you know, as ridiculous as he is and how phony he is actually comes up with a pretty good plan. He's like, he's like, Hey Judy, he's like, can, uh, he's like, he throws her the keys and is like, can you bring the, can you bring the Jaguar around so we can get out of here kind of thing? She grabs the key, starts walking away and he's like. Honey, we don't have it. We don't have a jaguar. A jag. <laughs> and it's like yeah, right there. He honestly, just... there's some there's some underrated comedy beats in here too because yeah. he's all like, he goes to shoot her in the closet and he is like the like dude. It is such a dork thing. Like he just like turning his head and firing the gun. It's hitting all kind of plates and oh, I, I'm surprised he hit the closet one time. Uh, that's that's the weird part about that scene yeah so like after they do the switch and she's locked in the closet and stuff like i don't even understand like i get it like he's a fake gun fan and stuff and he doesn't even really know how to shoot and stuff but what the fuck is with him shooting everywhere like it's like (laughs) he literally starts shooting but then he can't control and he's shooting everywhere but the weird thing is turning his head so of course he's like not looking at the what he's shooting (laughs) but like the, the the funny thing about how she dies she doesn't even get fucking shot though she doesn't no she actually dies of a heart attack man she comes out of the closet he never even shoots the closet well how does she come out then i don't know i think she might i thought i thought she had a bullet hole in her chest dude no i'm pretty sure she did i don't think so man i don't think he ever shoots her i think that when she comes out like she actually has a heart attack and falls through the door and onto the floor because i'm like i don't think he ever got her because if you look at the uh the way the bullets are raining around like he shoots the roof he shoots the side oh of the yeah door, I, he, shoots I, the, he shoots the wall like i don't think there's actually one shot that goes through there but i think that she comes out and actually has a heart attack because that's yeah, how fucking I, yeah maybe i don't know i i thought i saw like honestly two holes in her chest but i could be wrong um, i have to notice that when we re- if we ever rewatch this episode but which i think it makes it funnier that that he didn't hit her and then she dies of a heart attack and then yeah that i mean it would be but <laughs> um 
<laughs> you know and then of course he's like that felt sick he's like i fucking blew her away and he's like yeah. it reminded me of that scene in full metal jacket where he's like he's like i fucking blew her away yeah. like <laughs> and i'm like what this fucking guy's an idiot <laughs> um but yeah it's actually a pretty funny episode it's yeah. a little underrated like you, you watch it and you're like oh that was okay but you think back on it and you're like there were some funny moments in that i just i just honestly think that you know it, the way this one, you know, the one, how this one progresses its narrative. And so I think it just could have been a little bit better. I don't know, man. Just like, cause there's so much potential for like really intriguing switches and stuff. And I, I don't know, man, I think this one just kind of plays itself out a little bit too obvious, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's a decent episode. It's definitely not one of my favorite ones, but I enjoy it though. I think it honestly runs just a little bit too long. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. I mean, because there is a point in, you know, like after, you know, after the witch dies and stuff and the bear, it actually, it, it actually takes place three months later. And I, I was just like, oh, really? Like she just decided to, you know, kind of rise after three months. Like I, I, I was just like, what? Why three months? Why wouldn't you just do it like two days later kind of thing? I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing, but definitely not one of my favorite ones. Got anything else? Nope. All right, so that is episode 11, Judy. You're not yourself today. I still think diamonds are a girl's best friend. You'll be glad to know that that witch gave up door-to-door sales and joined the Peace Corps. (laughs) Poor Donald. You can't really blame him. He was only trying to give his marriage a shot in the arm. And in the leg. And in the head. Sometimes I crack myself up. <laughs> Until next time, kiddies. Pleasant screams. <laughs> there you are, sports fiends. You know, dead people like me make excellent point guards. When we can't get off a shot, we simply pass. Away, that is. (laughs) Speaking of which, allow me to be your fear leader for tonight's halftime show. It's a putrid playlist about my personal favorite sport, being a mortician. I fittingly call it fitting... Punishment. Okay, moving into episode 12, titled Fitting Punishment, directed by Jack Shoulder. That's how you say his name. Jack Shoulder. Uh, I don't know who he is, but wait, is he, did he do Henry? Um, Like direct it? Or, or am I thinking of, who no, am I thinking of no. Henry? No, you're thinking of, um, oh my God, dude, I can, I can see the guy's name right now. He did the Borward too. Um. No, you're, this guy right here, you know the name because he directed uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's oh, Revenge. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, then he went on to do The Hidden, which is another really good movie. Um, but in Alone ni- in the Dark. 1982, he did the amazing Alone in the Dark. Um, yeah, he also Wishmaster did- 2, which is a favorite of mine. This is actually kind of funny. He actually did that TV movie in 1995, The Omen. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, I just, dude. You know what's <laughs> stupid to me? I just said all this last week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and then he actually did the he did that um, uh, giant killer spider movie Arachnid in two thousand and one, which I actually don't mind that movie. It's actually not too bad. I think it may have been a TV movie. I'm not sure, but um, so so you know, at the end of the day, this guy's done a fair share of horror movies. He's done some classic horror movies too. So mm-hmm. uh, I did and w- the writer Wishmaster two also. So which yeah, I lo- and I like Wishmaster two a lot. But the writer, one of the writers. Good old Don Mancini. Yeah, Don Mancini. Crazy. Yeah, of course, from the entire Child's Play fame. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, this one was June 19th, 1990. It first premiered. Uh, Vault of Horror number 16. Synopsis. When funeral director Ezra Thornberry gets his very polite young nephew Bobby as a roommate, he eventually learns that his rude, harsh behavior towards him could be fatal. Uh, That's a shit synopsis. <laughs> yeah, I, I, right. Um, he never learns that at all. He never no, read re- re- to the end of this, man. He's still being a fucking prick. Um, Dude, this is an episode. This has always been one I of my favorites. When I first seen it, I, didn't lo- I just thought it was like lame. Oh, really? I love this one. I love this episode now. Yeah, I don't know actually... what the hell I'm smoking. It's first of all, I love the setting. Like this Me this too. urban setting in the funeral home and stuff. It's an entire black cast. Um you you have this whole, like great performances both by the nephew and the uncle. Like he's just a motherfucker right away, dude. Like he's like Dude, this guy's you know, such a motherfucker that he didn't even know who his own <laughs> nephew was. He's like, and then when he goes to tell tell him like I'm your I'm your nephew, Uncle, and he's like he's like, Will you tell you my my no good sister? And she's like, She's dead, Uncle. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> she she's like he's like he uh she um uh, you know hit head on collision on on I ninety five and he's like probably was messy. Good for business. And I'm like, yeah. Jesus, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some great like, lines. He's just the grumpiest. Oh, yeah. He's the grumpiest, cheapest fucking criminal fucking ever man like this guy i feel is like just... he's a millionaire as much fucking penny pension he's done for 40 years oh i know he's just oh man like what an asshole everything dude he goes up to show him the room he's sleeping on like the like literally an uh roll away autopsy table that's metal as fuck and yeah. he's like he's turns out the light it's just this shitty dark room and he's like he's like god said let let there be light or something he's like of course light costs electricity electricity costs money he turns it off what do you think water grows on trees i like the part where he comes downstairs and the kid left the tap kind of dripping he's like what do you think water grows on trees yeah he smacks the (laughs) shit out of him and then the other one what does he say he's like he's like well you know like it says in the bible penny saved is a penny earned he's like uh didn't didn't Ben Franklin say that? And he slaps the shit out of him. He's like, don't you contradict me, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love this man. He he's shows. Sca- dude, is he scary? Like, I, I picture myself being like, I like stuck living with this asshole, like as a little kid, you know, try- and he's trying to do his best. You know what I mean? Well, it's- and this dude's like just a straight, just a motherfucker. Like the moment. And he's so fucking fake to you in front of everybody else. Right. Oh, yeah. Like when he's like doing his job, he's like, He's like, my heart bleeds, Mrs. Jones. And then they leave and he slams the guy, the dude's fucking piano. He's like, stop playing that racket. 
<laughs> fucking cheaping out on the coffin like this guy is this guy's so yeah. scandalous this guy's so scandalous that he's cheaping out on coffins he's using like he's even like you know burying people in the fucking shipping boxes and stuff and he's like taking out the gold teeth and he's not using any damn embalming fluid he's using water yeah water. he's just he's doing everything in his in his fucking plausible ways to like you know save every dollar and just oh man it's just a bad dude he's a bad dude like read from the read from when you get introduced to the to the nephew man like this guy doesn't know who his nephew is he doesn't care about his sister he puts him to work the kid can't do anything right he starts abusing him beating him and shit <laughs> like it's just fucking brutal man oh dude yeah and it's then, to the point course, yeah to the yeah. point where you know he starts abusing to the point where he realizes that the kid is like costing him money and shit like that and he's like okay man i'm probably gonna, he doesn't you know you kind of get the intention like you know he he's gonna do something about this so he ends up beating him with a crowbar which ultimately kind of like disables him you know yeah, they, they, it, they, the one thing they kind of fuck it up a little bit because they're like he'll never be able to walk again know, but he's able to walk with crutches and i'm like well i don't know about never be able to walk again yeah and so <laughs> but, you know it's it the the severity of the you know scene is is tough he's like He's like, damn, full boy. I told him not to run in the house. It, it, this is a product of his own stupidity or something. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, Jesus, dude. You're like, you, like you're such an ass. And then to to the probably the coldest thing that he did to this kid was he sold his he sold his Jordans. <laughs> See, I think they yeah they totally did fuck up with that because even to use that angle and stuff, they had to have him like you know that he could still kind of walk on them and right because yeah, he needed right? to be asking because he, he needed to be asking for his shoes and they, they kind of play into that it actually plays like out through the rest of the net <laughs> through the rest of the narrative actually but it's just so brutal like dude he's like all fucked up and he's on these crutches and shit and then he ultimately ends up like he kind of he ends up what does he throw a basketball at him right he throws a basketball yeah at him he, he, he like so this kid's down in the basement still after like a day after his fucking traumatic life-altering spinal oh, injury yeah, he's, he's like, down there fucking working cleaning bodies and he he walks over to the steps and he's just like the way that it's shot you just see him look up like ah, this is gonna take a lot of work to get up these bad boys and the scene even goes pretty long where it shows him like climbing up these long ass steps yeah. <laughs> and he gets to the top and his fucking uncle's standing there with his basketball he's like what are you doing with my ball uncle and he just whips it at him and fucking hits him and he falls backwards down the steps and you're just like dude and then on top of that he's too fucking short to fit he's too tall to fucking fit in the coffin so dude cuts his legs off it's just dude like yeah. this is a fantastic episode like he doesn't even waste any time man he knocks him down the stairs throws him right up on the table fucking drains him out and then he's like oh shit breaks out the hacks or the fucking power saw cuts off his legs and shit. i love this scene though man so it kind of cuts to him putting him in this box and then they're putting him in the ground and stuff and the and the uh, the priest is like he's like yo that seems like a really short box for such a tall boy uh-huh this <laughs> yeah. is fucking brutal man ah shit man such a great episode but i love it though so he's Ezra's back at the funeral home after the funeral and stuff, and he's doing his shit, and he's downstairs, and all of a sudden this fucking ball comes bouncing down the stairs, and it's like totally chain ish right? It's totally the yeah. chain link. Oh, I love that shit, man. It's great. And then we get this fucking this shot of the just his feet in his fucking. <laughs> they're actually in his Nikes too, aren't they? Yeah. 
<laughs> walking down the stairs and it's just his feet and it's followed by this body being held up by crutches without the feet and stuff and oh it's great man it's great man that whole end scene is super dark and like super atmospheric and even the the nephew looks super awesome like the makeup on him he just looks deathly it's awesome it's great it's simple but it works it's very effective but 100 percent yeah, man, I, I love the way this one. Honestly, man, it's it's a super dark comedy because really, you know, the character of Ezra is just like <laughs> it's so overdone. I mean, do pe- are people really like this? You know, just not willing to accept family like that, like cheap bastards. And dude, know, I just- could I could tell you right now, man, I had a a, a great grandfather who was a motherfucker, dude. He was so mean. He I mean, was. He reminded me exactly of this dude. I mean, he like my pap didn't even go to my grandfather didn't even go see him when he was dying in the hospital like because he was such a bad human being i mean it makes sense you know like if you own your own business and stuff and you're like you're just money hungry and shit i mean that's probably your attitude towards everything you don't give a shit about the bottom line the dollar and stuff and like i just love him (laughs) he's like there's a scene where he's like scraping off the maiden taiwan sticker off this thing and shit this just fucking cracks me up man he's just he's just a bad dude just a bad dude man but you know, he gets it in the end. He gets it in the end. Such so it's, it's honestly, it's always been one of my favorite episodes. I mean, like you said right off the beginning, the setting is amazing. Great characters, great atmosphere, great effects. Um, just straight up dark black comedy in there. It's awesome. Great episode. So that's going to do it for episode 12, Fitting Punishments. Well, looks like old Ezra learned raising a teen is no walk in the graveyard. Now he's going to need one of his cheap coffins for himself. That's what he gets for having a name like Ezra. As for poor Bobby, he got a pretty nasty case of athlete's foot, didn't he? I mean, I've heard of Footloose, but yikes! Oh well, I guess the next best thing to making a goal is becoming a ghoul. Right, kitties? <laughs> oh, hi there, Fright Fiends. How do you like my rancid rendering? Not bad for an amateur. Hopefully it'll give you an inkling of what tonight's fungusy photo play is about. Because long before my eerie offerings appeared on your silver screen, they were a magazine called... Get a load of this. Tales from a Crypt. So tonight, let's take a behind-the-screams look at a struggling artist named Jim Corman, who one day got a little too... drawn in to his work. Alrighty, so getting into episode 13 here, uh, and it is called Corman's Calamity. Yeah, directed by Rowdy Harrington. That's a great name. I don't know what it is about that name. I like it, though. Um, He actually directed... uh, (laughs) Rowdy Harrington. Rowdy Harrington. It just sounds awesome. Uh, He directed Jack's Back that was actually released by Screen Factor. I actually did that Blu-ray. And uh, most famously, he did Roadhouse, actually, um, which everybody knows Roadhouse. Uh, and gladiator he did gladiator with was that the one with cuba oh, Gooding jr th- that's okay that's the yeah i think that's, that's the, the boxing movie. Ju- yeah it's a boxing movie and then striking distance i believe is with uh bruce willis yeah i actually saw the movie in the theater and the writer terry black um he did 
uh, he wrote Dead Heat. Nice. And five episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Nice. Um, and he actually had writing on Tales from the Crypt, uh, the animated series, the Tales from the Crypt Keeper. He had some writing credits on those too. Hmm. Uh, so he's been around a little. Bit. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, all right, Corman's Calamity uh synopsis june uh june 26 1990 this one was from tales from the crypt 31 that's right june 26 man uh okay a cop learns that an illustrator tales from the crypt might have the power to make his monstrous creations comes to come to life due to his shrewish wife um yeah man this one right here has actually got harry anderson who um plays richie in uh in the tv movie it actually um actually there's kind of a there's kind of a connection here i think in in the next episode is there somebody that's actually from it also i believe i'm not mistaken um yeah i believe so he's the guy that plays i didn't even recognize him i did not know that until you just mentioned it (laughs) yeah and i was just trying to think i think they're actually in maybe the next episode someone else is from the it tv series also so that's kind of interesting but uh, yeah harry anderson i mean he's been in like a million things uh, very recognizable face and stuff um but calamity's uh, calamity's corman's calamity jesus christ uh this this is a fun episode man i like how they incorporate the actual you know um brand of tales from the crypt you know the comic and stuff and he's like this illustrator for the magazine and shit and it, it's just a, it's a really kind of simple story you know he plays this guy who is pretty much oppressed by his wife um his wife mm-hmm. is played by colleen camp who's been like a million fucking things too she's kind of one of those character actors you see in everything uh and she's quite the bitch man like she kind of harasses her husband jim at work like he's sitting there trying to work and shit and she just comes in talking a whole pile of crazy shit and he's get, obviously getting quite embarrassing annoyed. the hell out of him talking about his infertility <laughs> yep and and actually speaking of you know his, uh, his fertility stuff he's actually taking these drugs to help him you know produce i guess spermies so he can so yeah. they can get pregnant and stuff but, but it's funny because like he's like but they don't even know if it's me or you <laughs> exactly right but like she's you know she's that type of woman where she's, she's like, like no it's, it's definitely your, not it's me, your problem you know? it's definitely your problem but these pills are actually kind of magical a little bit because you know he's taking these pills and it, it makes him you know draw these crazy monsters and stuff and it makes him like his imagination kind of go crazy and if he really believes what he's drawing and stuff the shit actually yeah. comes to life i, I really like experimental pills so yeah. like that kind of gives you like the oh it could be these things because they're not approved by the FDA and stuff like that. Right. Like why, why would you ever be taking pills like that? That weren't approved by the FDA. Like that just seems crazy to me. Like fertility, shit, man, I'm like, <laughs> right? no, I wouldn't be fucking around with that shit, man. Cause that's yeah, just... literally the only thing I would take that isn't approved is like, if I was dying and it's like, well, these pills might save you. Yeah. And it's like, all right, let's try them. <laughs> I just feel like when you're fucking around with fertility and, and that type of functioned in your body and shit, like something's definitely going to go wrong. Right. It's yeah. just a recipe for a disaster, really. Um, but uh, yeah, no, you know, like, so he's, you know, he's pretty on the fence about his wife. He's obviously not into her that much anymore. He's, uh, um, you know, late night, he's down at the, um, at the laundromat and he runs into this, uh, this police officer, this very attractive police officer and stuff. And there's this awesome scene with this crazy ass monster that comes out of, comes out of the washer, right? It comes out of the washer. Yep. Yep, yeah. comes out of the washer. So he ends up leaving this laundromat and she's in there and this dude kind of like breaks in and and he's harassing this police officer. Anyways, this monster like comes out of the dishwasher and like or out of the out of the laundromat or washer and fucking just 
annihilates this dude, like basically eats him and decapitates him and shit like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one thing leads to another and then they, she's a police officer. So starts to investigate and, and you know, they investigate a little bit further and there's been other people that have claimed that these type of monsters have been cited and, and been responsible for certain other crimes around the city. And she's like, what the fuck? This is like absolutely insane. Comes across the tales from the crypt may uh, comic book and stuff. She kind of puts two and two together. And so that's when she, you know, gets reintroduced to um, Jim and she has this crazy theory that m- his drawings might actually be linked to these monsters coming alive and stuff. Um, Fun episode, man. I think this one is great. I think, like, I really like all the monster kind of um, effects and, and designs and stuff in this one. Like, they're meant yeah, to. Yeah, it's definitely of... the coolest part. It the, is the yeah. The but... wife one reminds me of House completely. I actually said was thinking the exact same thing while I was watching this, man. Yeah, because like he obviously drives. He draws his wife as how he thinks of her. And like <laughs> this great scene where she comes in wearing this like blue polka dot dress kind of thing, he's just like hugely blown up and just this, this what manly you think beast. Of me? Yeah, this is what you think of me. It's, just, it's great, man. It's great, but um, yeah, I mean, there's a few different monster designs in this one. There's this kind of this random scene in in the in the episode where I think it was kind of a misstep actually, where you know there's these kids that are playing these war games and stuff and this monster comes out of this refrigerator and shit i actually really like the setup to it though because there's like this green slime that's coming out of it and this monster comes out but i was kind of hoping that the monster would you know do some damage to one of those little shit arms off or something yeah like nothing really happens in that scene so it's like uh, and it's kind of like thrown in there because it's really kind of subplotty too which is kind of strange for a short um Mm -hmm. to have something that random in it but you know i mean uh, overall i mean it's it's a fun episode the monsters are the main focus here but I like it that they actually incorporated this episode, like Tales from the Crypt. They kind of rebranded in your mind and then and then going into the next episode where it kind of leads into, you know, the Crypt Keeper and stuff. It's kind of cool how they did it. So, yeah, I like I like that, you know, it has that meta aspect like, oh, the Tales from the Crypt comic was a real thing. And that's where I'm getting all these stories. And, yeah. you know, it's 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 a, and I always wondered, like, you know, because I, I have read zero tales from the crypt comics or vault of horror or any of those old ec comics but i always wondered if like this particular one was about was the same thing like about the one of the uh creators of tales from the crypt you know like was the story referencing tales from the crypt as a comic too you know what i mean i don't know for a fact but i would assume probably that's pretty cool that's pretty cool yeah yeah but yeah, it's it's a pre- it's a pretty good episode. It's um you know it's it's definitely not my favorite, um story wise. So kind of a light story, but it's just kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really have like you know crazy twists and turns and stuff in this one. It's it's pretty straightforward. Um, mm-hmm. which you know most of the episodes when you're, I mean, that's pretty much the first thing that you anticipate when you click onto a Tales from the Crypt episode is that you know what's the twist going to be kind of thing right this one's a little bit more straightforward it, it's goofy it's silly but you know i mean it's fun though i mean it's it's about the designs i think they do a good job you know like like i said you know with a lot of these episodes and yeah, they're lower budget but they they managed to pull off some pretty interesting stuff and i think that uh calling camp actually kind of steals the show in this one as the uh mm-hmm. as the bitchy wife because she pulls it <laughs> off so good like her acting oh, yeah. it's just great you just want to oh dude she's just, like, so believ- away from her <laughs> yeah she's so believable as the bitch so um but yeah um anything else nope all right so that's uh corman's calamity episode 13 well how's that for a sappy ending was it a little too graphic for you 
Oh well, next thing you know, Jim and his new gal pal will be walking down the easel together. I guess you learned that life imitates art after all. As for poor Mildred, she learned that death imitates art too. Maybe if she'd been nicer to him, she wouldn't have ended up a monster piece. <laughs> Isn't he just so cute that you wanna? Whoops. Crypt Keeper here, kitties. And speaking of kitties, tonight's sickening saga should be subtitled A Tale from the Crib. Yes, dear fans, I've got a real nursery crime for you this time. It's all about the humble beginnings of my favorite horror hero. So call the babysitter and break out the bath bags as I narrate a nauseating novella with a very special place in my heart. I affectionately call this one Lower Birth. All right, so moving along into episode 14 titled Lower Birth, directed by Kevin Yeager? Yep. Uh, you know him from being a makeup effects artist. He did films like Friday the 13th uh, Part 4 uh, with Savini. Um, he did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, 3, 4. Um, he did uh, 22 episodes of Freddy's Nightmares. Uh, he did Trick or Treat, the uh, 86 version. Uh, he's done Bill and Ted. Um, he did The Burrower from 91. Um some children's corn three with um screaming mad george i know he was on there as well uh and he you know so he did a bunch of of, i mean the list keeps going but rumpelstiltskin he actually directed uh hellraiser bloodline as alan smithy because he took his name off of it so his pretty much his first movie was for dimension and it was like horrible experience so of course he took his name off of the yeah project. i mean the the fucking oh yeah bloodline i mean you guys want to know our thoughts on that one just click on the yeah. hellraiser franchise but uh, yeah he also did the effects for the hidden uh cherry 2000 both in 87 which are cool films but yeah the, his um filmography with the effects is actually pretty um, pretty good the dentist yeah oh, he, oh, he, worked he on- actually wrote uh sleepy hollow the uh he was one of the writers on sleepy hollow the um tim burton you know he actually has quite a compelling uh list of effects like i mean he worked on conspiracy theory mission impossible 2 he did blow masters of the skies um the fan that's pretty cool man face off he did a bunch of crazy Mm -hmm. movies man cradle to the grave wow pretty interesting yeah and his uh his his you know i guess newest or not out yet but he came back to do bill and ted the the new one oh cool that's awesome yeah i can't wait yeah. for that new bill and ted movie when it drops in like 2025 because of corona so yeah <laughs> and of course uh it was uh written um by fred decker yep. uh who uh did episode who directed episode six mm-hmm. and of course we already talked about what all fred decker had done mm-hmm. uh yeah this one aired on july 3rd 1990 yeah and it was a it was actually based on a tells from the crib story which i was hoping that it was uh number 33 yeah i would hope this one was to be honest yeah yeah it just kind of makes sense but it's kind of i mean this isn't coincidental that that previous episode kind of 
correlates with this one. I mean, it, they're not related narrative wise or anything, but it's just, you know, tales from the crypt and the crypt keeper, but we'll get into it. Um, mm-hmm. Synopsis Enoch, the two faced man, an attraction at a, at a sideshow falls in love with a 4,000 year old mummy, eventually leading up to the conception of their bastard child, the crypt keeper. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, actually like narrative wise, it's like ridiculous. Oh yeah, it's so ridiculous, and it doesn't. And even my make... mommy was my mommy. <laughs> yeah, and my mommy was my mommy. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, so funny. Oh yeah, it's a true tale from the crib. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> He's a dork. <laughs> it's so stupid, man. <laughs> uh, this is a funny. I, you know, honestly, man, the, the coolest thing about this episode really is. Um, just the aesthetic and the atmosphere of this one, man. They capture like the the circus, you know, kind of, um, you know, yeah, the, the circus like nineteen settings. like forties or thirties or twenties or somewhere around there. It feels, yeah, it really does capture it quite well, man. Like the costumes, the acting, just everything, you know, with the people and stuff. It just all kind of feels right in this episode. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just really cool. I, I so we got this guy, Mister Sickles, who actually has this kind of sideshow. Um, and with Enoch, the two faced man, that's, that's what he's involved with the circuits and stuff like that. Um, he's pretty much, it's kind of implied that he's having like financial problems or like he could, yeah, I think he's just kind of suffering with it and stuff. And anyways, this dude comes and meets him. He's actually, well, I don't think they introduce him as a doctor. We find out that he's a doctor later on in the episode, but this guy basically comes up to him and, and says, you know, he's got this mummy. You know, and like this mummy could help him out financially, you know, and he basically wants he'll, he'll kind of split the, you know, the um, the money with him 60 40 kind of deal. If you if you take this mummy and put it into your into your uh, show. And of course, he's reluctant at first because he's like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, who would just come to me with this fucking mummy and, you know, like give me money just to put it in my show kind of thing. So but the, the there is this kind of catch where there's this, uh, you know, this kind of like necklace type deal on there but he tells mr sickles that you know it's just for show it's just for show it has nothing to do with anything so he just kind of does whatever goes on with the show and um yeah i mean weirdness ensues <laughs> such a strange episode man it's really strange um what are your thoughts on this one um honestly this was my least favorite episode of season two two for the longest time i definitely liked it more this time watching it mm-hmm. um i think that if you don't have that crypt keeper connection it's almost bland as hell besides the cool um you know uh set design yeah yeah because it, it's just it's just ca- like you don't really get much out of the two-faced guy i mean it looks cool but well, you don't really get much out of him see the funny thing about the two uh, of the two-headed man you know enos is that he's like this kind of tragic character right like he's very sad and it's like it's like a very serious episode too it's totally not comedic either i mean it's comedic in the in the end and stuff but like it kind of plays out serious wise and like you you see this like two-faced man that's like stuck in this cage like an animal and it's like all sad and shit like it's very you feel sympathetic towards him and it's like i don't know what it is it's to me it's it's a little bit off-putting i guess that's probably me personally though too because i can't like i don't like cir- like uh zoos and i'm not a big circus fan like you know of caged animals and shit like that you know like i just really don't like anything caged up and it just kind of hits me in a different way but i just feel like it's almost sad you know the, the way they portray this character in this and it's like 
I don't know. No, I mean, definitely, like they abuse him and clearly exploit him just for the yeah, it's it's the money, tragic. which is is you know a long-standing history with um, sideshows in general, right? That's kind of a common theme that you get anytime yeah. you're dealing with sideshows. I just never freaks and stuff like that. Yeah, I'd never support him because of that shit, man. I just I don't. I know. I just feel yeah. feel super exploitive. Even the ones that are like, no, no, I like like this is my livelihood. This is yeah. what I do. Like, it's just, I don't know. It just feels kind of dirty. Like, what am I supposed to do? Look at, look at them. And I, I just can't look at them, you know, with curiosity. Like, it's just, what am I supposed to do? Am I, am I supposed to be like, Oh, look at this thing. Like, know, you know it's what just, I mean? It's, it's just whole, feels wrong. The whole episode just feels kind of, like I said, tragic and scummy at the same yeah. time. But it's like, it's weird because when you're watching, you're like, man, this episode isn't really the greatest one, but it does have some of the greatest like production value to it. Like, like mm-hmm. I said, acting set wise, everything is really, really well done in this episode. Um, just with the exception of like the actual narrative. And it's kind of, it's kind of a shame too, because it's like literally birthing the crypt child or the crypt keeper. I know right? you As almost expect a little bit more from, from the episode because yeah. it's such an important episode. It's, like the only episode that has any type of um in the entire series that has any type of connection to anything else in the series right like usually they're just standalone in their own bubble but this one actually connects with the outside of the show you know the show type of thing yeah uh, while you know no episode connects with each other type of thing so uh, it's kind of the interesting that it's like the only episode, but it it just I don't know. It's 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 like not bad, but it's just not anything <laughs> special to me. I do think the very end where you actually see the birth, like I actually do think that that's a pretty cool effect, and it, it does look like a baby crypt keeper. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it actually does. I, I do like the aspect of like if you remove because it turns out like the the actually the amulet kind of chain thing around the mummy actually is real, but it comes with a curse, and and the curse is actually kind of funny because if you remove this thing, it actually essentially castrates you, <laughs> like it literally cuts your balls off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this fucking totally bizarre curse thing, but I thought that was actually kind of funny. But I just feel like I, I wish they had gone into a little bit more. I understand it's a short and you can't really do that and stuff, but that was actually the funniest, like the coolest thing about the the episode to myself was like the the castration and the curse and stuff. It's bizarre, very mm-hmm. bizarre. So, but yeah, I mean, really, I mean, what it comes down to, we got this two faced man and we got this fucking four thousand year old mummy, and like it's it. See, the thing that's off-putting about the episode is that, you know, it plays itself pretty serious. And then all of a sudden you get the scene where you have this, like, circus freak and this mummy who have obviously just made it and had this child laying in this bed. And you're like, how do you fucking take that serious? It literally makes no sense. (laughs) It's like so ridiculous. I don't know. It's just funny to me, man. It just comes off as being serious but goofy. But I don't know, man. I I know this one has always been kind of one of my least favorite episodes I was hoping mm-hmm. I was going to like it more, but it's entertaining. I liked but. it a little bit more, but I always like, you know, a little history with this show for me. I, I watched it all the time growing up. It, like when I could, when I, you know, when it was on HBO, we didn't always have HBO, but we did sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then, um, when it started airing on TV on AMC, I recorded every single episode and I watched them all. But of course those were kind of cut. So, uh, I watched them all though, and I would I would replay some of the good ones like all the time, and then I got the DVD sets, and I probably went through season one through six, probably at least at least three times on like the first two seasons, and then maybe four times on the on the rest, or you know, at, like 
sorry, three times on on the first three seasons or first two seasons, and then like um, just like probably once with the the other, um, you know, ones that I didn't mention. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so and this one was always one that I would like not look forward to. Like this was always the one in season two that I was just like, eh. Yeah, I feel like I was probably in the same boat as that also. I don't know, man. I just, as soon as I clicked on it, I remembered exactly what it was. And I was like, well, I hope I like it a little bit more. And I'm like, nah, it's definitely one of my least favorite ones. I mean, we still have a couple episodes to go. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's okay yeah. for what it is. Yeah, it's okay. So anyways, that is uh, episode 14, Lower Birth. <laughs> Oh, sorry, kiddies, but that story just makes me go all to pieces. <laughs> I was a cute little terror type, though, wasn't I? As for Enoch and Myrna, I guess you figured out by now where I get my good looks. Old Two-Face was my daddy. And the mummy was my mommy. <laughs> oh, if they'd only lived long enough to see me become a star. We never even got a chance to play hide and go shriek together. <laughs> just had quite a scare. I actually thought my heart was beating again. <laughs> Tonight's twisted tale is a villainous voyage, a murderous medical madness that screams out the consequences of getting too nosy with your neighbors. So the next time you stare into someone's window, remember, curiosity killed the cat. Okay, so moving along, episode 15, titled Mute Witness to Murder, directed it, by Jim Simpson. Who pretty much did nothing. <laughs> no, he, like, did, this was the very first thing that he directed, um, and then he did a movie in 2002 called The Guys, which I don't know if I've ever heard of. Yeah, he. I mean, probably the most famous thing uh, he did was he was the set production assistant on Event Horizon. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, right. <laughs> and as far as the writer goes... He was, um, oh, he was an assistant director on Spice World. That is correct. The Spice Girls movie. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, the writer, Na- uh, Nancy Doyne, uh, did an episode of Tales from the Dark Side, this, and then... Pr- pretty much nothing else really hmm. um which funny so she did um 1990 she did tells from the crypt and then she did she wrote the screenplay for what mazzy knew in 2012 which is such a long time and then in 2020 she did uh an adaptation slash book i don't know what that means of bad therapy oh they adapt she might be a writer in real life like a like a novelist or something but she has two things in pre-production right now as a writer, which is just hilarious because there's nothing. And then all of a sudden something <laughs> mm-hmm. that is strange. Uh, this one aired July 10th, 1990. 
and it is based on Crypt of Terror 18, which is the first of the Crypt of Terror, I think the first ever Crypt of Terror adaptation. So, And this is the one I re- uh, referenced earlier in the show where I was like, I think there, I think there's another one with a... Uh, you know, a mute, like a, like a witnessing something across the way type thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Synopsis young woman, Susie, young woman, Susie (laughs) looks out of the window of her apartment and witnesses a man murdering a woman in the apartment directly across from hers. Who the fuck writes like that? Who writes this shit? That was like the worst grammar. Susie is so traumatized by what she sees that she's rendered mute. Anyways, I'll just leave it at that. That's good enough. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't help but notice this is straight up Alfred Hitchcock's rear window. It's literally the same beginning, you know, um, James Stewart witnesses something across the way. And yeah, it's it's even shot the same way where it kind of goes from window to window and stuff. And then so basically our lead actors here, uh, Patricia Clarkson, uh, Susie played by Patricia Clarkson, which I love her. I've always loved Patricia Clarkson. She's uh, such a great actress. Um you know, there she's you know in her apartment with her husband. They're celebrating their uh, their wedding anniversary, I believe. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, he goes off to do something, and she's looking out the window, and she sees this dude across the way smashing up his wife with a fucking lamp, and she gets so scared. Was it his wife? Or I don't know. It was, the, it was it was it was a girl. Yeah, it was just a woman. I, I would assume it was. I don't know. I don't think they even actually even say. Um, but anyways, he kills some female with a lamp and it renders her mute. She's like freaking out and stuff. So they call up the doctor and, and he basically says that, uh, you know, she's, you know, she's gone into like psychosis kind of thing. So they're going to have to admit her to the hospital. But the twist is, is that, you know, it turns out that the dude that killed the woman across the way actually is this doctor. <laughs> so now she's like, stuck and he the... knows. So he knows that oh, cause like, he saw her. Seen something. Yeah. yeah. yeah he, he saw her. So when he showed up, it was like, uh, now she's like re- even more traumatized. So he lucky for him that she was like, found this new muteness basically. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Right. Um, so yeah. So he admits. Is her that to a the, real thing? Is can you just go mute all of a sudden? Yep. Yep. And that actually is a real thing. Um, really? Yeah. It's it actually happens a lot in like um, you know war driven you know third world countries and stuff where you know kids see shit like that you know like bombs and bullets going by like they'll just stop talking. Yeah, it's a real thing. It's kind of sad, actually. I mean, I guess in this case, you know, being a, a fully uh, adult and, you know, just witnessing something so horrific. I mean, it's probably pretty uncommon, but I wouldn't put it past someone to actually happen to him. So for sure. But, you know, I mean, again, you know, it's, you know, he's lucky, right? She can't talk. How do you tell the police if you can't talk? I guess charades kind of thing. Yeah, write it down. <laughs> but he kind of prevents her from doing that by, like, keeping her doped up and yeah. put in a mental hospital and basically just saying like trying to keep people away as much as possible from her yeah pretty much that's pretty much the whole episode he's got her locked in this room and you know she's trying to communicate and stuff but yeah like you said he's doping her up and he's keeping her sedated and stuff and keeping her keeping her down so she can't reveal the the honest truth and stuff Um, and of course the husband does eventually sort of like figure it out like where he's like what could have happened you know (laughs) Which I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure I would have put all that together myself, but <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm bad with charades because that's really how she <laughs> translated, she translated the information to him. And I was like, man, I don't know. I, I think, I don't think I would have been there out either. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so I don't know. What are your thoughts on the episode? I mean, I, I've always enjoyed this sort of rear window-esque story. I mean, we've seen it with 
rear window obviously but uh fright night uh which yep. you're a big fan of as well as disturbia which i'm a big fan of mm-hmm. um it's it's a cool concept in it i always think that like you know spying on you know your neighbors or whatever is a cool concept in the burbs the burbs is a great one right i mm-hmm. mean it's a it's kind of a uh, it's a, a used story that happens many times the twist to this one is like the mute thing though which i think is cool because it separates it from just being a standard you know spying on my neighbor thing that's mm-hmm. such a ripoff of rear window but uh you know this this one kind of separates itself is it's kind of a little like all this stuff working out that way is a little bit contrived and stuff but mm. it's fucking tells from the crypt episode so you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i'm not gonna yeah. be too harsh on it but yeah i've always found this one to be a cool little thriller yeah it, it is fun i mean to me this one is a little bit predictable on where it's gonna go though i don't know oh. i i just kind of remember this and i'm like really so we have this the, the best witness. part is when is the shock of the the doctor being you know the guy that just murdered the girl like and that happens really early <laughs> yeah really right yeah i mean it, it kind of plays out pretty standard wise i mean it's supposed to be this twist and stuff what happens with you know um our lead character and the and the doctor uh Susie and the doctor but i mean it's still fun though i, I actually the, the the driving force in this episode actually is dr trask man because the guy that plays him richard thomas does such a great job in this man he just looks super evil and conniving it was great casting on their parts man i just i love that so much and patricia clarkson is a great victim because yeah great victim um because she just kind of has that uh she has that look to her man again great casting i that's one thing about these tales from the crypt episodes man i just over and over again say the same thing about the casting but i think they do a great job and that's probably something that we should start even noting is you know who was doing the casting director for these episodes because christ man (laughs) they really do a great job with picking you know these people to play these characters because that's what these episodes are they're just full of characters that these actors have to play so they go and find these character actors and they always pull it off so well man um it's great it's really really great so it's a fun episode i you know i'm a big fan i'm a huge huge massive fan of hitchcock and rear window is actually one of my favorite movies by hitchcock and uh you know, I remember doing Hitchcock in, in um, college in uh, film class and shit. And it's just it's just so interesting when you really break everything down. It's just it's so incredible. But when you take that type of story and you put it into this and twist it up a little mm-hmm. bit and shit, it just it's it's fun. It's one of those narratives, like you mentioned, that you can always do and have you can, you know, just have that starting point, but then go with it. Right. Like the yeah. burbs, the burbs is a great example of that. Really, mm-hmm. you know, great. So, yeah. yeah, there's a there's a handful of them out there. Oh, there's lots. Those there, type of stories. There, the, I mean, did you ever see the... I think it was actually called Rear Window. Or maybe it might even be a different title, but I think it was... Um, uh, was it Chris... Yeah, Christopher Reeves plays... I think it was a TV remake of it with Christopher Reeves, who was Superman. Did yeah, you ever I, re- I, re- I know about it. I've never seen it, though. Yeah, I, mean, I actually remember seeing it on TV, but... Uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I just always thought it was kind of interesting that, you know, at the time, like, James Stewart's character was kind of like stuck in a chair, you know, and then Christopher Reeves ended up playing this type of character where he, you know, eventually ended up being paralyzed. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of ironic stuff with Christopher Reeves. There really is, right? Like, it's he... messed up. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. The Man of Steel, right? Right. Like, what, what kind of fucking world do we live in when the fucking Man of Steel, aka Superman, can't even walk? Like, what? The yeah. fuck is I would that? never damn play Superman ever. <laughs> no man, it's like bad luck or something. <laughs> It's like the Madden curse. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, 
yeah, man. I I don't know. Th- th- this episode's a fun one. I think it's. I don't know where it's going to fall in my ranking. I'm I'm thinking somewhere. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I I like it. I don't love this one, but it's it's still fun though. Yeah. So, um. Anyways, that is uh, episode fifteen. Mute witness to murder. Where's Houdini when you need him? Well, that was quite a scream, wasn't it, kids? And what a surprise for poor Dr. Trask. There's a villain with a heart. A cat, that is. (laughs) Just when he thought he was going to silence Susan forever, she walked all over him. I suppose you're wondering what became of Susan. If you give me a scream, I might just tell you. Don't you? Especially when the home is haunted. Tonight's twisted tale, my dear couch potatoes, is filed under T for television. Or should that be terror? Mr. Horton Rivers is about to find out, so stay tuned to this totally titillating tube. Alrighty, so moving along into episode 16, titled Television Terror, directed by Charlie Persini. Yeah, um, I think this guy was actually... done anything? Uh, not directing-wise, but this guy is actually a stuntman. He has over... Th- he has about 370 stunt credits to his name, and it's just like, he's worked on everything. It's crazy. Um... I think oh, yeah, he, 368. Wow. So he did direct. He's got 21 directing titles. He mostly worked in TV up you know, up to this point, um, just random kind of television stuff. But he also directed The Bleeding, a full-length feature in 2009. I remember that film because it had DMX and, like, Michael Madison in it and, like, a few other faces and shit. I'm just like, but now looking at his filmography, <laughs> it's so random. <laughs> yeah, it's so random. This That's guy just strange. like comes out of nowhere and does this kind of random movie. I I have seen it before, and I think it was terrible. I think it was full of CG and shit, like really bad CG. But but yeah, no, it's kind of an interesting thing. This guy's a stunt man who did some directing. Very odd. Yeah, and the writer um, Randall jo- Johnson Jansen, he really didn't do much either. Um, yeah, just nope. uh, he he wrote The Mask of Zorro. I guess that's his big film. Wow. And then he did another Tales from the Crypt episode, um, King of the Road, which is probably in season four, probably. Yeah, we'll eventually get to there, I hope. (laughs) Maybe it won't take like three years. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this one's uh, starring um, Morton Downey Jr. No relation relation to uh, uh, Robert Robert. Downey Jr. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I didn't know. But then it it wouldn't really make sense. Morton Downey Jr., right? Right. No, I'm just. just... (laughs) Yeah, definitely not. Uh, He's just one Uh, of those dudes. He's like. He hasn't been in like a ton of stuff, but if you saw what he looked like, again, he's one of those, you know, he's those faces that you just recognize from this faces. time period. Yeah, like I mean, I know he was in um I think he was in Predator 2. I uh, was in a couple other things too, but uh, He's he's the there's that guy guy. For sure. Where you see somebody and you're like, "Oh, there's that guy." But <laughs> like there's a bunch of actors like that where you just see them in a bunch of stuff, but they're always like bit characters or you know not too 
you know bigger characters and you see them a lot i'm surprised he didn't really do more because he had that kind of unique you know look to him and he was a pretty decent actor and stuff but um mm-hmm. but yeah i'm surprised he didn't do a lot more but i i know he was uh, known for like smoking like chain smoking constantly actually ended up dying of lung cancer too but that's it's pretty crazy when you're known for just that guy that chain smokes all the time and got really yeah. big teeth <laughs> yeah uh july 17th 1990 on this one and it was based on haunt of fear number 17 yeah synopsis a tv shock journalist gives an on-air tour of an eerie haunted house and i i, I think that this role here because he plays the shock jur- uh, journalist in this and i think this role is just like perfect for him because he has that look he has that kind of scummy dirty look to him and shit right he just looks like a fucking douchebag i love that and his name is horton rivers like that's a great per, uh like journalist name right there <laughs> i don't know yeah. it's a great name man uh but uh yeah basically the setup of this one is um yeah he's this uh he's this journalist he kind of does this kind of shock you know live tv type shit where he goes and investigates like you know al capone's tomb and shit like that right and it's it's, it's usually all kind of phony this yeah is one of those... all about the ratings they they're yeah. they're not their journalistic integrity is nowhere to be found absolutely none i mean this is like non-factual shit that they're reporting on <laughs> just you know it, it's super cheesy type things um it, it, this is one of those episodes that's like it feels like a filler episode to me because it only runs about 21 minutes i mean for right. the narrative in this one uh, given what we get, I mean, it, it's like a perfect length for it because there's not really a lot of twits and, twists and turns in this one. It's it's pretty straightforward. You know, right from the start of this, you know exactly what's going to happen. You just don't know right. how you're going to get there kind of thing. So it does definitely feel like a um, like a filler episode. But, you know, it's it's OK for what it is. You know, it's right. OK. Yeah, it's super it's super simple. I like the little concept there of the the tv documentary crew going in this is well before you know uh we saw a lot of that you know i think that when, when did um because there was night watch it came out and then there was like the mcpherson tape and stuff before this but yeah um you know it, it's it's kind of that like haunting that that's turns out to be actually real thing except for the obviously they don't portray this as realistic in like our world but yeah, yeah. uh it, it, it's it's cool i like the little the little uh setup that it is it it feels very cliche like that you like that it's been done a bunch but i don't know if it had at the time you know what i mean no and i was thinking about that too while i was watching this i'm like just by chance you know i've happened to watch a lot of kind of found footage type style right, films we just like watched this. wreck <laughs> yeah like movies like that and stuff and it just seems like I, I even watched mcpherson tapes recently too so i've been watching a lot of stuff like this but yeah i mean for the time this came out i mean it was probably kind of fresh i mean you got to remember this is 1990 found footage mm-hmm. like this style of film and you know kind of tv episodes and shit like that wasn't really that popular so it, it probably was a little bit fresh but you know to watch it you know 30 years later it's uh it's very stale because like i said even this one doesn't really have a lot of twists and turns you pretty much know where it's going so you know it's, it's yeah. it, it doesn't stand out at all it's just kind of like okay when's it gonna happen but i do like this whole kind of idea where they they throw it in there like you know something evil has happened in this house and you know, they kind of walk through this time vortex, right? And basically what happens is, you know, they're in there and, you know, they get to see some of the murder scenes. And then, of course, you know, these ghosts and stuff are coming after. I mean, it, it, it's okay for what it is. It, it's really not that bad. But I always like that kind of, you know, they broke the vortex type um, part of the narrative. 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and, they're, and they're kind of stuck in this bubble, like this time bubble. Right. Yeah. So, and of yeah. course nobody can help him because the ratings are too high. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, I mean, part of the narrative that's kind of interesting too, because I love this character, man, this, this fucking Horton rivers, because he's a dick man. And, and his producers hate him too. Like he's sleeping with one of them and, and there's a dude that there's, that's producing the show. And, and he's just every chance he gets, he calls him a douche or an asshole. and shit. So they really don't <laughs> care what happens to him anyways. But you know, I mean, by the end of it, I I think it's like okay well you know that just happened but our ratings are gonna be fucking sick so <laughs> right yeah <laughs> right yeah. yeah it's an okay episode uh, it, it it's definitely not one of my favorites of the season no it's definitely not either man i uh you know i i remember this one right away too and i, I think the ending is kind of cheesy to be honest but i don't know i guess it kind of makes sense where it kind of goes but it's okay it, it really is it's just it's a filler episode that's pretty much okay so right. i don't really have much to say else on it um i mean right. i think some of the ghosts and stuff look okay um there's not really a lot of gore and things i mean i guess there's some blood there's some decent the guy, effects and you stuff. know what now that you say, uh I, I just was remembering like uh, i looked up a picture of the episode and uh he reminded me of like vince mcmahon or something from wrestling yep kind of very he very much has that kind of personality too yeah, and a little bit of the look, just like a yeah. douchebag. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, anyways, that's um, television terror. <laughs> oh, that Horton. He's a real swinger. He hangs out in all the right places. No wonder he's such a hit on live. Or is it dead? TV. <laughs> Are you alone tonight? Well, consider yourself lucky. There could be two of you, and imagine what a frightmare that could be. <laughs> Just a reflection. Not so for tonight's stars. Frank and Eddie, two brothers who are touchingly close. When a woman tries to come between them, she finds herself caught in a tangled web of jealousy and intrigue. I think you'll find it a twinning combination. So without further ado, I bring you my brother's keeper. Okay, so moving into episode 17, titled My Brother's Keeper, directed by... Peter S. Seaman. I believe that we've seen his name come up as a writer. Um, yeah, I think he was a writer on a previous episode, but this is the only thing he's ever directed is uh, this episode of Tales from the Crypt, though. But I think he is credited as a writer in previous episodes. I can't remember exactly which ones. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, the... The... Um hell was i gonna say oh the the date <laughs> sorry <laughs> july 24th 1990 uh and the shock suspense story is number 16 for that one yeah 
Yeah, and this one right here is starring uh, Timothy Stack, which I always liked, man. Timothy Stack is, he's hes another one of those dudes, when you see him, you recognize him, but he did this show in the early 2000s called Son of the Beach. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It was an HBO, it was a short-lived HBO series. It was kind of like, uh-huh. a, it was kind of like a parody of like Baywatch, but like super goofy and, and, and silly with really fucking hot chicks, man. Like, I think there was even some playboy bunnies in there and stuff, but he kind of plays like the main lifeguard in it. And like, if you see him on this episode, like how kind of goofy and awkward he is, um, he's like this, but like times a hundred, <laughs> right? He's just, it's hilarious, man. I think he's, I think he's just one of those great kind of character actors. And definitely. If you see him and if you see his face, like, you, you know, you recognize him, man. Uh, Jonathan Starks actually, plays the the other kind of brother in this too. Remember him from Fright Night and I think he was in House 2 also. Uh among things. I think he's been in a few other things too. I'm not 100% sure. Um but a face that you'd recognize if you're into this type of uh genre stuff. But get- And then uh the the other star I didn't even realize this until now, but it's Jessica Harper. Yep, Jessica Harper. Yep, she plays Marie in this. And of course, she was Susie in Suspiria. Suspiria, that's right. Yeah, Jessica Crazy. Harper. Yeah, Did I know. I don't even know that. <laughs> it's just it's just such a random thing, you know. I mean, that's the thing I like about these Tales from the Crypt episodes is that, you know, you have faces like that pop up in this. You know, that's great. It's very very cool yeah. because I mean, really, when you think of Jessica Harper, man, I mean, if you're not thinking Suspiria, you're maybe thinking the Evictors. Um, right. The, right. That's pretty much like the what, Pierce movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so my brother's keeper, uh, synopsis, Siamese twins, one timid and kind hearted and the other reckless and sadistic must make a decision on whether not to allow an experimental surgery to have them separated, even though one of them doesn't want to be split from the other. Another Siamese twin episode. Yeah, man. I mean, it kind of makes sense, you know. I mean, th- this narrative kind of makes sense, you know. Have the Cain and Abel, the you know, the good and evil brothers right. and shit like that, kind of. And but I, I think this is a great episode. I actually really, really like this one. It has some pretty interesting twists and turns. Actually, it ha- it's got like two really. It's got some two really decent twists in this. And yeah, I, I like the development of it though, man. I, I mean, the brothers. I mean, it's just put yourself into this position. When you're forced to do something, you have to do with him. That right. is that is just a crazy idea, man. Super I, annoying. I, I like the setup. I like the setup. You know, it's this, you know, this kind of, you know, just kind of normal dude. You know, Frank, he, one of the brothers, he's kind of like the normal dude. And he, you know, meets this girl in a bar named Marie, played by Jessica Harper. And they kind of hit it off and stuff. And then one lead, one thing leads to another and they go out and they start dancing. And their secret is exposed because they're fucking, you know, they're attached, you know, the side <laughs> right. twins and shit. And of course they freak out and they're like, ooh, gross. And everyone sees it and shit. And then, you know, they kind of fight about it, right? Because, you know, you know, they, they, they call each other freaks and, you know, shit like that. They're just always kind of down and, you know, they just have different personalities about it and stuff. But they have some really interesting parts of the narrative, too. I like this because... Um, with Eddie's character, he's kind of the the mean, evil brother. He wants to separate and shit like that because you know he wants he wants a life. You know, he's the wild and crazy one. But I like the fact that they throw in there because Eddie's kind of wild and he likes to drink. So when he, when he drinks, Frank obviously gets drunk too because they have the same blood flow, right? <laughs> <Like that. laughs> it's funny because like this particular Siamese twin. It's they're like attached. It's kind of ridiculous. They're attached by just like some extra skin looking stuff at their hip, which is just hilarious because it's funny. I was actually I was looking up um, 
Siamese twins after I watch this, like real ones. Mm-hmm. And there's like the very famous ones where it's like the two girls and they're they're like literally like perfectly like two heads on a body type thing but each of them controls one half of the body it's nuts it's like you it's just strange that something like that could happen Mm -hmm. and uh you know and even them you know like whatever they eat and stuff you know it's it's funny it's funny you know because it does go into your same body (laughs) <laughs> it, it, it does seem comical, right? Because it almost seems like they have separate lives, but they really don't, right? They right. can be doing two different things where like how you just described the, you know, the, the girls with the basically two heads on one body. I mean, that's, that's. Yeah. Like, and they're technically two people like yeah. the, the, like legally they're two different people and it's just, it's strange. They drive, but and they like coordinate like one can, it's, it, it's like perfect. You're like normally you get like these anomalies where it's like, you know, someone growing out of someone's like foot or something, you know what I mean? It, like, like in the first Siamese twin episode with the ventriloquist dummy, like it's the hand or something, but yeah, these yeah. people are like perfect and they each control one half of the body. Um, and like, even if they like scratch, if they take their right hand and like scratch their left shoulder, like the one that's controlling the right hand doesn't actually have feeling in that shoulder. It's just strange. Mm-hmm. That is, that is very odd. Very, very odd. But I like how that actually plays into this narrative too, you know, about, uh, you know, them. Well, I, I don't really want to spoil the whole thing cause this is actually a really good episode. Um, right. It, it is a good episode. And I think that like just them bickering at each other is, mm-hmm. is like a, really well-written aspect of it and you know even when they're in the club and the song that's playing is like stuck on you or something yeah. like that yeah. <laughs> oh that gave me a, a nice little chuckle um but, and then they they uh you know how they like if they play it at first like you can't tell that they're like together if you haven't seen this episode and then like it's just revealed and you're like what the hell <laughs> it's oh. it's totally with you know the, the setup is great though man it really is great because i mean eventually you know frank actually kind of sp- sparks up a relationship with Marie and this stuff. And then that plays into the narrative too. And I think this is one of the best written episodes of the whole season, to be honest, like it does kind of go into places where you're like, Oh shit. And then I think it's got one of the greatest endings too. Um, But you're right though, man, just the, the interactions between the brothers is just fantastic. And and the way this thing develops is just fantastic too, because it kind of makes sense, right? It completely makes sense. And uh, I love that. I absolutely love the way, you know, it actually makes sense, you know, for once some of the twists are like, okay, whatever, you know, you can kind of blow them off a little bit, but this one, it just, you know, I mean, when you're, when you're kind of driven to that point, you know, when he's abused you, you know, it it felt like Frank was like, you know, he was that younger redheaded stepchild that was just abused his entire life and just finally fucking had enough. But there's some really great scenes, man, with, with, um, with Eddie being super obnoxious, like the opening scene when, and Frank meets Maria at the bar and shit and, you know, and, uh, they start talking and stuff and he kind of leans over and he's just being super obnoxious and saying all this wrong shit and stuff. And he's right. like, I just, I love that setup. It's just so fucking perfect, man. They don't beat around the bush in this really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Very fun episode. I, I enjoy this one a lot. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Um, but yeah, definitely one I highly recommend. So yeah, that's episode 17. My brother's keeper. Well, maggot meisters. How's that for a cheeky little tale? <laughs> Frank Shaw picked a deadly time to sever all thighs with his brother, and poor Eddie suffered the unkindest cut of all. A real split personality! <laughs> 
what? So where's the twist? And I had such great expectations. Ah, now here is a story you can sink your teeth into. A toothsome tale of Tommy Rot guaranteed to scare the dickens out of you. Lean in, Fright fans. I'm going to let you in on the secret. All right, so moving into episode 18, which is actually the last episode in this season, um, which is, yeah, I mean, episode, or I mean, season two is actually the longest by quite a few episodes, but, you know, it's been a fun, it's been a fun ride. It has been a very, very fun ride. Uh, this episode is called The Secret, directed by Michael R- Riva? I think it's just Riva, I guess, I want to say. J. Michael Riva. Um, he wasn't really known for directing that much. He did like an episode of Amazing Stories and Tales from the Crypt. Uh, what he's known for is actually being a production um, designer, and he worked on tons and tons of films. I was kind of looking up his uh, uh, his filmography here, and he worked on stuff from like The Hand, which is a great movie. You ever seen The Hand before? Directed by Oliver um, Stone. Is that the Oliver Stone? Yeah, I've yeah. seen. I, I've, I'm actually a pretty big fan of that movie. I I first seen that movie on Monster Vision as a kid, mm-hmm. um, and really, really liked it because it was just something cool. Like it was like kind of scary at, at that age for me. Like the dude's hand coming back to life and then of course i didn't understand the whole psychological aspect until i was older but mm-hmm. i did grab the twist remember the old twisted terror collection from warner brothers i still have it yeah i do too a great collection had a bunch of uh films that weren't available really anywhere else in there and uh yeah that was one of them it was such an oddball collection because you had like the amicus film and then you had like dr giggles from the 90s yeah. and then like a carpenter and a craven film it was very very bizarre little set there. Yeah, a couple of them gotten have got uh, Blu-ray releases, but you know some of those movies need releases. Man, like this is one of them. Doctor Giggles would be cool, right? Yeah, and the hand, yeah, the hand needs a, a Blu-ray from like Scream Factory or something. I really like the hand. It's it's an underrated film that not many people talk about. Especially it's weird because it was done by Oliver Stone. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, sure. I dig that film. Yeah, I think Eyes of the Strangers in that in that box set too. It is. Think, yeah, also uh, good. Yeah, he also worked on Halloween 2. He did the Bad Boys movie in 83, <clears throat> which is a great fucking movie. I worked on The Goonies, The Color Purple, The Golden Child, Lethal Weapon, Scrooge, Lethal Weapon 2, Tango and Cash, Radio Flyer, Few Good Men. Like, this guy worked on some serious Jeez. shit. Uh, yeah, t- he somehow didn't work on Lethal Weapon 3, but he worked on 4. He worked on Hard Night, Congo, um, or Hard Raid, I mean. And his last movie he did was Django Unchained in 2012. And he actually wow. died. He died at the same time. I don't know if he finished the movie or not, but he died in 2012. So, um, Jeez. yeah. And, and uh, the writer there, Doug Ronning, he did uh, just this and one other episode of Tales from the Crypt in season three, I believe. Hmm. So it's it's kind of interesting, and we've mentioned this a little bit, but how um, like there's some really big names attached to these episodes, it, whether it's writing or directing or acting. And then there's some no names as well. They, it seemed like they were just like, you know, people who worked on movies as like production or something or, or set design or, or something, getting an opportunity to direct an episode. So it seemed like this whole big thing was like a huge, like family affair of like just people giving other people opportunities along with a mixture of like friends working together that were big stars. And and that's what I think a lot of like heart comes from this series as well. 
I think that would be the appropriate answer that you would want to believe. But I also think it was probably budget constraints too. If they could get this guy, <laughs> J. Michael Rivera, to you know direct this episode, he's just a production side. They could probably get him for nothing. <laughs> Give him kind of a base salary. <laughs> like, here you sure. go, man. Here's a script. Direct this thing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I, I would like to truly believe that actually, because I mean, really, I mean, when you look at that, there's so many people involved in this. I mean, you look at a lot of TV series and you will get writers that will write so many episodes. They'll stick yeah, on those the shows. Anthologies. Exactly. Exactly. And this one really does change it up almost every single episode. It's pretty cool. So, uh, synopsis orphan boy, Theodore is adopted by the Colberts who are in an eccentric rich couple with a very dark secret they aren't the only ones yeah and it, it was the like you said the final episode of season two july 31st 1990 based yep. on haunt of fear number 24 kind of crazy um you know the 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 you know it, it seems like you know a horror show but it was really a summer show this was yeah pretty much yeah yeah um yeah this one's starting a couple of very familiar faces we got uh the late great Larry Drake. Well, that just completely rhymed. Um, yeah, Larry Drake, man. He's just a, another one of those guys, man. You know, that I mean, if you don't know what his name is, that's kind of a shame. Well, hell, Dr. Giggles. <laughs> he is, exactly. We're just talking about Dr. Giggles. Um, you know, when I think of Larry Drake, man, I, I always think of Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. It's just really hard Wait, not to put his face into that. Baba. Yeah, I do remember him from the Dark Man movies, too. Um, he's, he's been in lots of things, but he was just, he just looked like, I don't know. I just always see him as that character. It's weird. It, it is yeah. weird. Um, oh, what's her name? Grace Zambrisky. She plays the mom in this, uh, Miss Colbert. Oh man, dude. She's, I, I always think of her from like working with David Lynch. Like, man, she is such a weird eccentric lady. I swear. Like that's just the way she is in real life. Cause She's an odd one, man. She's a, definitely an odd one. She's been in lots of, uh, like I said, David Lynch movies and shit. Um, and have you ever seen Inland, Inland Empire before? No, I haven't. Oh my god, that movie is like it might even have like one of the scariest scenes I've ever seen in my life in it. It's just crazy. <laughs> but um, yeah, I always think yeah. of her from his type of movies because she just fits in so perfect. Yeah, this was uh, Larry Jake's actually his second um, Tales from the Crypt episode, of course. The, the one that he's probably more known for is all through the house where he plays the villain. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, uh, yeah, she was in twin peaks, the movie and stuff like that. And just kind of goes on and on. Um, but yeah, no, this episode here, man. Um, I, I think it's okay, man. I think it's, I think the first half of this is actually a little bit better than the second half of this one. To be honest, I think where it goes is it's not even that it's even predictable, it's just got it. It has some of the cheesiest lines, and like, and just the way it kind of gives itself away before it happens in this one is like, oh my god! They, they, I think they could have wrote that a little bit better. <laughs> like, it actually right. makes me fucking laugh, man. Like, it's basically about this little boy who is named Theodore. He's actually I was just talking about the redheaded stepchild, <laughs> right? He's like this little ginger kid and he's in this orphanage and stuff. And he's, he's pretty much like the oldest one there. You know, it seems like he's been there for a long time and, you know, it just feels like that's probably where he's going to be, you know, the rest of his life kind of thing. When, until he's older. Anyways, this, like they said, eccentric couple comes to the orphanage, picks out a kid 
And then he's now he's living in like the lap of luxury, man. They have this like huge mansion. Larry Drake is the, uh, I want to yeah, he's like the butler and stuff. And, uh, so he basically gets to do everything he wants. Like back at the orphanage, he wasn't, he, he was always getting into trouble for stealing food and things like that because, you know, they live in a poor orphanage and stuff here. He can eat what he wants and shit, but now he's not really that happy because he kind of wants friends and stuff. And, and, uh, it's just, it's just kind of like this weird kind of setup to the film where, I mean, things kind of make sense in the first half to where it's going, but then it doesn't. <laughs> it just doesn't. I think the writing of this episode is very, very sloppy, man, which is kind of a shame because it's kind of, you know, it could be a really interesting twist and where it goes, but man, I don't know. I think the coolest thing about the third act in this film is uh, just the way it's shot. It's, it's got that really kind of overbearing blue tone to like, you know, kind of the night scene and stuff. And, but mm-hmm. otherwise, yeah, that's probably my favorite aspect of it is that blue tone. It really is, man. I mean, I feel like this one just kind of fucking changes on a dime. And like, I, when you actually look at the narrative and where it was trying to go and, and what the couple was trying to do with the kid and stuff, I'm like, I don't know if I'm really buying that shit, man. Yeah, I I, I think that this one is super sloppy. And, and honestly, this is the only episode that even when I was watching it, mm-hmm. I couldn't remember what it was. And it's just simply because it's very forgettable. I used to think that uh, Lower Birth was my least favorite in this series. But, you know, spoiler alert, this is actually my least favorite just because I, I don't think it has much to offer. And it's even sad that it's the final. Like, I I don't understand why they didn't put the episode before this, the, the, the brothers episode is the fine my brother's keeper is the final instead of this it's, it's just weird i don't know maybe they didn't care about like making an impact at the end of the season or something but yeah i just think this is a pretty weak episode it is man i mean it, <laughs> like everything's just you're, you're kind of waiting for something to happen in this one and then you know something goes down after they have this kind of like confrontation between you know the the parents and and the but- butler kind of thing and and that whole thing is just like what like I, I scratch my head. I watch this episode twice and I scratch my head both times. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, it's just so weird. It, it, it's just such a weird narrative. But then there's this line, man, what the kid, there's a line that the kid says to the parents <laughs> in like this major twist part in the, in the, in the episode. And it's just like, it's so fucking cheesy. <laughs> like, literally made me fucking bust out twice. It's just, Holy fuck, man. It's got to be the worst line of the entire fucking second season, man. It's just, he turns and he says this line. I'm just like, what the fuck? Are you serious, man? It's just, it's not a great season finale at all. I can't believe this is the last episode. You're like, you know, you'd think after a pretty uh, strong season, you try to wrap up the season with a banger, right? To get people excited for the season three and shit like that. But no, we get this insanely yeah, fucking like, I cheesy Yeah, I would not be excited for season three if, the, no. if this was the last episode. No. I mean, if the whole thing was shot the way it was in that last, like, five minutes and it had a better twist. And, oh, my God, dude. Yeah, this this one is um, – it is pretty bad. It's actually a pretty bad episode. I, I'm not – I mean, I, I don't, like, hate this episode or anything. But, man, compared to some of the others in this, it just does not stack up at all. It's – it's kind right. of it's kind of a miss so yeah, super predictable too but do you know what you know what line i'm talking about <laughs> no i don't I, okay I well, i'll say it after man. this is so fucking funny <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's so bad oh shit man um 
Yeah, like I said, you know, it's a shame because, you know, the the cast in this is pretty good, man. With Larry Drake and, mm-hmm. and Grace uh, Zambriski, man. Like, shit, dude. Like, two faces I love to see. Just totally underutilized, though. Completely underutilized, too. So, yeah, it's a shame. But, uh, yeah, man. Uh, do you got anything else on The Secrets? No. Uh, I wish it would have stayed a secret. You kind of let the secret out of the bag there by saying it was like your least favorite episode. <laughs> I know. No, <laughs> Any more puns? It's funny. Well, it, you know, I would probably say that the first two season, or maybe like season one, two, and three, I've watched the most of mm-hmm. those episodes. Like there's a handful of episodes in here I've watched so many times, and I've at least ran through this whole series a couple times too, but um, I just can't believe how forgettable this one was for me because – all I all I remembered about it as watching it was like the the end like what the twists were. But even then, mm-hmm. I don't even know if it was because I remembered it or because it was super obvious. Yeah, man, it is. It, uh, it's just I kept thinking to myself, man. I was watching this. I'm like, really? Like this is the season finale? It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that the last three episodes weren't the strongest uh, in terms of all three of them. Two, one of them was good. Um, yeah, well, one of them I actually really like. Um, yeah, right. but yeah, two of them are, yeah, like, you know, like one feels like a filler and one just feels like a miss, you know? Like sometimes fillers can be good, you know? They don't have to be, like I said, you know, with uh, television terror, I mean, it's short enough that it just, it kind of does what it needs to do, you know? This one runs a little bit longer and it's just like, this is not good man this is not great i can't stop laughing about the line oh god um but yeah i mean that's uh, that's everything i got on the secret so yeah that's 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 it finally the kid gets the upper hand or should i say the upper paw just when mom and pop are about to satisfy their sweet tooth theodore decides to Wolf down something besides sweets. (laughs) Well, that's all for now, kiddies. As one cow said to the other as they headed off to slaughter, till next we meet. (laughs) That is definitely it. And that's going to yeah wrap up the um, Tales from the Crypt episode. I keep saying episode two. Season two. So hopefully we'll get around to doing season three sometime. I mean, well, uh, our good friend Vitaly actually uh, Patreon this one for us, so I'm sure that somebody else might Patreon another one in the future. Nice, nice. Hopefully, man, because you know, I w- it's always fun to revisit these. You know, I really- I'm actually really excited to do more of them. Like I had a blast watching these. Oh, me too. And I think that season three is a, also a very strong season. I think season three is actually stronger than season two. Probably. Yeah. I can't remember what's all in it, but I think that I remember it being the stronger season. I think I remember season three kind of like, there's just a lot more. I I don't want to say that the bigger names are going to make things better, but I think there is a lot more bigger names and even directors. And I, I think just some of the episodes just feel like they're just a little bit bigger in budget too. I, I just, I don't know. I'd have to revisit it, but who knows? Who really knows? Um, but yeah, no, that was really fun. That was really fun to revisit those. And uh, I'm glad that we did this. Well, me too. Yeah. So, um, we should probably do a quick little ranking, right? Yeah, let's do it. Um, 
Do you want to go like one at a time? How do you want to do it? Uh, let's just rip off your list. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, coming in at the very bottom, number 18 for me, is The Secret. Oh, by the way, yep. I did uh, just a, a little prefix here. I did rate some of these, and I will, I'm not going to go through my ratings, but I will say that I gave six episodes. So my top six are five out of fives um, or 10 out of tens, whatever you want to do it for TV shows. Nice. Uh, all very, very good. And then I had uh, a couple of four and a halves, a four, and then a bunch of three and a halves. I've only, I only had uh, two, uh, two point fives. And then I had one, two, so one film completely below average. And that was probably this one, right? It was the secret. So that was, that was my least favorite. Uh, and then my second least favorite and number 17 is lower birth. Of hmm. course, that's the birth of the crypt keeper one. Yeah. Uh, then the switch, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, William Hickey one, oh, it just, yeah. it, it's just, it's it's not really that much horror besides the mad scientist. It's not, but I have that is one of the most that <laughs> episode is so goofy fun. I don't know, man, it's fun, but I can okay. see it though. Uh, number fifteen, television terror. Uh, again, uh, the the last three, two out of the three last episodes were at the bottom for me, uh, and then we got the thing from the grave at number fourteen. Uh, then number thirteen, mute witness to murder, mm-hmm. uh, which was. Um, uh, it what didn't hold up quite as much on on rewatch. No, no. Um, and then number twelve is Till Death. I can't even think of which one that is. <laughs> do you <Wow>. know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I'm just I'm just like looking at my list as you're breaking yours down, and I'm like, holy shit, man! This, this is, is big big differences. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <That's really fucking laughs> number <weird>. eleven. <laughs> number eleven. Judy, you're not yourself today. Um, which I do really like that episode. Uh, it's v- very awesome. In, in fact, you know what's interesting about that episode is it's one of the least uh, popular episodes in terms of ratings on IMDb. And you know what the big, the most popular was? No. Television Terror has the highest rating on IMDb. What? Right. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, number ten on. All of these are so good. Uh, we have Corman's Calamity. Which was the basketball player Dude, kid? This is fucking tripping me out. <laughs> uh, then number nine, we have my brother's keeper. Uh, number eight, uh, one that surprised me that I liked it as much um, was the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. Uh, number seven is four sided triangle. Or sorry, what? Which one? Is, I, I think I got confused. But four sided triangle. This is the the farm one. That one's great with mm-hmm. uh, Patricia Arquette. Uh, number six, three's a crowd. Three's a crowd at number six. And yep. then number five. Uh, this one was a, probably the biggest surprise of the season for me. Was Dead Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which was um, the uh, the, the the one with the just fucking messed up plot. <laughs> um, and then uh, top four here we got. Fitting Punishment. Was that the one with the basketball player? Fitting Punishment is the funeral home one. Right. That's the one I thought Corman's Calamity was. Corman's Calamity was the, the comic book the one. The Tales from the Crypt one, yeah. Yeah. Fitting Punishment was hella good. I Because when I was reading it, I was like, why did I rank that one so low? But yeah, Fitting Punishment. These titles all run together after a while. Uh, and then the top three here. Uh, number three, Cutting Cards. Absolutely love it. Uh, and then number two, Ventriloquist Dummy, also fantastic. And then number one, got to be for crying out loud, just because how <laughs> it's just it's just a great episode. Marty, Marty. 
<laughs> yeah, for crying uh, out loud, is definitely one of the yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, man, I was I was really having. Oh man, it, it, it's so hard to rank these. It really is hard to rank these, but man, I did it as I watched them because it helped me. I didn't, and I kind of changed it around. Well, I I didn't actually until I was like six or eight deep or something. Then I started to kind of fill it in, but who knows? Mm. All right, so coming at number eighteen is the secret. Nice. <laughs> that's that's weird. That's strange. Uh, number seventeen is Lower Birth. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> nice. so weird. Uh, number sixteen. I had this one way lower than you did. Um, not too many of these are that far apart. This might be one of them though. But uh, Judy, you're not yourself today. I'd mentioned it was just it's just a little bit goofy. I don't know. There's something about that episode. I, I like it though, but it's not like one of my favorites. Uh, number fifteen is Television Terror, which I believe that Same. you had that there. Right. <laughs> uh, number fourteen is Mute Witness to Murder. Um, okay. which again, you know, I think I used to like that one a lot more and it just yeah, kind of dropped. Yeah. Same. Uh, number 13 is four sided triangle. Um, oh, I like that one a lot. more I, than I, you. Yeah, you definitely did. Uh, number 12 is till death. Um, number 11 is the thing same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Number 11 is the thing from the grave, which I always have fun with that. If it, I think it kind of feels like a kind of a filler episode, but it's fun though. Um, and at number 10 is Corman's calamity same um, <laughs> that's so funny number nine is cutting cards i know this one's a lot lower than you had it um it's good though it's good uh number eight is the switch which that's probably one of the biggest differences that's right pro- there that is the biggest i think probably definitely because i think that one is just funny it's just i, <laughs> dude, I like it i like so the stupid. episode it's so stupid <laughs> it's just so fucking funny like <laughs> he comes out with his skinny ass legs <laughs> it's so fucking funny man you just can't win oh man uh number seven is the sacrifice um number six is my brother's keeper which i really like that episode i think it's great um number five is three is a crowd which that fucking ending man oh (laughs) brutal uh number four is dead right uh this is where it got tough for me my top three i knew what they were but I was like, what order do I put these in? And I'm like, I don't fucking know, man. Oh, man. I think in at number three is the ventriloquist dummy. Okay. I had it at number two. So yeah. both of us agree it's top three. Uh, in at number two is Finning Punishment. And number one is I had for, that at number four. And is for crying out loud. So we, we, we both agree on the best episode of the season. Yeah 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 we agreed a lot on that like legit at the same positions on a lot of that i know when you're reading yours off i was like what is going on here this i mean that the bottom uh four we had three of the same like yeah, in the same order strange. it yeah. is weird yeah so um but yeah no there's there's you know from crying out loud to the secret i mean i guess there's quite a difference in you know quality there but even watching the secret it's not like a horrible horrible thing but it definitely is the weak link of the season i just going back to i just can't believe that this was the you know the cleanup episode for well i would honestly say that's the only episode that's an avoid out of the entire 18 episodes like there's 17 episodes that are from amazing to okay uh like passable and even if you cut off the passable ones you have 15 good episodes yeah for sure yeah yeah i agree um but yeah i mean like the top five top six i think you're like i mean honestly man i I, even more than that like top 10 whatever just ones that i would definitely they're like top shelf ones for sure yeah um 
but that's a, that's a hell of a run when you can have 18 episodes and and nearly all of them are, or even over half of the season is it's fully you know, recommendable percent is great yeah 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 absolutely um definitely a solid season um looking forward to hopefully doing season three sometime that would be really really fun uh, right I just I can't remember what episodes are in it because I just I they all kind of what well, is the jumbled, longest one right jumbled to me what uh, episode is this the longest one? season two is is the longest um, I think season three is uh, I think it goes back to like fourteen episodes or something oh yeah it's uh it's fourteen yep fourteen yeah so, so f- that'll be that'll be a way fast one to do yeah yeah for sure um, oh okay so I just clicked on it so the first episode of love to death. Um, Okay, I remember this episode. Yeah, man. Wow. Okay, that th- this actually looks really good. I remember some of these episodes already. Oh, it's got the trap in it. Yeah, there's some good episodes. Oh, the reluctant vampire. Nice. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's got split second. Oh, there's some good deadline. Oh, there's some good episodes in the season. Sweet. Definitely. I can't wait to do it. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, that's gonna wrap up uh, Tales from the Crypt season two I guess we should probably get out of here yeah let's do it I would say Jeremy take us out but not here <laughs> All right. yeah so uh, hey thank you guys for listening uh, this was a long time coming uh, the original Tales from the Crypt uh, we did season one on episode 59 so that's, that's quite a long time ago uh, definitely check out uh, and support us on Patreon we've gotten a ton of new supporters and and people are uh you know really really digging the early access and stuff like that so check that out uh facebook uh the group's always popping 22 shots of moods and horror or 22 shots podcast actually twitter 22 shots podcast you know hit us up in all the social medias letterboxed um double shot j i assume yours is mood 616 right yep yeah i love letterboxd dude probably one of my favorite um things that i keep up on so if you don't have a letterbox get one. Oh, actually no my my letterbox is actually under moods fright is it really yeah oh okay yeah mood 616 was taken <laughs> might have been <laughs> someone jacked Somebody my shit stole your shit yeah it uh, wouldn't surprise me uh but yeah so see you guys on the next episode thanks for listening oh i'm totally lying it is actually under mood 616 <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't remember what the fuck because i never type it in i'm always logged in right but yeah it's, but it's funny because if you look at your letterbox it says mood 616 at the top and then it says moods fright so <laughs> i'm like which one is it for fuck's sake <laughs> no it is pretty much everything on my social media is is mood 616 so except for facebook i'm under moods for it so yeah all right deuces <laughs> Ha 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 